welcome to the Hawks Nest live stream show. My name is Brandon Kane, and I do appreciate you for tuning in, checking me out, hitting like buttons, hitting subscribes, just doing what you do to make this channel go choo-choo. And today, we got ourselves some fun talk. It's the off season. I want to dive into topics that I can't tend to you know, get into during the season because it's hot and heavy and we got to get into the action and be discussing the details there within. So when we get to the off season right now, I like to kind of get into some stuff that's uh, a little bit funner, a little bit more at times. Uh, we're not having to talk about Cameron Young. Uh, able to be positive and, and look at things that uh, I think are also, you know, realistic. And in this particular instance, the one I want to really look at, and this is as much kind of an appreciation for Bobby Wagner, B-Wags, and uh, all he's given to our Seahawks team. Um, shout out to him in that respect of things. But it's also a look at also, where's Bobby Wagner rank all time as far as a middle linebacker in NFL history? Where's his spot? Where's his place? I began to think about this about a year and a half ago, and I'm going to start off this show reading you from an article that I wrote on this um, a year and a half ago when he was still at where he was. He's only put, put on more stats, put in, put in more work, so to speak, to even rise himself even higher. But I think I can make a pretty solid argument here for Bobby being a top 10 middle linebacker and even much higher than that. We're going to go through the, the guys and the different uh, you know people that he's kind of up against and weigh this as much as we can. Let's also get this out in front of things. This is arbitrary. This is my list. There's going to be people that are going to not like the list and people are going to like the list. That's part of what we're doing here. Um, and I, I'm going to love hearing where your guys' standpoint on and who you guys might have had ahead of who I have. I've tried to take a little bit of time to really put these guys slotted in. But to start things out here, I'm going to just, I'm going to put a little bit of a slideshow here of Bobby up in front of you guys as I read this. Then we're going to pop over and I'm going to make my case for where I think Bobby Wagner ranks all time. And that and this is also in consideration of the fact He's going into his 12th year now. He's only going to be able to get to build further on wherever his placement is on this list that I'm, I'm going to try to slot him into. He only now starts to rise up even further. And let's say nothing of potentially playing even beyond this year, playing even a couple more years uh, where he could rise to as far as his level, especially if he's able to play at a pretty high level throughout that time. The Seahawks, I think all time have their best player as far as where their all time rank would be up against other receivers. I, I think... You can make an argument for Largent. You can make an argument for Walter Jones, uh, Cortez Kennedy, somewhat of the similar place where, I, you know, I don't think Kennedy necessarily is a guy looked at as a best all-time defensive tackle. I, I think some people do think about that with Walter Jones, though, there were, you know, when he retired, it wasn't inarguable and there, it's a little bit harder for him because he doesn't play a position that you can back up with statistics necessarily to um, put him over somebody else. So it's a little bit more harder to gauge that. But uh, in certainly Largent's case, he retired with something like 50 NFL records, uh, including the most yards, most touchdowns receiving. Rice blew it out of the water. But certainly, I think he has got to be one of the highest guys we've got up there. Kenny Easley is also another guy highly rated all time, I think, from his safety position. But Bobby might be, I don't think he'll get up to quite where Largent's at, but he's, he's definitely getting close to into that area of things. So let me read this article to you here real quickly, and I'll bounce back over to you guys. Please do hit that like button if you like what you're listening to today, and uh, do get subbed up if you're not, as we're on the road to 10,000 here. Uh, so this is Ranking the Greatness of Bobby Wagner was the title of the article. This was for members of the channel uh, last about a year and a half ago. And I uh, started off with uh, trying to rank where great players stand historically for their positions causes the most intense kind of debates, be it in the bar rooms of America or seemingly anywhere on the internet. 
I must also acknowledge we also we always overrate the players we've come to love in our hometown teams. We've watched them born to stardom, a dominant prime onto a graceful retirement as Father Time finally comes calling with the bill that's due. They were baptized by fire on the football fields where only tough men roam. It's no surprise we hold them dear. I, for instance, believe Steve Largent is the best wide receiver of all time, and I will die on this hill, so don't try to tell me differently. When you can remove your love for the player to properly consider their ranking all time, it's an exercise that's fun to consider, and you might just come away better appreciating their special place in history. Bobby Wagner has always just gone about his business on the football field with a quiet, hard-hat approach. A rangy linebacker in his youth, in his prime, you could see it, you could find him running sideline to sideline, a tackling machine between the two C's of the Legion of Boom. In an era of big talkers on defense, he said only as much as was needed. When they asked him why, he said, hey man, it's to save my breath. He guided and directed this defense with a consistent and steady hand for the last decade. Sometimes it feels like his rightful place in history is being overlooked. In terms of greatness, in, uh, in terms of greatness, most of the rest of the Legion of Boom seems to have fallen short of one item often most necessary for inclusion into football's grandest honor, the Hall of Fame. That item is longevity. You must dominate your position for decades, for a decade. Very rarely is it just a five years sufficient. This knocks out Cam Chancellor from consideration and Earl probably just misses that mark too. I'm going to say I hope not in this instance. This isn't what I'd like to see happen. Love to see both of those guys get in, but this is a little bit of what usually is required to get into the Hall of Fame. Sherman is a different case. He probably just he he just barely makes the minimum marks, but will probably get into the Hall of Fame. Now this is this is, now this isn't an article about the Hall of Fame, but a measure of Bobby Wagner's greatness. In the name of appreciating that greatness, he should be heralded as the best player of the Legion of Boom defense. Maybe not the most impactful, Earl Thomas. Maybe not the tone setter, Cam Chancellor. Maybe not the playmaker, Richard Sherman. But just the best. Allow me to posit my argument. Sherman is the only one of the Legion of Boom crew with a possible claim to being the best. But as it stands right now, there's about 105 players ahead of him on the all-time interceptions list. There's more to playing cornerback than interceptions, and Sherman was one of the best tacklers of his era, maybe one of the best tackling cornerbacks of all time. He tipped a ton of passes on top of his many picks and possessed an innate ability to get inside of any opponent's head, which of course we can't track statistically. Greatness is ranked by many a metric, yet considering this interception stat and understanding it's, most important thing, it's the most important thing a cornerback can do, I do think you'd be hard-pressed to make an argument that Sherman is even maybe top 20 all-time, much less top 10 at the cornerback position. The same cannot be said for Bobby. The most important stat for a middle linebacker is tackles. By my rough count, Bobby is sitting about 15, 15th all-time in solo tackles for a middle linebacker, or for just a linebacker, and 9th in combined tackles. Uh, he's not just top 10 in uncombined tackles either. Bobby also stacks up in top 10 in totality of his greatness when compared to the other middle linebackers in NFL history. Now, uh, we're going to go through this list a little bit here. But let me just get a couple of little items out there on this article. Um, Ray Lewis is obviously the gold standard for middle linebackers. Seven-time first-team All-Pro, 13-time Pro Bowler, two-time Defensive Player of the Year, two-time Super Bowl champ. The stats back him up too. 
the all-time leader in tackles in NFL history. He added 41 and a half sacks, 31 interceptions, and 100 tackles for a loss. No other middle linebacker comes close to this guy. So this is going to be the first person on our list that we're going to take a look at here quickly as we go through to where I get to the spot to kind of, you know, again, make my case for where I think Bobby lies. So we got Ray Lewis. And I'm going to bring up the stats here so you guys can see this as well with these guys as we go through and talk about them. And again, it's not all statistically based. We're going to use this as somewhat of a measure, accolades, uh, Super Bowl championships. Certainly there's the un, the part that I can't really measure necessarily to give you guys of, well, what a guy in 1970, you know, his impact on that era and watching him game and game. I didn't watch the guys in 1970. I can go watch some of the old tape, uh, but obviously... I can't, uh, I, I can't speak to that have not lived through. I'm not trying to throw shade at the guys that are in the older era, but let's just take, for instance, a guy that's going to be a little lower on my list than Bobby, like Joe Schmidt, who had a very long career and was a very good player, but he also played at a time when there was only 13 teams in the entire league of the National Football League. So that's got to be taken into a little bit of the consideration versus you know, a guy like Bobby playing 32. Um, it's a bit different, I think. Uh, but... That's going to be a bit of the tough, tough bridge to cross. Not like a guy like Ray Lewis, who it's easy with what you see him on the field, his impact, knowing what he brought to the field as an intimidator. Um, this guy's an obvious number one to me. It's just, there's sort of no doubt about it. It's hard to make any any argument as to not to me. And I don't think this is pretty, I don't think anybody would, would push on this, so I'm not going to dwell. The next guy up is actually going to be Jack Lambert. This is the Pittsburgh middle linebacker from back in the day. And... Um, Jack was a <laughs> Jack was a he was the foreman first off of the steel curtain defense one of those kind of monsters that kids used to fear under their bed at night with his two teeth missing many of you have probably seen him on the old tapes and uh, he was really good in that respect he was also a guy that was a four-time uh, NFL champion well over a thousand tackles in his career he had also I think what stands out at this time like 28 interceptions at a time when nobody threw the football in the NFL so you, you put it all together with, he's got the accolades, the statistics back him up with this too. Um, he absolutely, you felt his presence. If you go back and watch any of those old Steelers film, he's, he's showing up all over the field. Um, the guys like almost felt like he's almost in every play and just a complete nose for the ball, absolutely. And to get those picks at that time when those guys weren't throwing the ball as much, very, very impressive. I just don't think you can kind of overlook this guy. And I think he sometimes does gets dinged down on overall charts. Um, Oddly so, even though he should be kind of measured, I think, a little bit higher. Let's remember that the Steelers had at least one to maybe two years there in that late 70s era where those are two of the best defenses that we've seen in all of the NFL. And I, I hate the Steelers with an undying passion, but you got to give them the respect when it comes to that. Let's go to number three here, and this is going to be Mr. Junior Seau, a man that if you were a Seahawks fan in the, in the uh, 90s, you were very familiar with. Now, he played a very long career, so long I can't even get all, all of his stats here. Nearly 20 seasons in the league. Much like with Ray Lewis, it becomes pretty undeniable when you put all of those stats together with this guy as far as how do you not have him up in the top five and then how do you kind of not have him where I'm placing him here. He played at a high level for nearly two decades. His, his uh, production was ridiculous. Um, he wasn't just a longtime producer without much greatness, which is a little bit like a guy like I'd say London Fletcher would be a bit of like that kind of guy. He also has a defensive player of the year to his accomplishment, played in a Super Bowl. Beyond that, this is one guy that I can also speak to have seen a lot of football of him there with San Diego. And when our Seahawks went to play San Diego and we were in the AFC West twice a year, the man that you feared 
The man that you feared over and over at play after play was Junior Seau. He played a lot like Ray Lewis for, the, for those of you that didn't get a chance to see him play. Very similar in a lot of his respects. A complete middle linebacker, an intimidator, a hitter. He had that first step quickness like Ray Lewis where he could just get in the backfield in a flash before you even knew what time of day it was. Before you even knew the snap count had gone off. He knew the snap count better than the offensive lineman at times. Um, but just uh, played played free, wild, reckless, threw his body around. It's, it's crazy the guy put 20 years in, as you're seeing here statistically, as he did. You could almost go to any stat you want with him here, and he's got everybody be including 56 and a half sacks, uh, which is just a tremendous amount of production coming out of that middle linebacker you know room. 18 interceptions. Um, this guy was legit. So this is my number three guy that I've got on the list here on this one. Number four, Mr. Brian Erlacher. This may be one that some of you have a little bit higher or lower than Bobby, depending on uh, your view of, of Bobby or your view of uh, Brian Erlacher in his career. They played from 2000, 2000 to 2012. This is one where the numbers are a little bit closer with Bobby, where he's going to have him beat, for instance, when it comes to tackles. But Erlacher's got him on kind of the accolades for the most part. It's very close on that, though. Erlacher's got the the one defensive player of the year. I believe he had, um, double checking my stats on that. Yeah, he had, the, he had the one defensive player of the year in 2005, four-time All-Pro uh, defensive defensive rookie of the year in his first season. And much like with Bobby in this respect, Brian's the, very equivalent with a very complete middle linebacker. 22 interceptions, um, 90 passes defensed, which certainly stands out, over 1,000 tackles. Um, Bobby's got to beat in combined tackles, by the way. He's got to beat Bobby beaten solo. So depending on how you count your tackles on that, I guess, is depending on where you would put you know one or the other. But Bobby's got to be at least on combined tackles. He does have Bobby beat, though, with the sacks, the passes defense, the interceptions. Uh, the forced fumbles is pretty close, but he's got him. He's got him nipped just a little bit in that respect of things. Also, the AV is uh, kind of an interesting stat too, because this is something that Pro Football Reference does. Then they've got this little thing called this AV deal that you see there on your screen, and I'll put up the little thing that it shows. So this is approximate. That this is approximate value is our attempt to attach a single number to every player since 1960. So you've got 152 with uh, Brian Urlacher. Jack Lambert was 137. Junior Seau was 195 for his career. Just it's it's a little like uh, you know war in baseball. If you're looking for kind of a different sport equivalency, it tries to get a base player's production down to a bottom line level. So he is very close with Bobby. There, you know, nip and tuck here. 120, 138 tackle for loss. Another spot that he's got Bobby beat. So he's just a little bit better as far as Brian goes here. Also a 12 year career. So he had one more extra year than Bobby did. A little bit more beat up than Bobby as far as inability to stay on the field quite as much. And this is a guy that Bobby's looking at kind of in the target sign this upcoming year, who I think with a great season this year, if Bobby can pull out another Pro Bowl All-Pro year, he very well could kind of at this point get not close to passing by Brian Urlacher. You could make a great case for it. Um, but he's not quite there on the, in this instance of it. So this is my number four all-time middle linebackers. I see it at this point. That's Brian Urlacher. I know this is going to be a little bit of a... Of, um, contentious one potentially from some of you guys in the chat but and gals but um i did try to go through and really look at this list really thoroughly and brian's production is pretty insane and it's not empty production it's elite production for his time that was one hell of a defense with him and lance briggs down there in the middle those two guys operating as middle linebackers in that defense big could cover um you know the thing with the the thing with Brian that stood out is just that he could run that cover two defense so purely because the cover two defense as that middle linebacker when you're running it pure to to just run right between the seams 
25, 35, 40 yards down the field, carry with a receiver if, if a receiver carries into your trek. And he could do all of that. Former safety convert coming out of college, uh, to, you know, transitioning to middle linebacker. And that was a really big part that stood out to his game. Just uh, very elite as a coverage defender and so long. We'd play him and it just, he had those arms that would just seem to get longer and longer in coverage to tip passes. Part of why the reasons he has 90, 90 tip balls. So let's go to number five here. And that's going to be one Mr. Dick Buckus, one that some of my older folks in the audience may want a little bit higher uh, on this list. And I'm going to make my case for why Buckus lands in here at number um, five. First off, his his impact's insane. Eight straight Pro Bowls, uh, Defensive Player of the Year. He was um, absolutely a guy that if you're talking about your career is going to be a little shortened and then you, you're you going to be for a smaller period of time, then you need to have exceptional impact in that smaller time while you were injured. And Dick Buckus, I think, has, has that in his back pocket here with the kind of production he put out. Um, they didn't, they, they couldn't really track fum, forced fumbles at the time that these guys played. But he had, um, <clears throat> he did have 30, what, we had 37, 27 fumble recoveries, which I think that just, if you, you look at that as just, and he was known for a guy that have a nose for the ball, to get his hands on balls, to rip stuff away, rip it free. And that if he was putting that kind of production up, um, which is the fumble recoveries, you know he was causing his share on the other end of it. Uh, he also put up 22 interceptions, which still does stand out, far surpasses even Bobby in that respect of things. A little bit of a tougher one to measure on this one because you can't get much of the statistical backing to look at to try to measure it up against like Bobby. That Bears teams that he was playing on were not very good, so you can't give him much as far as a bump to say, well, he helped elevate this squad into you know getting to the Super Bowl, like we could say with Brian Urlacher or Junior Seau or Ray Lewis. You can't say that in this case. So this is one that is another one you could make an argument in that even maybe Bobby potentially moves past him because let's count it up here. You know, you have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven really years that he played, right? And in those years, they were only playing 14 games a season. You know, so he he has seven years, but then, or eight years, whatever it is, but he's losing two games a year per first what Bobby's got to play in 16 games, now 17 games in a season. So it's almost like a whole nother year removed off of his career, even in that just seven, eight year span that we're looking at here as far as the, the length of time he played. So a very, to me, the, the thing you almost start to get to ding Buckus on and why he's probably lower on my list than he might be on others is that that's got to come into a certain point where the longevity factor has to, to me, win out a little bit more than the, the shooting spot star that you know, burns really bright initially and then just starts to kind of burn out very quickly. And with him, it was injury. It wasn't his fault. But nonetheless, um, I'm, I'm apt to put him five. And this is where we're going to finally get to Bobby. This is where we get to one Mr. W Bobby Wagner. And my case on this, let me get the statistics put up here. My case on this is going to be that it, you, you look at him across the board, He's top 15 in uh, solo tackles, ninth in combined tackles all time. He's got the eight, 78 tackles for loss here. Uh, the, the forced fumble stat is kind of the small one with him. Forced fumbles, fumbles recovery, um, nine fumble recovery, six forced fumbles. This is in the end all be all these stats, by the way. We'll talk about his impact too, his accolades. But um, uh, he's got his all pros on here, as you can see as well. The X's on the side indicate all pro seasons. So one, two, three, four, five, six, six all pro seasons in here. Uh, innumerable pro bowls on top of that. Um, he, he's brought in 13 interceptions up to 29 and a half sacks, which is certainly, as we've seen up against any of these other guys, is definitely a big time number as well. Uh, Erlacher had 41 and a half. Um, Jack Lambert had 23 and a half. 
you know, Seau got 56 and a half, but of course that took him 75 years of playing to get to that get to that level of it. So he's got a lot, the accolades. He's played in multiple Super Bowls. Look at that AV value I talked about with Erlacher too, where football references got Erlacher at a 152. They've got Bobby down into 150. So he's two off of him, despite the fact here, I think in Bobby's case, he has you know technically played one last season than what Brian Erlacher was at, who was at, I believe, a 12-year career there. So Bobby's done all what he's done, basically one year short of Erlacher in that respect of things. One of the reasons I think that he potentially could overtake him at this point 88 quarterback hits along with the 29 and a half sacks just show you how good he is as far as also a blitzer not just getting the sacks but also getting those hits causing those pressures um bobby's one of those guys there's not one stat to me that he dominates in but he comes across the board with everything looking good 65 passes defensed he doesn't have kind of any hole statistically in his game if you look about measuring him up against anybody else and I, I think there's, there's a, a solid argument to be made here. Let me tell you the guys that I've got that are, I think, right behind Bobby. Um, first and foremost, somebody's going to bring up Levante David. It's inevitable. I know I'm going to hear from somebody. Go, what about Levante David? He's still playing. And Levante David has Bobby nip, nip, nipped as far as in solo tackles and in forced fumbles. And Levante's got a lot of forced fumbles. And I think Levante is on his way to being probably a Hall of Fame middle linebacker as well. I think you could make an argument. He's got a, he's got probably a very strong argument to be made. Levante belongs maybe top 10, potentially, uh, all time as a middle linebacker. But I've got him just up on the fringe. I've got a number seven, Chuck Benaric. Um, This is one of those sentimental ones for me because I don't know about you folks, but I always used to get the uh, Sports Illustrated Hardest Hits edition back in the old days when you had Sports Illustrated. That was the big thing about having a Sports Illustrated member, you know, um, whatever. What, what do we call those things for magazines back in the day? It's been so long. Subscription. Uh, I should know that. But uh, we've got, you get the subscription, you get the hardest hits video, and they give you the black and white one with Chuck Benaric's hit of Frank Gifford, and they made it look like the Kennedy assassination every time they showed it, where Gifford's just laid out and Benaric's over the top of him pointing. But Benaric was absolutely just an intimidator, um, a force to be reckoned with, five first-team All-Pros, eight Pro Bowlers, two-time champion, certainly right there next to Bobby. I, I gave Bobby a little bit more edge because I just think there's a little bit more longevity here overall um, in the length of greatness. But uh, Chuck was a Chuck was a bad mofo, no doubt about that. Joe Schmidt, I mentioned him at the top, a Lions middle linebacker that's uh, you know long forgotten about. Um, he is... Uh, Eight-time first, eight time first team All-Pro, 10-time Pro Bowler, two-time NFL champ. There's nothing statistically I can have to go back and look and measure this guy, but he did have a very good long career. It was, as I said before, a bit of a time where you only had 13 teams in the NFL. And I think that I'm not trying to knock the old guys out completely for that, but I do think that it does have to bear in a little bit when the league is less than half the size it was um, just versus how much harder it is to get some of those accolades, you know, if there's that many less that many less people out there that you're going up against to get those awards uh number nine i go mike singletary this is um this is one that uh yeah with mike i i think mike for a while there was neck and neck with bobby but now i put i have let i i just looked at uh mike's career and i went eh, not sure if i can do it here um he doesn't have the total tackle numbers, but he was one of the most important um, players on a very historic and one of the all-time NFL historic defenses. He also did win a Defensive Player of the Year twice, which speak to the height of dominance. I knocked him a little bit because of the longevity factor there with Singletary, just a hair. Not a lot, just a hair. Uh, then I've got uh, Nick Bonacati, a uh, longtime uh, Dolphins middle linebacker. 
five-team, first-team All-Pro, eight-time All-Pro, eight-time Pro Pro Bowler, 32 career interceptions, two-time NFL champion of the uh, no-name defense there with the Dolphins. Certainly, he should have his place up there. Uh, Zach Thomas at number 11. I think, quite honestly, when I was doing this at the time in 2011, when I wrote their article initially, I think Bobby, Mike Singletary, Nick Bonacati, um, Zach Thomas, they were all kind of duking it out for who would be where on this particular list. But I put uh, Zach Thomas in the spot. Another guy a little bit like Junior Sauer played a, a long, long career. Bobby's got a Zach beat in tackles per game, passes, defense, sacks, though he's got him in the total numbers to Zach because he played so many more years than Bobby's even played up until this point. But um, I just gave the edge on this one a little bit more to to Bobby with just the accolades, impact on the defense. Thomas's defense never really did a whole lot of stuff there outside. They, were, they played really well, never did anything in the playoffs, never made, made any noise, never made it to Super Bowl. Not his fault, but I, I think we just got to try to, I think, in an arbitrary fashion here, kind of pull all this stuff together a little bit. Um, but he was a very good player. I think he just got in the Hall of Fame this past year, did Zach Thomas after a little bit of a wait, and it is well-deserved. He deserves to be in that um, in that spot. His his numbers are a little bit like Junior Seau, where after so many years ago, man, that's just an incredible year of uh, incredible career. He got way past just the mere 10-year mark. Uh, beyond that, I've got uh, Ray Nitschke, Levante David, Bill George, Harry Carson, uh, Luke Keekley. Those would be the next guys kind of as honorable mentions. London Fletcher, who had a very long career as well, but he was a guy with a long career without ever really being elite during that period. So he stacked up a ton of a ton of stats. But beyond, you don't just need longevity. You also need some greatness within the longevity and certainly some sustained greatness within the longevity, I think, to be considered up around that list. But that's my list. So we've got Ray Lewis, number one, Jack Lambert, number two, Junior Seau, number three, Number four, I've got Brian Urlacher. Number five, I've got Dick Butkus. Number six, we got Bobby Wagner. Number seven, Chuck McNerick. Number eight, Joe Smith. And number nine, Mike Singletary. Number 10, Nick Boynacotti. Let's see what you guys think. Is my list crazy? Crazy smart, crazy stupid, whichever it may be. Did I miss uh, a name that you think has to be added up onto this list? Please let me know if you're listening to this on replay. Let me know in the comments if there was a guy that you thought uh, should have been a little bit higher on my particular list. But I believe right now Bobby sits sixth all time on my arbitrary. Brandon rules the universe and he gets to make these lists and they they rule overall. Uh, he's sixth on my list. I think nationally people might have him a tiny bit lower, but he's getting to continue to play. And this might be last year, might have a couple more years left. Imagine what happens if he's able to put another two or three years in. Where are we measuring Bobby at that point? Is he, is he moving up into a top four, top three place? What if they find this new track to him to being able to be a, a really high-proficient blitzer, something that we didn't utilize in his first go-around here, which the Rams utilized quite a bit last year, and really try to maybe get a little bit more of that? Wouldn't help, wouldn't hurt, would it? If he can get back up into those sack numbers at 30, 35, 40, you know, you never know. I dream. But there's no doubt about this. Final thoughts is Bobby Wagner has had a really under-the-radar Hall of Fame kind of career. And you lost to the Legion of Boom defense, which is easy enough to happen with those guys and those personalities and the, the great talent that was on that defense. But he's done what he's done, and he should be appreciated for it. And I'm so glad to see the team bring him back. This was a bit of a controversial move at times from some fans as going, well, it's a sentimental move, or you know, he's not anywhere as good as he was. And well, the it's the right move to be made. It's the right move at the right time for this defense to be made. And it's not Gene just saying that. This is the player saying it as well. This guy like Quandre Diggs, Diggs is his career's dialing down, want to just bring a guy back for sentimental reasons, or is he trying to go out there and win? After all those years out there in Detroit, 
I tend to think that he probably wants to win. He knows that Bobby's going to be best for what's going to help us win. And none of, you've heard nothing but the same from all of the rest of the players. And in fact, if you probably did a poll out there at VMAC, they'd, they'd tell you probably 100%, a blind poll, you get 100% return of, yeah, he's going to help us win games versus any of the alternative options they would have gone with. He's going to be the best option this upcoming year. So this ain't just about looking at what his career's been. It's also what he still has to do to go forward on this. And he's not done yet. Is he at his prime? No. Has he lost maybe a step, step and a half, two step? Who knows? Maybe. Has he also gotten smarter, more instinctive, able to read things even better than he did five, six years ago? You better believe he has. And the tape backs that up. So it's a balancing game with those older players. You know, you lose a half a step, you get a little smarter. Lose another half step, shed five pounds. <laughs> you know, it's a little bit of that give and take, right? But he ain't done yet. And it's going to be fun to watch this upcoming year to see if Bobby can bring this defense back together, a defense that was one of the worst in the league last year. And all he's got to do, in my opinion, is, as I said in my series of breaking down what it would take for this team to become elite, all he's got to do is get this team or help to get this team up into a top 15 state, just to get them into a functional place where they don't have games like last year where teams can just run on us and there's nothing we can do to stop them. Can't stop them. Nothing we can do. It's all you got to get to. And if you get there with the offense and special teams doing what they're doing, look out. Look out when it comes to this team. Uh, please do hit that like button, folks. I do really appreciate you guys checking in all the content here in the off season. I know many are deep in the middle of their summer vacations and whatnot. So thank you for uh, checking this out today. Appreciate you guys on that. Uh, Daniel Berry, Sports Highlights. Yo, what's up, man? Young Bido Game. Oh, hell yeah. How you doing, bro? Grug, hello. DJ says, awesome shirt. Yes, I'm going to start shopping on Amazon for my shirts. Good pick, B. I had to, I felt like uh, we're talking about Bobby Wagner's greatness. I don't think that there's a, I thought, I thought the Brian Bosworth shirt while we're talking about Bobby Wagner's greatness just kind of felt, <laughs> it felt like it should go together, you know? I don't know why. It's one of those riffs that just, it's like one of those DJ mix-ups that they do on the, on the turntables. Just had to kind of put them together a little bit, you know what I mean? Uh, Mark Hoppercorn, how you doing, man? It's good to see you in the chat. Thank you for reminding me, dude. Hit that like button, sub up, folks, please. Jacob, it's gonna suck when Bobby retires. It's gonna be a, it's gonna be a tough, sad day a little bit. He is, um, he's given us such greatness of the position. I think we really realized it last year, or got to appreciate it really at its most last year, when you saw now what it looked like with Jordan Brooks and Cody Barton back there. And for all those that wanted to complain about Bobby over the last couple of years, not enough tackle for losses. He doesn't look fast anymore. He's did this, did this, that. So yeah, that's far better than what we were seeing from the position last season. Take just getting off of the second level blockers, which was such a tremendous problem for Jordan Brooks and Cody Barton. You know, when, when you get a second blocker coming down like that on those linebackers, it's not just like you come back and say, well, that's the lineman's fault. He didn't get the double team cemented and, and the middle linebacker, what, what was he to do? Middle linebackers can get around those blocks. Good middle linebackers can, can shake them, throw them off, dip around them. You know, and one of the things that always stood out to me about Bobby, Michael Robinson brought this up when, when Bobby was first walking in the door. And, and this was before Bobby was ascending to anything and rookie. And Robinson said, he's going to be a good player. He can slip, he slips blocks special. It's very special at slipping blocks. It's a big part of playing the position and understanding how to get around those. Lofa used to be great about that too. Lofa was 5'11", 230, right? Like he couldn't just take guys on at the point of attack, heads up, and hope that he was going to get off that block. He had to creatively get around it. He had to set linemen up in his approach. 
you know, have them thinking one thing. I remember this one play with Mike Yayopati peeling back the round uh, on Lofa on one play back in the day, kind of just uh, in, pulling out in front into the hole. And, and Lofa, he thought Lofa was going to slow play it, and Lofa just sped it up at the last moment, the last four steps, sped it up, and caught Ayupati right up under his pads. And Ayupati at that point was in his real, one of the more physical guards in the league, like one of those matchups that you'd hate to see Lofa up against in open space. And it just went to show you at that time how good Lofa was. And that's, that's part of it too, playing the position, is getting off those blocks and knowing how to feel to get off those blocks, whether to get slippery, whether to give the shoulder, whether to try to incorporate a pass rush, move on him on the fly. You know, you got to have a little bit of a feel for that to make it go. Herbicide in the house. How you doing, Herbicide? He says, what's up? D-line scares me. The D-line scares me too, man. I'm, I remain... I remain in fear. Um, so, and as, as I thought, the, uh, the young, the camera young video was going to get some of the people out as far as a little bit, a little bit perturbed. So, including I got a Cameron Young commenting on my video. So, I didn't know it was going to reach that deep. <laughs> you know? But uh, what are you going to do, man? It is what it is. It is what it is. As I, as I said in that video, and as I'll continue to say leading up through all this, I hope I'm wrong on that one. I hope the kid's a stud. I hope it is just merely he was slanting a lot, which is what everyone's, I, everybody just spammed the hell out of my comments. And not everybody, it was like three people. But they were like, it's slanting. Mississippi State, they're slanting. Like, okay, on a couple of the snaps, that explains everything? That's, that's the, that's, all, all of it after that point is completely just, He's great. It's just the slanting. We explain all of the bad tape away to that. And I, I couldn't quite get there. I think it's a good point. It's not a bad point itself, but just that's the part. That was part was an interesting part of the discussion. But uh, there's a lot of Cameron Young backers. I learned that. A lot of pro Cameron Young folks out there. Sector 7, Largen didn't need Stickham and didn't have uh, Joe Montana. He didn't. That's why when we come back to Largen, that, that's a more intense discussion on who's the best all-time hawk. That's probably another show at some point. You know, that gives me actually an idea for that. But uh, Largen and what he had to deal with and receivers in general, the measurement of their greatness certainly should incorporate statistics and longevity and all this other stuff, but it's not the only thing. And, uh, you know, you do have to take into account with a guy like Largent that he did get as much done not necessarily having uh, anything near equivalent to a Joe Montana slinging the rock form. Say nothing about Joe having Bill Walsh and having the complete team and having the defense on the side. Like it all, all moved together to help you know Rice to have the best production he kind of had, the top line production he did. Not to mention playing within an offense that leaned towards passing and Largent every single year of his career was going to lean into an offense that was, I think, with the exception like one year when when Warner went down was going to lean into being run heavy, especially once Knox got here. Herbicide, yeah, at least he's ours for another year, man. I may, at least, I'm hoping maybe two. I think he's going to take it year by year. I don't think it's guaranteed that he retires this year if it, it you know, just that it, but I think he's just going year by year on it, which I'm good with it. I'm cool with that. Love to see him get two more in. I'd love to see him get firmly into that top five state where it's just, yeah, no, no doubt he's a top five all-time middle linebacker. Like nationally, that being the sentiment. Connor says, Earl's prime was so good. I think he has a chance of making it. I do. I do think he has a chance of making it. And uh, I did want to say in that article. I, like, I, I think when you have a legendary defense like they did, that you take that into a little bit more into account on players in, in how great they really were. 
So you do see this a little bit, I think, with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, where it's Sap gets in, he should. Derek Tom, Derek Brooks gets in, he should. Um, Rondé Barber gets in, he should. John Lynch gets in, he should. Yeah. So it's, and I think at some point, someday, with the way those Tampa Bay teammates are going to bat for Simeon Rice, he's probably eventually going to get in there too. And so, yeah, that's probably that's probably something that should be put into consideration, and it might in Earl's and Cam's case. That might be enough at that point to to put them through with that. But they did have a little bit of the shortened, the shortened length to the career that people would have liked to have seen with them. Connor says, I mean, he made a Pro Bowl in his only year with Ravens, but the situation that got him kicked off the team overshadows. It does. It, it does. That and that does that that is going to factor in too, right? Paul Susia says Jack Lambert was a beast. He was. I and I I do go back at times and watch old tape because I like that those guys played so violently back in the day and they were just blood and guts every you know they might not have been as athletic and fast and all that but those guys were they were laying kill shots all over the place it's it just appeals to me but Lambert was awesome and a great all around player and a, a guy that just a complete linebacker for that team turn on that Steelers tape he's just everywhere every snap he's always in on the action. He doesn't ever seem to be fooled. He always seems to be a step ahead of the offense. Real cerebral player on top of being a pretty big guy too. Mike Nope says they don't mention Seau anymore because he's proof that the NFL has known about CTE for a long time. Uh, indeed, he was. He's certainly one of those uh, Mike. Um, you know, I don't know, poster childs on the CTE thing for what he went through, and you know, rest in peace to Junior Seau. Um, but he had a couple of incidents, you know, not on, on, on top of taking life, but the driving the car off the cliff thing that happened. And, uh, yeah, that's, it's definitely a place that, um, you know, if the NFL did know about it for a long time and decided they wanted to hide that through, it's silly. They did that. I think that they should just, to me, it's just get the waiver out front of it. I mean, don't hide anything. Just get out and say, okay, look, you're gonna be paid multi-millions of dollars. You know, you are going to probably sustain this. That has a good chance of leading to this. Do you want to do that? Here's the waiver. You know, there's a whole lot of things in life we sign waivers for that are dangerous. And uh, I don't see why you can't do it here, especially when the compensation seems to be pretty good, especially when you have a pension plan for those guys that play extra long. Um, I don't know. That's how I kind of see it. Mike says, uh, Lab my has a whole S. Is that a Bosworth shirt? That is a Bosworth shirt, man. I got to represent. Got to represent. Uh, Garth Knight, thank you for the $5 donation. And it's good to see you in the chat tonight, Garth. He says, Bobby Wagner is no junior sale, just like Megan's no Paul Hogan. Uh, I think, yes, that's a compliment. I was making sure on that one. Uh, junior was a, a monster like Ray Lewis. Bobby was never that. Yeah, I don't think he was ever quite to those places. I don't think that he's got a way of getting past Junior or Ray or Jack. I, I think probably four is where... That would be about as high as you'd be able to get if you're Bobby. Overtaken, overtaken Buckus, overtaken Urlacher, and then cementing himself ahead of the Bunicottis, the Joe Smiths, the, um, the Zach Thomas, the Singletaries, the Big Narek. But uh, that's still a hell of a career. But those guys were, I agree with you, Garth. Those guys were a different, different shade in this respect of things. You know what I mean? They, were, they, they played the position just a little bit different. They played it like when you would put together a guy in Madden. You know, I just want this guy ferocious hitting people. Like if they had a ferocious meter, those guys would have had it filled all the way up. 
if Madden tracked for that. Nagasa says, don't think Bobby is in the top 10, but close. There's an argument to be made, I think, Nagasa anywhere from, I think, 5 to 12, that depending on who you ask and who you talk to, there'd be a fluctuation of where people would put him. It's just my particular list. And I think the consistency, longevity is a part of it, I think. CJ Kersman, what about Lawrence Taylor? Lawrence Taylor was an outside linebacker. I'm just concentrating on middle linebackers because they have different duties, CJ. Whereas Lawrence is an edge guy that's pass rushing, you know, that's he's he's a lot closer to a defensive end than he is to a than he is to a middle linebacker. Uh, Mike Nobs says hard to mention Wagner without KJ or Bam Bam. Well, he had a lot of great players around him. But I don't think that that just having the great players around him means that he's not also great. Um, it could be, but I think that it's also just that's why you ascended just having a top four, top five all-time defense in NFL history. Um, and when you look at other NFL defenses that have been uh, the, the creme de la creme, those late Steelers defense, the 85 Bears, the Ravens team, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers team, all those teams have a good amount of good amount of Hall of Famers to go in addition to with, you know, being great defenses with that. Nagasa says, for me, Luke Keekley is the best, if not top five, 100%. Yeah, the problem I got with Luke is just that you've got the one year. You know, you got the, the, the longevity factor is the part that does have to, to me, factor in and be a pretty big factor if there's a big difference between him and the other guys ahead of him on that list that, you know, um, the other guys on the head of that list that played a lot longer. So let's bring him up here. So indeed he had a, a really good career. A um, couple things worth noting here is as we go between this one, let's say Bobby's. You know, the AV, for instance, because he did only play, what, one, two, three, eight years for Brian, for for Luke Keekley. So eight to, let's say, Bobby's going to play 12. So he's going to play a third year longer in his career and play at a high level in that third longer. Um, certainly some pretty impressive stats from him. I'll, I'll give you that. The 18 interceptions, good for, really good for, you know, that time. Uh, the 66 passes defensed, awesome. Um, 12 and a half sacks. Obviously, Bobby's gotten beat a little bit there with that. The quarterback hits. Bobby's got him beat with that. So, you know, much better as a, as a pressure-based player. Um, Erlacher, uh, a bit better in coverage, I guess. Overall, we'll give, yeah, we'll give, him, a, we'll give him the edge in coverage. Um, but there wasn't anything that he did from a forced fumble, fumble recovery standpoint that set him out. You know, there's nothing you can look at with him statistically. You could say maybe his impact was a little larger, but Bobby had him in a lot of these years where, you know, Bobby's an all pro or pro, he's right there with Luke Keekley step for step or he's winning or Luke's winning it, you know, going back and forth a little bit with it. So that's where we come to me with Luke where I think Luke's a hall of famer for sure. I think the eight years is a close enough to a decade long to put him in. But I think that he's got a couple of markers here that are pretty far short. And not, this is not even speaking of tackles, which is kind of the most, maybe the most important stat to be tracking of any of the beyond that. Um, but Luke was an awesome player. I don't want to seem like I'm throwing shade at him. And like I said, I think he's definitely in Nagasa. A Hall of Famer for sure. Sean Lee says, 20 years in the league is so impressive. Oh, it's amazing what Junior Seau did. I mean, 268 games in his career, folks. 268 games. And that's only the regular season. 
I said, only, you know, for, for too bad for him that San Diego didn't get in the playoffs a whole lot, but then he had, uh, let's see, another, another 20 games on top, another, another season plus. So almost played the equivalent of 21.25 seasons overall total. Junior, junior was a beast. And boy, watching him as a kid, he was, he was fearsome. He was Ray before Ray. CJ says, uh, Keekley was neck and neck with Bobby each year ever since they entered the league together, barely edging Bobby in most people's opinion. He retired too soon, so Bobby has the edge. That's my feeling on it as well. Megan Gock Roger, thank you for the $5 donation. Sorry a little late to uh, acknowledge it. And uh, congrats on the jersey arrival, looking looking sharp. Says, you already know how damn happy I am that B-Wags is back. Time to get the jersey. And by the way, love the shirt, B. Gotta show Brian Bosworth a little love out there. Shout out to Brian. Let's get you on the show at some point, please. I know you're in the midst of filming Stone Cold 2. Ice cold. But uh, let's let's get you over here, man. Let's get you in on But thanks, Megan. I've been, I've been wanting to get a Bosworth shirt. Had to do it. Randall, did I heard Keekly was a flat earther? <laughs> oh. Oh, my goodness. I don't know. I don't know, Nagasa. I can't do the Luke Keekly's way better than Bobby thing. I don't, I don't know if I get to that, that spot of it. Bobby could tackle every bit as good as him. Keeklew was better maybe a bit in coverage. Bobby was better as a blitzer, you know? Um, both sat at the head of some really good defenses, you know? I can't quite get there. But thanks for the $5 dono, Megan. Hope you're having a good night. Donnie Pearson in the house. How you doing? Nagasa, eight years in bad for the NFL. And as I'm acknowledging, man, I, I do think that's going to be good enough for him to get in the Hall of Fame because I think all of those years were, were dominant um, that he did play in. Decades a loose number you want to get close to versus if you only have six, seven, that's where you're like, eh, it's not quite a decade, right? Eight feels a little closer to the decade than seven. Randall says, I heard Luke was betting against his own team. <laughs> Uh, CJ says, I don't care if uh, you think he was better than Bobby during their years in the league together. To say he's way better is downright foolish and disrespectful. No offense. I've, uh, we got some, we got some good debate here. Uh, Mr. Kane, I'm driving and listening. Let's go Hawks nest. Hey, let's go. Mr. Kane. I, I was uh, just going live when I saw your comment too, on the, uh, on the channel for uh, you post on the comment that you got through the book. So I want to say, first off, my brother that uh, thank you for uh, for getting getting through that full book. It's a, a long read, and I know it doesn't matter. It took you a day or it took you a, a year. I really do appreciate you checking out the book and you know seeing how it was. And I'm I'm so excited. Folks are getting a chance to kind of read it through and getting some feedback on it because you know it's like that's what you don't get when you're just typing. As you it sounds like you're putting your own book together. As you yourself know when you're sitting there typing away. Is this good? Is it gonna be crap? Is this just? Is this? Do I need to just put this away? Right. <laughs> so. I appreciate you getting doing it. It's not just a little, oh, it's a little, well, get this done in the afternoon kind of read. It's, it was a commitment. So uh, thank you, man. You are awesome for, uh, for doing that and leaving the review. Thank you for doing that too, man. Cause that definitely helps out on, uh, on Amazon for sure with those books. Hope you're having a good night, Mr. Kane. 
Connor Oshwagler. Osh, Connor, I'm just going to use your first name. I'm, I always butcher your last name. Uh, he says, Bobby is sixth on your list and sixth in AV for linebackers, so I say that's fair. He was also fifth in weighted AV, which is AV weighted towards best seasons. There we go. There we go, Connor. So I was kind of right on the mark. I mean, I'm, eye, I'm eyeballing this one, that's for sure. But I do feel like I'm also eyeballing it with kind of taking a lot of these different factors and putting it all together. It's not a fine science. There's not a formula that we can apply to these guys. We could, but it probably still wouldn't quite satisfy people on that. You can kind of just get close to the mark. But I think that it's, there's, I think this is a real strong case to be made. This is where he should be at. The level of sustained greatness he's had, um, just across the board, there's no place that he's weak where all these guys would seem to have some kind of place that they're just not as strong. Like a guy like Keekly, what I've argued, it's not the best blitzer. Not as naturally instinctive in that. He's not going to get the dip and bend and lean that Bobby can give you from that when you ask him to do it. And um, that's good. I didn't know that, man. So six, uh, kind of right on the mark then. I'll, I'll take that, Connor. I'll take that for sure. That's awesome. Alex Acedo, go Hawks. Seattle Nation, baby. Seattle all the way. Let's go Hawks. Go Hawks, Alex. Hope you're having a great night, man. Thank you so much for jumping in. Megan says the Boz shirt is only beaten by the Kraken jersey at the Hawks Nest. Ain't that the truth? Ain't that the truth? Connor says Bobby has had great years on bad Seahawks defenses and was good the first year on the bad Rams team. He's proven that he's elite without elite teammates. Very well said. Very well said. The Seahawks defense did not put a lot of elite talent across the board post-2015. As the Legion of Boom started to trail out, Seahawks made a lot of picks to try to restock that defense, but didn't restock it. And just because they didn't necessarily perform close to the mark of the prior, didn't, you know, did not mean you know, he had suddenly fallen off. And you know, we can talk about Luke Keekley, but Luke Keekley was also good because he had a lot of guys defensively to help him out in addition to that, right? Had another linebacker, I forget the guy's name, there was a Pro Bowl guy next to him at the time. Panthers always stacked up a defensive line that could run at that time in front of him and keep blockers controlled. You know, he had a lot of help as far as with that as well on his side of it. But um, yeah, it's a great point. He certainly shined even at times when the rest of this defense wasn't holding down their end of the barking. Avery Alvarez says, this might be the dumbest question, but can you remind me again why we moved away from Golden Tate? I was watching some highlights and just forgot how fun he was to watch. Um, well, I can tell you the rumored reason. <laughs> I, can, I can tell you the salacious reason that we've, that we've heard. And um, I'll give you what I've heard on this. And we'll, we'll, we'll take this from two standpoints, Avery. Number one, it's not a dumb question. It's a smart question. Number two, I think we got to approach it from two different angles. First off, the angle of the rumor. And then the angle of, okay, if that rumor wasn't true, this is why they did it. First off, there is rumors that Russell's, Russell Wilson's ex-wife and Golden Tate may have had a tryst. I may have talked to people that had been in the building that may have... Said to, said to me that, that there might have been some truth to it. 
We'll find out someday on that. The truth will set us free on that at some point, I guess. So it's easy to understand, Avery, if that is the truth, right? That makes it very clear and easy. You have a franchise quarterback here whose receiver has stooped his wife. So uh, we probably don't want to sign that guy back in free agency. Now, if it wasn't that, and those rumors are untrue, and for that, I would apologize directly to you, Golden Tate, if I'm wrong for presenting that back out there into the ethos. Though, again, I'd heard this directly related to me from people that had been in the building. But um, let's say it's just for the real reason, I think, that could have been on the other side of this, uh, which is that Avery, you have Doug Baldwin still on your roster. They love what they got out of Doug. He's a ferocious worker for them, all in, all ball the time. You've um, signed Percy Harvin um, to the deal that you signed him to uh, on that side of it. Um, and then I, I just don't think that the team was wanting to pay the amount that the Detroit Lions were looking to pay. They gave him, I think, a four-year or six-year, $40 million deal. It was a lot of money. And so, Avery, at that very same time that you're looking to have to pay, you know, Golden Tate, you're looking at the Percy deal coming in on the books. And you're, are you going to pay Doug Baldwin as well? You know, you got to kind of decide at that point, as we saw, I mean, this is, this clipped our, our Super Bowl team very quickly where, you know, you start winning Super Bowls, you start being that good, your guys start to be valued highly and other teams want to sign them and bring them over. And so in Golden's case, the team had probably a place of this is what we'd be willing to spend on you. And Detroit blew that out of the water because Detroit had money to spend and Detroit knows if we're going to try to sign a free agent to Detroit, we've got to cap on an extra 15% because you're coming to Detroit. It's not that way maybe now with the team on the rise, but when they were bad, when they weren't winning any games, that was probably very much the case. So you just, you had to, from a salary cap standpoint, you know, the official answer here is you had to manage things in a way where somebody was going to have to go. You couldn't keep everybody. And the team determined that it was better to keep a Doug Baldwin maybe over a a Golden Tate or that they had to kind of bleed out the money of Percy Harvin and that that meant that they couldn't then also bleed out the money of Percy Harvin on the dead money on his the books of his deal and then also bring in Golden Tate on a new deal as well while still paying in the other areas they want to pay while they're also then having to now have their young quarterback due to be paid for a monster extension and he's no longer making a half a percent of the salary cap. I think all of that kind of came together on that one, if not the first thing that I mentioned. D-Boy in the house. What's up, D-Boy? How you doing, man? It's good to see you. Uh, e. Gibson says, someone who I don't think you mentioned who could be a top five middle linebacker is Mike Singletary. He, is, uh, he was a leader and a game changer. I did mention him. Uh, I, it, was very, it was in passing. It was not giving Mike a lot of, a, a lot of stuff. Um, I've got Mike Singletary on my list at number nine all time. So Bobby at six, Chuck Bignerick at seven, Joe Schmidt at eight and Mike Singletary at number nine. So I do have him in the top. I do have him in the top 10. Um, did I just lose my place? Lost my place. Sorry. Lost my place. Where was that? Gibson. Um, I do have him in the top 10, Gibson, and top nine. But I think when you look at it, one thing that you do would ding, I think, Singletary a little bit for, even though he was super impactful and certainly has some accolades that are worthy of putting him in contention. The problem, I think, with him comes down to a little bit of the longevity factor versus him versus some of the other guys he'd be up against. And he doesn't quite have that Jack Lambert-like four Super Bowls on my resume and, you know, bu- 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 you know, absolutely dominant, even if it's in somewhat of a shorter span. But I will give you this, man. Any, anywhere between 5 to 12, I think there's of uh, those guys in that group, there's, there's solid arguments to be made for each 
placed and ranked anywhere in that area. One of the reasons why I hope you're with Bobby adding another year on as he's going to, adding maybe two years more on now, Gibson as he's going to, maybe now that opens the door to now separate himself fully from that class of, of those guys. And really he's a cut above in his view. Wu-Tang says, too bad it took a toll on Junior. It was. It's a very sad story with Junior Seau. Gone far, far too soon, that guy. He'd still be a great ambassador for football if he was around. And yeah, definitely, definitely the CTE thing's a real thing on that one with him. I think they even did the study with him on his brain after, afterwards, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, D-Boy says, B, that shirt is dope. I like that. The Boz, got to represent the Boz. I'm going to start getting some more of these shirts that are more just uh, not even necessarily this, you know, normal guys. Get some of the sideline guys if I can find it. See if I can locate a Kenny Easley shirt, you know. It'll we're going retro you're, We're going retro uniforms this year. I might as well start trying to incorporate a little bit of that into the show. Chad's Art says, the last time I was in L.E., just north of Vegas. I know that there's a Seahawks chapter in Nevada, just like here in Arizona. I'd love it. I do too. I've lived all over the country as well. And something I can uh, back you up on that, Chad, and haven't seen the same thing is that Seahawks fans are everywhere. You could be at Flagstaff. You can be in Phoenix. You can go find a Seahawks bar. It's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Nevada, same way. I know we, we definitely travel well, you know, those guys, those Pacific Northwest, they get tired of the rain and stuff. They go to different places in the country, but they don't lose their team because we're loyal. That's how we, that's how we roll here. You know what I mean? Garth, uh, Brando, Luke played like half of those eight, eight games in eight years. It's true. Eight, eight years played. He did miss, uh, he actually did okay, Garth, but you're right. No, he's, he did miss one, one game there. He missed six games there. I uh, missed another three games there. So, I mean, yeah, 10, good 10, 11 games on his, uh, on top of that missed over the course of that eight game career. So the impact's there, but that the longevity, how long you are you on the field available? I mean, that's that's gotta be played into it, I think a little bit as well. It's all gotta be kind of measured into it. And it is, our, again, it's arbitrary. It's gonna depend different, it's gonna differ person by person. But there's a point where if a guy has short of that longevity that you've gotta overcome that with with really backing up, okay, why then? Was he so far and away great in his shorter space of time versus other guy who played a third longer at the same kind of level of impact? Yeah. Uh, King Zoe says, Luke was the best coverage linebacker I've ever seen. I miss him. I miss him play on the field. I, I will certainly completely back that up and that one of the best coverage middle linebackers we've ever seen. And there, there was nothing not fun about watching Luke Keekley play football. The, the, the kid was, uh, you know, 100 miles an hour, passionate, ferocious, spirited. Uh, I agree with Nagasa. He's very smart in, in his ability to read and diagnose plays and, and figure out what was coming where. Luke was a really great talent. It's one of the things about this. It doesn't have to be a choice necessarily. I know we're ranking the list, but it's, it's not to say Luke isn't, wasn't a great player with his time, but he is missing that longevity. That's the part you can't you can't get through. Megan says, the Hawks nest. I have the head cold from hell, so I'm struggling to keep up. No worries, Megan. We're going to run a little just uh, short show today here, so we're not going too too long, and I'll be back on the members members deal tomorrow too as well. So we'll, we'll be, you know, kind of in and out of today a little bit. Wu-Tang says six for Bobby sounds right. Man is consistently excellent. That's a great way of putting it. What a beautiful term. Consistently excellent. I love it. Love it. Uh, Garden Knight, thank you for another $5 donation. I do appreciate it, brother. 
It says, Luke Keekley was slightly healthier than Jamal Adams in his career. Slightly. <laughs> he did miss some games. And that's, uh, Buckus has this going on to, with him too, to me, where Buckus only plays that seven, eight year span, right? Get the actual number. So he plays one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Well, I guess nine years technically, but he had one year he only played nine games. And, he, and then he's got a couple other years where he played 13 games. And then they only have the 14-game season. Um, yeah, you, I think you got to bury that in a little bit and go, okay, it's not his fault his career, his, his deal breaks down. But I think Jamal is a good reference. Jamal came to Seattle on a Hall of Fame trajectory. The injuries are part of what's going to stop that in its tracks dead. Um, Luke wasn't hit as hard, but he'll get in the Hall of Fame anyway, though. That's the part. Is he'll get in there, but I can't put him ahead of Bobby. Can't do it. Space in the house. What's up, Space? He says, love the shirt, Brandon. Thank you, man. Representing the Boz today. I almost shaved the sides of my head like Boz and did the Z. I was this close. I was so close. But then I remembered I'm going to have to go out in public at some point. Randall McDaniel, thank you for another $5 donation. Appreciate you as well, brother. And I do hope you're having a good night out there in the, the middle of Washington. It's hot as hell here. I'm sure you're baking too. He says, without seeing the advanced stats, I would have put Singletary above Bobby, but Erlacher behind him. Singletary, leader of the best defense e uh, ever. Well, let's bring him up. Let's, let's, let's compare here. Let's compare here. Because uh, have, I have heard that from someone else as well here where they're, they're thinking he should have been a little bit higher. Let's bring up, take a look at Mike Singletary's stats here. Um, and Mike was a dog. Don't, don't get me wrong. He was awesome. I've got him in my, I do have him here, um, Randall in my top, top 10. So I have him ninth. So let's take a look here at, at his, uh, his little career here for a moment. So we've got Mike Singletary playing, um, 81 to 92. So actually 11 year career, good long career. Um, tough with him because he came right in at a time when they weren't really tracking any of the stats. As you can see here, it's like, what? was the stats for this guy uh the av they've got him at 159 which would prove which would back your point up uh gar uh randall sorry i keep calling Garth. my bad um where bobby's at 150 and they've got the av on him at 159 uh 19 sacks bobby's got him beat there um on this the few go the few stats you can go off of he had seven interceptions bobby's got him beat there and you can't even really say it's a matter of singletary didn't play at a time when he wasn't going to have a lot of opportunities and coverage to go out there and get more picks if he was good in that respect of things because that Bears team was up on teams more often than not and he was going to get his opportunities. Bobby's got him kind of beating those two respective things um, for me, Randall. Um, he's got a, a long career. He was a two-time defensive player of the year, which is noteworthy. But I believe I also looked up with him, Randall, and that when I was able to track down the total sack, the tackle numbers for him, Bobby did have him beat in that respect of things too. Even when you broke it down to Randall, like, and I don't have the tackle numbers here available to me here, but when you ran it, you broke down the tackle per game between Singletary and, and Bobby, Bobby had him edged out. So Bobby, more sacks, more interceptions, more tackles per game, more tackles and tackles per game if we're just going back on to, well, Bobby, and Bobby hasn't even played longer. They both now played 11 years technically. So it, I gave the edge just to Bobby a bit more, but the two defensive player of the year points with Singletary or something that gives him a little bit of the feather in his cap in this, in this debate. He was on a historically, you know, great defense. Um, 
don't know if I'm going best defense ever, Randall. I think that's that that's definitely, I think, an arguable one because you could make just as much an argument that the Legion of Boom was the best defense ever. I think that when you put the Bears and the Ravens, Tampa Bay Buccaneers, uh, and then that late Steelers defense um, and the 85 Bears, you could kind of put them all together. And I think that's one of those places where everybody can make their argument for who's who should be the best, who should be the one that is considered the number one overall. And at the end of the day, with all those defenses to me, Randall, they're in a special state from any other defenses in NFL history. And there are those defenses that you can't really, um, you, you can't really like try to put one up over the other, really, because you can find different arguments to make over the next. So I can't give Singletary that edge over Bobby in that respect when comparing him because of that, because they both did that. They both accomplished that same thing. And, you know, Singletary got to a Super Bowl and won it. Bobby did that, and he got to another Super Bowl. Yeah. So I, I think he just gets him by a, just a nudge. Um, thank you, though, for that don't know, brother. So Megan says, just reread the book for the 12th time. Damn, Megan, thank you so much. Um, you know how I love it, but I am hoping for Pete or a, or a Jim Zorn cameo in the next one. I'm working on the Jim Zorn cameo, uh, uh, cameo in the next one. I'll get that one in for you, Megan. Next one, we'll definitely find a way to, I'll work in a Jim Zorn reference for you on that. <laughs> no doubt. Thank you for giving another read in that though. That's awesome. 12 times. Dang. That's a long book too. It, it is a long one. I saw the final page count on Amazon. I was like, wow. I went, I went long on this. I have a hard time being short, don't I? Be it my streams or books, like... I did not, I was not born with a very good edit button. <laughs> Everything needs to be included. AC Journey, thank you, Thomas Davis. So Thomas Davis, good defensive lineman up in front of him for, for a lot of that period too. It just my point being is just, you can't say, well, he, he, had, he was all alone and, you know, just doing what he could do in a sea of crap. You know, oh, he had a defensive-minded head coach for the most of his career and for all of his career and, you know, was going to put him in the right positions to succeed. I'll get that Jim Zorn one in there, though, Megan. You, you can bet. April Grimmer uh, says Bobby was an all-pro last year. There we go. I think he was a second. They had a second team, I think, Abel. But that's it. You know, he's accolade-wise, he's stacked up. It's going to be hard to find guys that are going to have him beat in that respect of things. And that's one of the gauges we're going to use. It's not the end-all, be-all gauge, but you're going to use a variety of different things to kind of, you know, posit this together as far as making the argument. And I think... That's one of the ones that's going to be key on this one at the end of the day is those all pros. That ain't Pro Bowl. Those are all pros that he'll have up on his list and a good stack of them um, to help him, I think, again, about separating yourself here, getting yourself into that top five place. He's maybe not quite there, but he's he's nipping on the heels of Erlacher and Butkus. Nipping, I tell you. Uh, AC Journey, to, or sorry, Kings Out, both money and... Uh, to do, to do. King's house is both money and Russell Wilson. That's true. It could have been both King. <laughs> could have been both the rumor and the money where they're like, we don't want to pay for it. And we got this whole thing. I made it probably a lot easier not to spend the money at that point. Nagasa says Bobby missed nine games in his first eight years. Uh, Luke 10. That's a great point. Nagasa. Fantastic point. Yeah, 2014. Only 11 games played. Gar says, oh no, Thomas Davis was no good. Luke was, uh, who gives a damn? That was Cam's team, right? 
Megan says, we use Junior as a case study in neuroscience degree. Oh, he'd be the right one. You know, Megan, 20, you figure 20 years of, 20 years of doing what he did, right? And then, you know, that's not even including high school, junior high, Pee Wee coming up, right? The amount of blows that guy's head must have taken over that time is oof. Young Bido Games says Golden Tate denied it, said Russ's ex and his current wife are still friends. Oh, that's cool. I mean, joke's on us. There's, no, I'm not going to say that joke. That would be an inappropriate joke. Um, yeah, I think it's a little bit like Megan says below Young Bido Games. If it was true, would you expect him to admit it, acknowledge it? It doesn't, it doesn't look good on Golden if it comes out as the 100% unequivocal truth, right? Um, it is a rumor. We don't know for sure, but that's the one thing I'd say about that is my expectation would be for a guy in that position to be like, no, no, hell no, 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 no. And this goes back to the old Eddie Murphy bit, you know? Wasn't me. Hey, hey, wasn't me. Hey, wasn't me. <laughs> if you guys want to watch an old funny Murphy bit, go back and watch his bit on that that he did. Uh, I think it was on Raw, but it's still applicable today. You know, it's, it's still the normal guy's man's excuse that they'll go to in those situations. Hey, 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 catch me red-handed? Wasn't me. Just deny. Deny, deny, deny. 360 Inspiration, stomach bacteria issue, bad week at new sales job, but at least I got the hawk's nest tonight. Bobby or Ray Lewis, who are you taking? Well, get better, man. Stomach bacteria, those always get a little bit crazy because they can turn sideways in a moment. So keep yourself hydrated and, uh, and good over there at 360. Um, I got to give Ray Lewis the nod. He's the number one middle linebacker in NFL history. Uh, he's got the, the, the crazy good longevity to go with the real important stats that he's bringing to bear, the accolades that he's bringing to bear, the multiple-time Super Bowl winner. Uh, you, you know, what do you, what do you want you know, to kind of look at as far as a gauge or a metric goes? 31 interceptions in his career, 41 and a half sacks, 99 tackles for losses. He's got an AV value according to pro football reference of 224. And we're talking about Bobby Wagner having one of 150 according to pro football reference on the other side of it. So he was a cut above. He was in his own his own neighborhood. Um, yeah, there's a lot of bluster that you get with, with Ray Lewis going back and watching him on his highlight, you know, looking crazy and and freaking out. But, uh, you know, he was just a, a real fine football player across the board. Um, and uh, shouldn't be forgotten about. I love, I love Bobby, but I, I, I do love Bobby, but Ray, Ray, Ray was, Ray was, Ray was Ray. You know, I don't think there's another better middle linebacker in NFL history than Ray. I don't. Abel Germa. Yes, I live in Texas, but now I'm going to go Hawks all the way. Hell yeah, Abel. We got to sometimes move to different parts of the country, but we don't leave our soul. We don't leave our loyalty. We don't leave our heart behind. We remember that, right? That's how Seahawks fans are. I always try to tell these old, these national folks to talk to me about band. Like, well, there ain't no bandwagon. You're a Hawk fan. You're a Hawk fan for life. You're riding with them for life. No matter where you are, where you live, where you reside. It's nice as this year you get the, uh, the YouTube thing kicking in now for you folks that haven't been able to watch it out of area and NFL never can give you an option or a way unless you wanted to get the NFL ticket. So it's going to even keep those, those folks further in the clutches. Grug, what about Patrick Willis? Patrick Willis is a really good linebacker, was a great linebacker too. He is, uh, I think, even got a shorter career span than Luke Keekley had. 
So while maybe on a very similar impact of Keekley, as far as uh, the type of player he was in when he played, he didn't play long, and he was a guy that I think even when he was playing did still have those injuries he was dealing with. Pro Football Reference has him at 108 AV total value, 112 total games. So he played one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. So I guess it's about the same career length as uh, Keekley, but 20 and a half sacks, eight interceptions, 16 forced fumbles, five fumble recoveries. He falls just short of uh, of a thousand combined tackles, where Bobby's up around 1500. Uh, 60 tackle for losses, which is a, a great stat for him. Uh, where we got uh, Bobby's at 78. Obviously, the length of the length of career for Bobby would help there. You've got uh, he was a four-time, five-time All-Pro. Was um, was Patrick Willis, but I think he finds himself more in the top 15 place of things when it all stands. CJ Kersman says also KJ has to be the clear second best linebacker in team history, right? It's a great question. It's a really good question. Um, number one, there's not a lot of other people that I think that you could come up with to bring up as far as possibility to compete with KJ. Um, there's nobody in the eighties. Uh, Michael Jackson. That was that we had we've had a couple of Michael Jacksons, folks. Uh, we had a Michael Jackson middle linebacker, pretty good. A couple other middle linebackers in the 80s that were all right. Uh, shout out to Dave Wyman. Um, but didn't have anything that you really brought to bear in the 90s, uh, with the exception of Chad Brown. So the two guys I would go at that I would say have a chance to push KJ Wright would be, well, I guess I can't. Yeah, yeah. Hold on. Let me take a look at Chad Brown. This is a great, great question, by the way. I'm interested in this one. So one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. So you've got you've got Chad Brown here eight years. And if you do go back and look at the productivity of Chad Brown during that time, he, he really played pretty well for our Hawks. Um, he was a guy lined up as not just an outside linebacker, but just all over the place. And certainly Chad did a lot of his damage as well once he left before and you know before he came to Seattle and after he left where he played a really long career himself, I think like 15 years. But I think that there is an argument to be made that, you know, while Cage has got, you know, he's got, I don't even think in total taxes, he's got Chad clipped for career. If we're just talking about just his Seattle career, then KJ's got him. But I think, I think Chad's got, you know, pressure-based stuff that... Good question. I think it's close between the two of them. So you got a ten-year career from you got a you got a nine-year career here. So you got a ten-year career from KJ right here. Thirteen and a half sacks, six interceptions, eleven forced fumbles. I mean, it's a good career, but I think it's close between him and Chad. But I think Chad gets forgotten about, and Chad had to do a lot of the same kind of dirty work that that KJ did while still also then being a pass rusher in addition to that. It's like whatever you ask Chad to do, he could do really well. So I think, uh, I think I probably would go with KJ when it's all said and done, but I think that, you know, both Tatupu and, and Chad Brown are nipping at his heels. Tatupu, it's tough. 
because he's even got less longevity than even a Chad Brown. You know, he's got a lot of really good years though, right? He had a lot of that scintillating production in a small, small time frame. But herbicide, how long did the Boz play? Not long. He was like two years and done, wasn't he? So he technically played three years, but he only played two games in his third season. So 87, 88, 89 was all he was able to roll. Four sacks in 87, his rookie year, by the way. That's the boss, baby. Boss. Guy just, body was done by the time he got to the pro level. Megan says, uh, I'm at 75,000 words for my 120th draft B and I have difficulty in editing and being concise. Oh, and I want an author's note shout out to B. Hell yeah. Once I get the books, I got to do the, uh, I got to do the uh, signed copies and stuff, you know. <laughs> well, stay on it, Megan. You, you know, you just got to just keep cranking, keep grinding. Then she gets the other side of it. Then you got to let it go though. Then you got to just throw the bird out the window and be like, fly bird. And if it lands on the ground, it lands on the ground. But it's hard, I know. I struggled with it for years. I got to my point this year, maybe when I said, I got to put time to post it. It's done. I've taken it as far as I can take it. Joe Mann says, uh, I love his movie Stone Cold. Stone Cold's an un underrated B movie back in the 90s. Not bad for a guy that's a former football player. There's been worse football players trying to go make movies. How about Marshawn making bottoms? I thought that thing was a joke when I saw that announced the other day. Like, they better be paying you all the money for that one, Marshawn. All the money. Herbert says, I knew it was long, thought it was longer than three. Hollywood came for him. Hollywood did come for him. Sam the Dog, the infamous, what's to, what's to rank on Bobby Wagner? He's walking, he's the, he's walking shoe, he's a walk-in shoe-in for the Hall of Fame. Also, he met me lots of times by the tunnels, so he knows who I am. Hell yeah, man. I got him top six, Sam Dog. Top six all time right now as it stands. And climbing, because he's not done. So he might still have further yet to go. Amazing I got PTSD flashing back to my brother's near fatal concussion when I was reading the case study B. Oof, brutal. Those head, those head injuries are tough. I jacked my head up about five years ago, put in horse fencing, and I don't know if I'm ever quite right. It's just getting back to right. Riverside says, I thought it was cold as ice. That's, 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 that's the sequel that he's making now. But no, it was just Stone Cold that was the first one. But now it's Stone Cold 2, Cold as Ice. And they're going to get that song, you know. Yo, it's cold as ice. Him on a motorcycle, you know, hair in the wind, bandana. You know what I'm talking about. Herbert says, ah, ha, ha, CT is genetic. <laughs> uh, Randall, thank you for another $5 donation. I do appreciate all of your support, brother, to the channel. Uh, my OG. This is if Hawks can hoist the Lombardi in a few years. Bobby goes to top three. That's true. That's what I love about this is that he ain't done yet and there's a variety of things that could propel him up further forward. And that could be one of those things that does it. It's a great point, man. It's a great point. 
postseason success, further accolades, further statistical buffers that he bumps this up. It's a great point. You'd have to, once you go, well, he played in three Super Bowls, won two of them. Did it in different generations at that point on those teams. A bit of what you give you know, Ray Lewis props for is he won the Super Bowl early on and then won late, later on. You know, had to do it with different, different guys at the helm there. 1023 says, Bobby's the best linebacker in the league. Ooh, 1023 going hard. Sam Dog, yeah, there'll never be another Ray Lewis. I, the league wouldn't allow it. They're going to let, let a guy play like that. It's like there'll never be another Dick Buckus anymore. <laughs> like, they're never going to let a guy play like that. Riverside says Ray was insane, literally. You kind of have to be to play that position, one could say a little bit. It's got a little bit of a, a screw loose. Joe Mann says Ray Lewis is the John Wick of linebackers. Very true. Very true. Herbicide says, I saw Beast Mode break his ankles. That's probably the worst point of tape for Ray Lewis in his entire career is, uh, is Marshawn Lynch busting him in the open field and completely breaking. It's hard to break middle linebackers' ankles. It's not like basketball where those guys will fall all over all the time. Like they're, They might miss the tackle, but you're not just going to get them to whoop, whoop, you know? You go left, I go right. And what made that one even cold, more cold-blooded is you had Paul Kruger of the Ravens also in the open field, and both him and Ray Lewis were corralling Marshawn. So they had the whole corral thing where they both had a beat on him. And Marshawn just went so deep. Marshawn went deep on the hesitation because he went, he went fully down this way as he cut back that way to where his chest was right on top of his knee. And to make just a bait Lewis into that's the cut I'm going to make and then bounced up out of it. Uh, that, was a, that was a naughty move by Marshawn. He did Ray real dirty on that. I'm sure at some point those guys, gonna, they talk about that one. I see Oxblue and Green. Did anyone mention Michael Singletary? I did. I've got him at nine on my list. I think he had a really, really good career. I think there's just some certain things where um, Bobby's got him a little bit beat on, just edged out by a bit. But kind of part of also the discussion here, Seahawks, Blue and Green, for anybody new in the chat right now, is it's anywhere where you go from probably 5 to 12, there can be some good heavy debate for all those guys about where they should be aligned and who should be where and what should be what. Um, you can make a case for any of them being anywhere in that sport, anywhere in that you know position. But just for my sake of choosing, I put, I put Singletary at 9. Uh, Randall with another $5 donation. Thank you, Randall. I do appreciate it. He says, uh, plus Ray got the ultimate intimidation factor. There's a good chance he killed a guy. <laughs> well, there is that. <laughs> Nothing scares the hell out of your opponent. Like this guy, this guy probably killed somebody and he's gotten away with it. Let's add that part in too, Randall, if that is the truth of it as well, right? Like, <laughs> if it already makes you a little like, eh, you're like, I'm a block and buying a block and like hard. I'll, I'll, give him a, I'll give him a little. Oh, hey, Ray. How's the family, Ray? How you doing? It's good to see you back in again. Everything you healthy out? You know, just got to do what I got to do out here. I'm not going to go too hard on you. Huh? Just keep it gentle, big guy. <laughs> keep it gentle. But yeah, I'm sure he had a... And he was already... You didn't even need that, Randall. Like, you didn't have to know any of that information with him. Just looking at the guy and the way he ran around, you, that was enough. Another one of those guys that they, they go to the iCam pre-play for the middle linebackers. This was a big move they did in the 80s, folks, is they used, to, they used to lock in on the face of the middle linebacker pre-play. Singletary was one of the famous guys for this because they'd go to Singletary and he'd be like this. 
And, uh, and so you had a little bit of that with Ray Lewis, where I'm sure grew up watching Singletary. And so he'd, he'd be doing the same thing. Just <laughs> I'm not blocking that coach. Nope. No, thank you. Mm -mm. Appreciate you, Randall, for all the donos. So that's Pedro Arquia says, oh, y'all, 66 in the box, and I slapped the like like strutting in. Thank you for doing that, sons of patriarchy. Appreciate you. Herbert says, the lack of beef in the middle is starting to scare me. It's got me concerned for a very long period of time as well. Um, let's go to the end of the end on this one, Herbert side. You know, I I put the Cameron Young video out a couple days ago. Uh, I knew there'd be a little bit of negativity behind it because it's a negative video it's for about doing the youtube channels if you post anything negative you know you're going to get you're going to get your share of slings and arrows because sometimes people certain contingent will just want the positivity stuff but you know i'm worried about it and uh one thing i will say that the folks that were a little bit naysaying about the video said that well it's you know it's because he was doing a bunch of slanting at mississippi state that's why the tape didn't look as good as he was just slanting. He was running across the line, just free and wild and never looking at the play. And the coaches told him to do that. And that's why he didn't have better production. And if that's the case, and he's doing something completely different here, which I, I can't quite understand how gap and halfing is so much tremendously different than slanting or single gapping, but perhaps it is by the measure of things. Then maybe that gives us a little bit more hope for Cameron Young. But uh, I do remain her beside, you know, it was also at the center point of the video I made where I, I posted out a couple weeks ago that I think the Hawks got to make another move here. It doesn't, I don't know where it has to come. Maybe it's now, maybe it's training camp, maybe it's just before the deadline, but there's another move that needs to be made here to reinforce the ranks on that defensive line. So I, I, I remain looking at it like that's the Achilles heel for this team right now. Um, it's the Achilles heel that's exposed and I don't know, kind of a little bit to a smaller degree, why the team's taken such a kind of a low-energy approach to the position. It does seem like there's been some comments from Schneider that he feels like at any time he can just, you know, open the door and pull in a zero-tech, will be functional and fine, and he doesn't have to value that in that way. Okay, I, that's a kind of a new thing to me. That's a new concept to me a little bit. You got you to find value. It's not just sitting on the streets when it comes to this type of stuff. And if it was, you know, Herbicide, if there are guys like that on the street that you can just go sign to just put in anywhere up on the line on this kind of defense, why didn't we do that last year when our defensive line was sucking wind for most of the season? Uh, I, I don't know. I think your, your um, worries are correct and well-founded. And uh, I think the team's got to do some more work here. We'll see once they get to training camp. Maybe Miles Adams has had the off-season of his life. He's been out there lifting those weights. But uh, I don't know. Megan says, Wyman B, you know I already have a problem dealing with your love of Dave Craig, but I think you tipped me over the, t the edge with the Wyman love, dude. I was, that was a joke, Megan. That was a joke. Dave Wyman is not an all-time linebacker on the team. Complete jokes. I got to work some jokes in here, Megan. It can't all be just my... My scintillating analysis. <laughs> so it's a patriarchy branded with the boss swag. I got to represent, man. Got to represent my team. Even going back, going back a couple decades. Michael YT, kind of fascinating that Bobby doesn't have more than 20 interceptions considering how great he was at locating where the ball's going to go. Yeah, 
I think uh, part of this also is a little bit representative of the defense that he's playing in. If you're playing in a defense, I think that's going to ask Bobby to do a little bit more man, especially when he was younger in his career and real fleet of foot. I think that that would have put him in more positions of having more interceptions, but playing in more of a zone-based defense and, and a, Z, a defense that's going to lean towards taking away the deep stuff and allowing the underneath stuff to, to be a little more prevalent, that just doesn't put him in those close opportunities to then make the interception. And so I think that's a little bit of a factor of it as well um, with it, is that you know the, the defense you run, Ray Lewis, then a 3-4 defense, when he's in a coverage situation, a lot of the times he's going to be matched up one-on-one. And he's going to be lined up with a running back or a tight end, and he's going to be trying to run step for step with them, which he's fast enough to do so. Um, so that's going to give him more opportunities to get those picks, just by the nature of that, the, the differences in those defenses. Freddie Young, E. Gibson, thank you. I forgot to, Freddie, Freddie Young was the one I was searching for too. I started Michael Jackson, I was trying to get to Freddie Young, but I, I couldn't quite uh, pull it together. He was another really good linebacker for us. Might be a little bit too short of a span in how well, how good he was, Not maybe not quite long enough. I think we traded him to the Colts eventually. But uh, he was a good linebacker for us too in the 80s. Herbicide says, love KJ. If you put on the pads today, he could help the team. Couldn't hurt. Couldn't hurt him. And uh, by the name, I was listening to KJ's KJ's channel the other day and they were talking about, <laughs> said, I'm still available. So I, I think he's still out there, you know, lifting the weight, staying in shape. And if something does go down, perhaps the Seahawks are, know that they can call upon him in an instant and bring him in there. It's possible. Ten twenty-three year old Thomas is my favorite. Uh, Megan says, if I was forced to choose between Wyman and Craig B, I'm taking Dave. I would take Dave too. That's correct. Uh, Roxanne Young, Roll says, Fred Young. Let's look up Fred Young, Roxanne. Let me not throw any, uh, let me not throw any shade at uh, Freddie Young, man. Let me, 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 let So Freddie played on Seattle. Yeah, kind of like I was talking about there, um, Roxanne. So he's only played on Seattle for four, one, two, four years. So you only had four seasons of him. And he did have a couple of really good years. Started at one sack, three sacks, six sacks, nine sacks. So he was really good in that respect of things. AP defense, AP defensive player of the year. In 87, all pro, great year, pro bowler throughout. So, I mean, he's a little like Lofa there, Roxanne, where he does have four years of being a pro bowler. One year of those was an all pro. Boy, we got out on that one at the right time, I'll tell you that. We traded him to Indianapolis, and he was not the same player. Like He was done in three years after that. What a weird career. But um, he is a rightful place to be maybe considered. The four years is hard at that point. That's where it's just a little short, Roxanne, for, as far as that. Like, he kind of needed like six years to be in that kind of place, I think. But four years of outstanding production. Four years pro bowler. And I don't have a lot of the stats as far as extras to go off of because they weren't tracking it as finely at that time when he was playing. But uh, very impressive for the short span he was in. Kind of in that loafer realm. Good to see you in the chat, though, Roxanne. Hope you're having a good night. Sons of Patriarchy, hope the work week is going well. Stoked for summer and the upcoming season, man. I hope the uh, glaring deficiencies are balanced with some freak production. Me as well. 
having some of the guys in that are second year guys, sons of patriarchy, start to take steps forward would be great. Maybe some surprises like on Eskridge that a lot of people have, uh, including myself, certain respects, uh, you know, passed off as not having any potential of having any kind of impact on the team going forward. You know, there's those, those are the happy surprises that do come along. Um, and that would be nice. That would be nice, like you say, to kind of overcome some of these glaring deficiencies. But uh, it works. Week's going great, man. Having uh, having a great off season here, doing the content with you guys, been able to keep it up nice and consistently, and we're slowly starting to turn the page over here into uh, training camp. It's just around the corner, and I think we're going to be in for uh, for a real fun season this year. I think we're going to be in for some real good. It's, I think this team's going to make some noise. I don't know if it's ready quite yet to be elite, but it's going to make some noise. Gonna make a lot of teams uncomfortable. I'll tell you that. Megasa, what about Erlacher and Zach Thomas? Just I had him just uh, on the outside looking in. So uh, I had um, well, no, no. So I had Brian Erlacher. I had Nagasa at number four on my all-time list, and then I had Dick Buckus at five, and then Zach Thomas I had at 10. Um, so I had him dipped just behind Mike Singletary on my list, and then I put Nick Bonacotti and Chuck Bednarik up, uh, up, ahead of, um, up ahead of Zach Thomas Nagasa, but I did have him as a top 10. Erlacher, number four, two spots ahead of Bobby. 1023 Cam did retire too early. Indeed. Marcus, don't forget Leroy Hill and that underrated mix of linebackers. Good good player as well. Good player as well. Um, certainly that first season, he was really looking like he was on his way to maybe even start him. Uh, he didn't quite ever kind of take steps forward beyond that first year. Still gave you pretty good play across the board, but never quite got to kind of the promise he was showing in that first season. Um, and a guy, a guy that was here, I think, for about five years so pretty good production but nothing startling but yeah decent career here he could hit too marcus i'll tell you what that guy could lay the wood violent violent megan says i'm getting very frustrated with the book 35 years into the writing and planning and i'm done that's what eventually happens i think to write author that's what happened to me on my book megan you know you get that place i'll never get this done i'll never get this done and then you kind of wake up one day and you go okay I've read it through one, one more, one went through one more last time. I've gotten into as far as I can take it. Let's, you know, because there is a place I think that you get to where you can kind of start to maybe even. It's what I was worried about with mine, where you start to over, overcook it, right? Too much through. Too many read throughs. Too many changes. Uh, Guard Knight, thank you for the five dollar donation. Brando, give me some Polly Shore comparing Bobby and Ray Lewis, buddy. I'm going to tell you about the two best middle linebackers in the sport. Alright, buddy. I'm going to tell you about Bobby Weckers and Ray Lowini. One hit hard, another one hit harder. One squeezed the juice, other one not doing no squeezing. <laughs> I like Bobby. I'm a West Coast guy, buddy. I got to work on my poly, right? Garth, <laughs> my poly's still too weak. 
I've been trying to get tap back into that one, but he's a little bit tough on the rough of the show. He's rugging the roll to the hoppy dough. Can't get no raven on the down low, buddy. <laughs> Thanks for the donation, Garth. I'll try to sprinkle a little more, uh, a little more uh, poly. <laughs> Not my best, but I like doing it. Mega says, B, will neither confirm or deny that a character in the book may or may not be based on your good self. Oh, hell yeah. I dig that. That'd be cool. I'm going to get the book. I'll be able to see that character right there. Yeah, that's me. Yeah. No big deal. Just kind to me. <laughs> I dig that, Megan. That's cool. See, now you got to get it published. I got to read it. Or besides, says, imagine Bobby playing five more years in an all-pro level. Could you imagine? I mean, if the defense starts to round into shape, if, if he's able to preserve his body and take care of his body and keep it going, I mean, if five years might be hard, but even four, three, three or four more years, what that would do if he's able to put up upper level production over that period of time. He defines himself in a way of separating himself in NFL history in a way where it becomes inarguable, in my opinion. Three more years of Pro Bowl to all pro level of play. You're talking about a guy now somewhere in the neighborhood of 2,000 all-time combined tackles. 1500 solo tackles he'd be up around probably 35 he'd probably be around 40 sacks for his career 20 some odd interceptions I, I or maybe not even that but just you know somewhere in these kind of realm as far as the numbers go i mean it's that's just those numbers loom it starts to join into the ranks of the lewis and junior say to where it's just above the rest you can't deny it it's too much production for too long you can't be pulling some Keekly out at that point and going, well, what Keekly? It's like he played half the career this guy did. How do you, how do you, the, the level of dynamic impact you got to have at that point to over supersede someone else like Bobby to that, that degree to me has got to be, you better be all pro, all pro, defensive player of the year, defensive player of the year, all pro defensive player of the year. You know, I better see something like that if it's going to override that longevity and not just longevity, but the consistency of that longevity. Bases Lofa was the man, best rookie middle linebacker ever. Yeah, I'd agree with you on that. Yeah, his first year was better than even Bobby's first year. Lofa was a star right from the jump. Uh, Nagasa says, totally forgot Lennon Fletcher, like everybody else. I did have him on, Nagasa, I had him on, if you watch the top of the show, I did have him on my honorable mention list. So he's a guy that I would put certainly in the top 20 as far as all-time middle linebackers. The issue that London Fletcher has, I think, is a little bit of the same issue that Levante David has. Long career, really good production, but were they at any one point in time really considered the best in their sport or near the best in their sport? And, and it's really more about the consistency in their production for such a long period of time than it is that they were really, you know, that they've got the longevity, but they don't have the necessarily the greatness. And I think that you've got to have both if we're talking about being a measurement of in the top 10. Top 10 middle linebackers should have both of those two aspects to them. And with London, he's got the consistency. I just don't think he's got the, the greatness. Uh, Sons of Hierarchy says, sometimes I get got, but I get mine more than I get got, though. That's right. One of the great Marshawn quotes. 
Terry Tate is an honorable mention. A little Terry Tate love. I love it. Got to go back on these. Megan says, Ray Lewis gave the whole crazy eyes a whole new meaning. Boy, did he ever. Yeah, Singletary had the crazy eyes too. Singletary just, he'd get those eyes open like this. It's like, I'm not blinking. I'm not blinking. Especially that Chicago cold winters, right? With that airs frosty, not blinking, just what they do. What they do. What they do. Uh, Garth Knight, thank you for the $5 donation. Appreciate all the donations tonight on the, uh, on the channel. Garth, you're awesome as ever, brother. It says, we need a coach to get Swayze or Cam Young to get the steps down before opening day. <laughs> we, well, unfortunately, we'd have to dig up Patrick if we're going to make that happen, Garth. So uh, we'll, we'll have to see on that. And uh, look, that's something what the people were, a couple people were saying on the video in the comments of my video were saying like, well, no, it's just he's slanting all the time and we're not asking him to do that. And then uh, based off of that, he's a good prospect. And based off of that, he's going to be, I, this is all I can read on what they're saying because I keep coming back to, you know, Garth, like we come back to, and, okay, so Mississippi State was asking Cameron Young to slant a lot. Okay. He wasn't doing it all the time. No. Okay. So what's the tape that I go to for, this is the thing I'd love to ask the people that are big Cam Young pro, like he's going to be awesome. Um, and not knocking him, not dinging him, but just to say like, I watched a lot of his tape. There wasn't one game that I walked away from going, here's a real, even middle of the line prospect, a fourth round prospect, a late third, fourth, early fifth prospect. I don't see that on the tape of any of the games I'm watching that, that calls for that to be it that way. What, what have you, where are you seeing that from? And I still have yet to see somebody that goes pro cam that comes back and goes, watch the, um, you know, go watch the Florida state tape and da, 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 da. And you'll see it with that, what they pulled from. You can find good plays. Like I posted in the video of cam, you can find those plays, but there's a reason I used only a couple of games in the breakdown points that I launched to that video because I was trying to illustrate a point that I wasn't cherry picking the bad plays from all of these different games from all of these different places. And I'm just showing you a good collections of snaps from each of these games that are really bad snaps. Um, and that's where I come down to. I can get sold on the player, but with Cam, I don't have the PFF. The, the, somebody else posted that he's a great athletic guy. For and it's like, how? He didn't test well. He was 6.33 relative athletic score. And then the tape doesn't fall. You know, what, what do I lean on to then walk away on a guy like that and go, no, no, he's going to be actually awesome. And maybe it's just simply the, the slanting stuff, Garth, you know, and that's what they were saying. But I feel like there's a little bit more with him. And uh, yeah, I don't think even Patrick Swayze on this one. I don't even think Dalton Swayze, Garth, right? We're getting a new Roadhouse movie with Jake Gyllenhaal. I don't even think a Dalton Swayze would be able to get that one done. Appreciate you, brother. Uh, Herbicide says Jack Lambert's the one that would bite you. Yeah, he was, he was gnarly. He was gnarly. Joe Green might have been the best player on that Pittsburgh Steelers defense or the corner that they had that was one of the original real big corners. But uh, Lambert, Lambert might have been the most ferocious, the, most, the one that struck the most fear in offense's hearts. E. Gibson says, my mom is an OSU alum. She gave me the Jack Tatum autobiography when I was like 12. Here you go, sonny boy. 
It was a good book. Hopefully, it was a good one. Herb's I losing love, love KJ. Losing KJ was borderline the worst out of everybody for me. Oh. Well, he didn't want to go. Much like Bobby, it seemed like he wanted to still stay here and be a part of the team and, and not move on. You know, that's for sure. Lance Johnson, Joe Nash at 73 years old is signing after week one to back up a defensive line, unguaranteed contract. The best at taking a dive to give the defense a breather. Boy, was he ever with those K-gun, hurry up, Buffalo Bills, Cincinnati Bengals offenses of the 80s. And uh, Joe Nash, talk about another underrated player, not a middle linebacker, but guy played freaking 15, 16 years here in Seattle. Lunch pail, hard hat kind of guy. Well, actually had some pretty good stats too. Still ended up, I think, with like 50, 55 sacks in his career. Yeah, a little bit to him. He wasn't just a kind of a try hard, rally the ball kind of guy. But at this rate, Lance, with the options we have at, at play that are on the streets that are available for trade, Joe might look pretty pretty nice after week two if this if this line can't hold up. Hold on one second, folks. I'll be right back. Uh, Mega says, B, would be, would you be in for coming to training camp with me in 2026 as my early 50th birthday gift to myself? Sure. That's long enough for me to plan, Megan. I'm wanting to get to these training camps either, anyway at some point here, so that'd give me a good reason to do it and get it done that year if I haven't already, but let's do it. Hells to the yes. I'm down. Totally down. CJ says, my lasting memory of Tatupu was when he picked off the Eagles three times in one game. Such a wildly fun game to watch one player completely dominate. I do recall that. That's actually, CJ, one of my greatest moments in Seahawks history on the uh, channel. I did a video on that, uh, that very game, kind of featuring Lofa a little bit within that in his career here in Seattle. Uh, but that was uh, an amazing game. He certainly just was absolutely on it in that one. And uh, that'd probably be my lasting memory. I remember uh, certainly the Carolina game and the hit that he put on the running back 
Um, one of the big, one of the greatest hits in Seahawks history. He hurt himself as much as the running back. I think the running back had to go to the hospital. But you also knew at that point the Panthers were down their running backs. He he kind of took the last guy out that they had as far as their stable goes. And you know you kind of had the Panthers at that point. That's another moment with Lopa that really does you know stand out to me with him. Fun player. Jonah the Whale, what's up, man? Good to see you in the chat. Herbicide, I was watching Julian Love interview. I'm starting to like the guy. Me too. Seems like a good, solid guy. Seems like he's on it. A lot of guys on this team that seem like they're kind of all about ball. It's good pros. Roxanne says, David, the heater Hawthorne. It seemed all the linebackers during the home era seemed to not stay around very long. It's true. It's very true. David, I think, did Roxanne last, I want to say, didn't he last a little bit into Carol's time here? Like he made it just at the end, like he made it just, he might have made it through more end into Carol's like first year. But uh, Hawthorne, man, he was a hitter, wasn't he? That's why they called him the heater. Is he did up. Bit of a playmaker too. But yeah, he was a fun player, fun linebacker. Mr. Carroll, bro, can you do Neo? Do Neo? Wow, what do you mean? Like, Keanu Reeves? I don't know. Wow, Neo, I'm the one. Whoa. I can do a little Neo, I guess. Uh, Megan says, need some Cosell if he's around. When looking at the potentiary, the tapestry of middle linebackers in NFL history. One need not look further than Bobby Wagner, the Utah graduate, the champion of the Seattle Seahawks 2013 squad that goes down in history as one of the best ever. Where does he rank? What is his place amongst the pantheon of NFL greats? That is the question we are trying to solve today and answer in full. And from this announcer's standpoint, from my indomitable tone, you may take away certainty and understanding that he is indeed sixth all-time in NFL history. One Mr. B-Wax. Cosell really likes him at six. Definitely would have had Bobby at six, no doubt about it. Makes his junior assistant hockey coach B. <laughs> Henry Mars looks like Charbonnet hasn't signed yet. What's up with that? Uh, yeah, why haven't the remaining signed contracts happened? Second round pick. Uh, the tough part about this, Henry, tough part about getting the Derek Hall deal done as well is that the NFL PA, as I understand it, is starting to push for trying to get more guaranteed money built into the second round contracts, trying to get the deals fully guaranteed. And this goes against what the NFL has traditionally wanted to do with second round contracts. And so it's got the, the team probably bristling a little bit um, in, as far as being willing to do that kind of deal. So and NFLPA is kind of driving this a little bit more and it's making some of these contracts take a little bit, takes a little bit longer. Mr. Carroll, I don't know if I did a good knee or not. 
I do can't my my Keanu impression's always been the one word. I always do the one word, you know. Whoa. <laughs> Dude. I don't know. Yeah. Okay. I, <laughs> he doesn't say a lot, you know. It's okay, Keanu. It's not bad. It's good. I like the Seahawks. Yeah. He gives and says Jordan Babineau's tackle on Romo on the fumbled snap first Dallas 06 playoffs. It's a beautiful moment. Beautiful moment. So it's a patriarchy NCNO Chad with Brandon as Brendan Frazier. I'd do it. I'd do, I'd do a remake. That's one reboot I could get behind. I can grow my hair long. I can still pull that off. Herbicide, Ika was available for us in the third. I don't know. I was really, oh, sorry. Speaking to Henry on that. Three hour. We got Denver's fourth next year for our third this year, right? Uh, no. You've got uh, three hour. You have Denver's third. So you have Denver's third next year and you got Denver's fourth round pick this year. So you got two picks for one. More picks is more picks is right, man. But it's a third, was it a four? It's a third rounder. Yeah, we got a third rounder next year. Herbicide, we need the beef. Where's the beef? What are you thinking? Sli uh, sliding read to nose tackle. He's the biggest dude we have on our team. I mean, at the end of the day, you got to do what you got to do at that point, Herbicide, right? You can stack some guys up at defensive end. You can't stack a lot of guys at zero tech and pass cam. Uh, you don't really have anybody else that's going to be able to do it. Jonah Tavai, undrafted rookie free agent, is not going to be able to do it. So at this point, unless the team does sign somebody else, Reed's kind of the guy that you would say, I guess, is going to be your nose tackle. It could also be here, let's acknowledge this, Herbicide, that the team's not necessarily on board with running the 3-4 at a high rate. They ran the 3-4 last year, but what else did they run? The thing that was driving me absolutely up a wall, and many of you as well, the two-man front where you, you align one guy, you essentially align both of the guys in almost a one-tech state. I mean, one's kind of a one-tech and the other's a three-tech on a two-man line. But then rather than having the defensive ends on the edge, you've got the outside linebackers and wide nine technique on the far outside of the tackle's shoulders. And so what you end up creating then in that situation is the gap space that I was hating that was just getting waylaid by teams, especially in the run game. The one upshot of doing it that way, Herbicide, though, is that if they're going to run the two-man fronts, you don't then need a zero tack, right? You don't really need a true nose tackle because you're just having a guy do the, I mean, a nose tackle is a one tack or in their alignment basically what they're doing, but you don't need it as far as the guy heads up over the top of the center. Reed has more familiarity being a nose in a one tack 4-3 defense than he does being a zero tack uh, in a 3-4. Jonas says, nobody has crazier eyes than Michael Singletary. It's true. It's, it's very true. Save the Geese says, why do these analytic NFL people think their graphs and ratings have any real meaning like they do in baseball? They're ridiculous at times with their ratings. Um, well, I think it's a, it's definitely, I think, a um, evolving thing, analytics in football. My, my take on it's been Save the Geese that people are very anxious to start to incorporate it in every way that they can, like they have in baseball or basketball. 
and that it's just not quite a state because there's too much variance and there's too much human error involved in creating the analytics. And the whole point of analytics is that you don't have really human error or you get as far away from human error as you can to get, to get numbers that really give you the true tale of the bottom line in the depth that they provide you it. Um, and so there's an anxiousness at this point as it has lagged behind baseball and basketball to get these analytics adopted and inputted in, you know, in full. Um, I tended to look at it like it is a tool. It shouldn't be save the geese, in my opinion, a tool to be the end all be all tool for a player or a team in order to cement your whole argument. It should be a building block that you're putting in addition to other items. If you're going to put together something to, to say, well, this defense sucks because of this, or that player sucks because of that. Sometimes we only have the analytics to fall back on versus some of the other stuff. But if you have the other stuff available to you, be it the film, be it, be it other things you can lean on, I think it's it's great to kind of lean into that stuff. But I think that there's some value into it. It shouldn't be the it shouldn't be looked at as the Bible, but um, I think that there's definitely some good information within it that can tell you some things that you know, uh, even just tendency stuff, right? What teams use personnel grouping wise? What which way do teams tend to run? Which way do tend teams tend to slide their protections in pass pro? Which you know there's some there is some things that do fall under the analytic element of things, which are um, certainly productive, even it stands right now and helpful to building a game plan and knowing what your weaknesses and strengths are as a team. But it's a work in progress, save the geese. It's not anywhere near its final form of, and whereas I think in baseball and basketball, a lot of times, some of those analytic things are kind of in their final form. I don't think they're going to get better and more refined um, in their evaluation process of those numbers. Herbside, I'd love to see KJ as a coach, but I think, uh, you know, he he's probably more in the realm of getting this social media stuff going. You know, he just got the, the channel up and running now uh, here on YouTube and he's been doing the stuff at 710. So I think he's kind of at that place where he's trying to make that, that Roy's on NFL network. Um, that seems to be kind of the guy that he's looking to go down. I'm sure he can be, the guys can call him anytime if there's some advice that he needs to give or whatnot. Oh, I did remember that Roxanne, right? Heater did make it to Carroll's first season. Yeah, I, I remember him, Roxanne, from the Eagles game, I want to say. I thought it was. Herbicide says, Will Sasso doing the Jesse the Body is my new favorite. Well, you'll be happy to hear, Herbicide. I'm working on my Jesse. It's hard, but uh, I'm working on him. So I'm not going to unveil him onto the channel until I've got him right. But uh, Ventura is going to be one of the next. I'm kind of working on a Ventura. I'm working on a little Nicholson. They're definitely in a. They're they're in the, the early process. So I I ain't whipping it out right yet, but soon. Ryan Ball says this season is going to tell us where this team is going. Either the, either the Hawks take a dump and win six games, eight percent chance, stall, and win nine or 10 games, which there's a 33% chance, according to him, or take a leap and win 12 to 14 games, which there's a 59% chance. Uh, I like that. I'm good with those odds, Ryan. Um, I think that there is definitely the bottom line result on wins and losses could tell us a bit about where the team is going. I, I think that beyond the wins and losses, if we're seeing things per, per, uh, 
progress, if you're looking at guys develop and taking steps forward, and you're seeing that 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 is going, I think that that's going to be um, also a thing that could give me that indication that they're going in the right place. I'm, I got to be honest, Ryan, I'm not quite. Um, I'm not quite to the point. Number one, I agree with your stats. So that part of my, we're in complete agreement on. I'm just not quite there on the conclusion being the wins losses are going to tell us a lot about where the team is at. If you go out and win three games this year, certainly that's going to draw people to a negative point with, with Carol or Schneider. Um, but let's say we get to the, you know, eight wins, nine wins. And uh, you know, you just have young guys still kind of finding their way. You have a very young roster at that time that's probably going to average about 25 and a half years of, old, years of age. Um, one of the, I think it'll be one of the younger rosters in the NFL this upcoming year, actually. And, and so that's the part where I come to and I go, Ryan, on that, if, if we don't quite get the returns on the wins and losses this year, absent it being Coach Carroll reverting back to the old defense or reverting back to defense that's just soft and allowing teams to just pilfer him, the offense backtracking, young players not taking steps forward in their development. Absent those things being what we see of that team that comes to an eight or nine win territory, I'm going to be kind of patient myself coming into this year with that because it is such a young team. And it's very hard to get yourself to an elite state when the average age of your roster is 25 and a half years old. And, you know, the thing that I keep coming to my mind is that, man, you won the Super Bowl with the youngest roster in NFL history at 26 and a half years of age. Now you're going to be a year younger on average and have a chance to go back there and do that this year. It's a tall task. It's possible. It's within reason and reach, but it is going to be a, 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 a tall mountain to climb for them to get over that, at least according to what history's told us about teams that are that young, no matter how talented they are. We do have the right coach to get it done, but you know. Megan says, uh, what does Howard think Bobby has to go? Uh, what does Howard think Bobby has to do to go up in ranking? It's very simple. If he were simply to go out and put two more seasons of high-level productivity out, I would put him for sure above the man from the midway, the monster himself of the midway, Dick Buckus, and then the second monster of the midway, Brian Erlacher. At that point, it's undoubted. He would have to be placed number four all time in NFL history. Howard thinks he gets up to four. I don't think he can crack top three unless he just goes super ham. But, you know, it's possible. Herbicide, uh, you read my mind, man. I'm working on the, I'm working on the Jesse Ventura. But he's a, he's a hard one, man. So I'm, it's, I'm trying to get it right. But I can, I can get him for like two phrases and then I lose the voice currently when I get it. So I get the two phrases, you know, if I get him talking about, let me talk about, um, I, I just, even right now it's a little bit off. So Jesse, I'm working on though. It's going to take some while to master, but that's a fun one to do. And I didn't, I think I'd have, I think I'd enjoy myself picking up the, picking up the Jesse. Ryan says, I think the box go 13 and four. I love it, Ryan. Love the confidence, man. I could see it. I had us on the schedule, at least with Brendan, I think at 12 wins for the year. So I think it's within, uh, it's within reach. Randy McDaniel, thank you for the $5 donation. Thank you for all the donations tonight on the stream, man. It says, getting a real good vibe with this team. Time will tell, but I think we have a shot. Definitely need to dress up front and stay healthy. We are deep. 
Well, as I say, I, I think that there's a variance to where this team could go next year. I think Ryan mentioned in the 13 wins is a possibility. I think this team's got a lot of fluctuation uh, for what we might see from this team as far as the final result goes. And that's usually unusual because you can usually, I think, for the most part, pigeonhole a team into a three-win kind of variant spot and go, okay, we'll be in that range probably, somewhere in that in that territory. But uh, I'm getting a great vibe from the team as well. The team has really doubled back down, it seems like, as you listen to the interviews of these guys, especially you, the young guys coming in that their head's on straight, that they're they're all about ball, that they want to learn, that the early reports are that they're hungry to learn, um, that they are hungry just period. Go listen to a guy like Jarek Reed talk, and he's just he seems completely like a guy that's that knows what's ahead of him, knows what he's got to go out there and do, knows what he's got to go get done, um, and he's going to go get it done. Um, that's the way. That's the vibe you get from that guy when he speaks and talks about it. So I'm the same way, Randall. I'm 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 loving the spirit we're hearing from this team. You're you get the. Just every interview, you're getting the feel of, hey, it's all about ball. And I keep coming back to that point of feeling like to get to being an elite team in the NFL, you've got to find a way of getting close to that kind of chemistry of what you had back in the LOB days that allowed you to get to a Super Bowl, which is guys that were not only just tight within the locker room, but were all about ball even when they were off the field, You know that they were still thinking about football in their minds, that it didn't just clock in, clock out kind of mentality but they truly loved the sport. They truly were hungry to be great. And they knew all of the extra steps that they were going to have to take to ascend to that place. And this team seems to have, at least on the surface of it, the first view of it, those guys that are locked in and seem to understand that. And it's across the board, Randall. Like you say, it's deep. It, that, that mentality seems to be deeply intertwined into this, into this team. Um, if we fall short, it might be because of a talent. We fall short, it, it might be because of uh, a hunger. But it's not going to fall short because you've got a lot of troubled locker room guys or you've got cl- clicks in the locker room or divisions. I don't think that's going to ever be any kind of possibility of something on the table for us this upcoming year. Especially with the leadership we've got in the building. Thank you, though, Randall, for the donation, man. Appreciate you, brother. I dig the ox. Uh, hi, everyone. Sorry I'm late. Did something happen with Young at Nose Tackle? Nope. As Henry says, I'm I'm just a little bit down on him. I was just more, I'm just trying to more respond to, I don't know, I'm not, at times don't have as much time to respond to comments in the YouTube videos as much. So I'm, for those that did may have commented that I get a chance to respond to back on the slanting stuff. Um, just trying to respond to that a little bit. Randall with a uh, $2 donation says, I have an ex-girlfriend with crazier eyes than Singletary. (laughs) Uh, Yet she still got you, huh, Randall? She must have just been amazing in other ways, I guess, my man, huh? To offset, like, she's got crazy eyes, but boy, she insert the blank, 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 blank. (laughs) You don't want that in the middle of the night, eyes looking at you like that. The whites of those eyes, you'll see those in the dark. Like, why are your eyes so wide? Don't worry about it. Okay. I'm going to go to bed. Okay. I'm just going to look at you. <laughs> I probably had a few girlfriends with those eyes too. When, when I, especially when I pissed them off. <laughs> Thanks for the donation, Garth. I appreciate you. Or right, Randall. Like, you're going to go Garth tonight, Randall. He's a little, everything's flipped tonight. Age showing or something. How long did that last, Garth? Or just Garth, you Garth again. How about long that? How long did you last that girl? Was that a couple weeker or was that a couple monther? Or is that a one weaker? CJ, after the Eagles 
and 49ers, is there any team in the NFC going into the 2023 that you could definitely, keyword, definitely, say is better than the Seahawks without nitpicking? I have them at three, unbiased. I really feel like number three is a fair place to place them as well, CJ. Um, I try to go back internally on this one and reroute it to go, well, okay, you know, it's just, that's obviously is the bias speaking to say that. But we have gone through these divisions a couple of times and looking at them. And I just keep coming back to the fact that it's, it, it's as much about the weakness of the NFC as it is about the strength of the Hawks. And the Hawks have their share of strengths. But it is about the weakness and how undermanned right now the NFC feels. And, and when you can go to teams that are kind of maybe in a general place or fashion close to Seattle from a talent standpoint, what they put together, there's, there's still way more holes that they have across the board that I think you can kind of dig into that then, you know, end up offsetting that. You know, Cowboys are rumored to move Micah Parsons full-time to the edge. You know, now what does that do there for middle linebacker position? Had them having moved out, missed out on Bobby and Leighton Van Der Esch kind of brought back begrudgingly a little bit there. Helps out their defensive line. That's better than us. But we got to beat a linebacker. We got to beat a corner. We got to beat at safety. We got to beat on the offensive line. Got to beat a wide receiver. Got to beat a running back. Got to beat a tight end. You can kind of do that when you go down the line on a lot of these other teams in the NFC. And so I, I, I just think that that's the right spot. Three is the right spot. And I, the Eagles or Niners are ahead of us. But, you know, it's like, Eagles, Niners, us, and then the rest of the people are kind of right there below us, another another rung. Herbicide says, I just want to make the I just want to make it past the first round of the playoffs. That's my only go. That would be nice. Making some making some progress this year at the very least in the playoffs, getting to win now or getting to the conference championship. Starting to build and put things together a little bit. That would be wonderful. This is a bit what the 2012 team did, right? Where it went out. Got to win on the road in Washington, in the playoffs. Came back on the road again the next week to play Atlanta and nearly took them to the brink as well. And that helped to build you up for the next year to get yourself back around to getting out there to the Super Bowl, making that run. Megan says, not feeling the best B, so I'm heading out. The Hawks test. Sounds good, Megan. You have yourself a great night. I'll be on tomorrow on uh, on the members only vid we're going to do tomorrow. Uh, so I'll be back on the channel at that on that side of it at that point. Hope you feel better. Herbicide thinks 2024 will be your year. I love it, man. I hope you're right on that. I think that's right, too. That's probably the, the best year for us to make that big, mighty, huge run, you know, all-in kind of stuff. Megan says, sorry, Mr. Cassell, top two for me. It's understandable. I just can't quite get there. Tony Ryan says, nope, Dick Buckus, then Mike Singletary. I had, uh, Tony, I did have Dick Buckus on my list ahead of Mike Singletary. So Buckus for me on my list was fifth over. I had, I had Buckus five overall, Tony Wright all time. And then I had uh, Singletary as ninth all time. I dig the Hawks. Brandon, uh, you need to steal from Robin Williams. Elmer Fudd signing Bruce Springsteen, <laughs> singing Bruce Springsteen, an old classic bit of his. So the hard part about Robin was that he's so brilliant. He's hard to... He's hard to necessarily copy because he was just such an original. Um, I wish I could, but his his energy and the way he would do his bits and stuff is that's hard, hard to replicate. But that would be a good one. I mean, I'll try to see if I can do a Robin at some point. Definitely do miss him. Herbicide, I'm kind of thinking we get that game of the Bengals, our strengths versus their strengths. We might take that one. It's a good point. 
They're going to probably be without, they'll almost definitely be without Joe Mixon at that point. Where's their running game at? They're going to just try to throw the ball a ton on us at that point. I think that does feed a little bit more into our strengths. So that's maybe we're able to kind of take down that offense another notch at that point because most teams aren't going to be built like us to cover up like we can cover. It's a good point. One I hadn't considered as much yet with that matchup in the Bengals, but one that'll probably be something that's at the forefront of what we're featuring in our talk of them leading up to that week. Because the Bengals have not necessarily proven that they can consistently run the ball in recent years a ton. Mixon kind of comes and goes in that respect. Henry says, we are at least three deep at wide receiver, running back, and tight end, and we have two solid quarterbacks. What will stop us from averaging 30 points a game? I don't think the answer is, I don't think, you know, nothing, Henry Mars. I, I think as well, you're not necessarily going up against a stack of defenses that's going to be a murderer's row that holds you down. You've got four games of two bad defenses within your own division. You know, that tends to pave the way for you to be able to that in itself, you know, put those points up. I believe we average 30 points a game next year. I believe that we're going to be a top five offense. And I think it's reasonable to say so. Because like you talked about, you have so much talent across the board that you've put up now. Talent that's ready to roll, good to go. You have very few weaknesses. You also have a ton of depth. You can hammer and hit any particular defense in whatever they're weak. If they're weak in nickel, you can hit it. If they're weak in dime, you can hit it. If they're weak, if they're weak in base, you can slam it to death. If they suck against the run, you can destroy them against with the run. If you, they suck against the pass, you've got three pass catchers plus the tight ends plus the backs who can all have their share of impact. Defenses will not be able to lean any way against our offense. We'll be able to attack by any means necessary, which should just open up that much more room to this offense being that much more successful and that much more productive as they were last year through the first 12 weeks of the season. But what his last year was rookies hit a wall, injuries started to hit, and you weren't able to sustain. Those two things don't hit and clip us as much this year, and there's a lot of reason to believe that that's not going to happen because unlike last year, Jackson Smith and Jigba is not going to be the equivalent of Charles Cross and Abe Lucas or Kenneth Walker, where he's running out there all the time, 24-7 snap after snap. He'll be your slot receiver. Derek Hall will be your fourth edge. Zach Charbonnet will be your second running back. Now, Witherspoon's got to kind of go from day one, but you've built some reinforcements in those ranks. Mike Jackson's balling out in minicamp. Trey Brown's looking back. He's got his old step back underneath him. So you even have something set up to kind of, you know, handle that over on that other end of it. But uh, that's more defense, I know. But by my point, 30 points a game looks very feasible to me, Henry. I don't think it's a pie-in-the-sky kind of idea. I dig the ox, uh, Rob Williams. Good morning, Vietnam. I think that was a great movie. And yeah, he did improvise most of that. Garth brings up another good Rob Williams movie, which is, uh, that was the Chris Nolan, Robin Williams, Al Pacino movie. Not many know about that flick either, but really well done. Uh, Insomnia. Henry says the 49ers are overrated. Randall McDaniel, thank you for another $2 donation, man. Thanks all the donations on the channel, man. You're awesome, bro. I appreciate you. Who's the best quarterback in the NFC? Oof.
So it's again where we come back to, I think, not trying to be biased about this, but in my opinion, Jalen Hurts is more of a product of the system. I know he's got the whole nickname, the system. He is a product to me of the system. I, I think he is limited with his arm and he can't do everything. And if he loses some of those parts that help to make him shine, he's not going to look like the same quarterback. And I can't put him up as the best quarterback in the NFC because of that, almost just specifically alone. I also think eventually the running around he does is going to get him broken in half. It did last year. He just luckily, lucky enough, dodged the bullet with the one injury that he had. And in fact, that might've really hurt him as far as a passer moving beyond that rest of that year once he had that injury happen. Uh, I'm not a big Derek Carr guy. I, I don't, I, I'm not buying into that with him. I mean, I, I, I kind of go back to just Gino on this. I do. I think Gino's the best. Gino Smith is the best quarterback in the NFC for doing quarterback stuff. You know, Jalen Hurts is, uh, you know, limited quarterback arm wise, who can be a running back at the position, which has its value and is perfect for that offense. But if we're talking about being a quarterback and playing the position and effectively doing quarterback things, I'm going quarterback. You know, just being pure about it a little bit. But I don't even know, you know, who's... Dak Prescott's got interception issues that seem to be kind of starting to plague him. I don't think he's at that same level. Daniel Jones is like a knockoff Hurts. I think there's a good argument to be made. I don't know. I'm going Gino. Ryan Ball's with me. Henry Mars with me. Let's go Gino. I ain't taking no way with Cousins. No way with Goff. No way. It is like you say, Randall, a lot of mid-level guys in there. It's the same reasons that, you know, Randall, like we're opened up for us to have be the third place, the third rated team in the NFC right now. Or Gino to be the best, considered the best quarterback in the NFC. Because right now, everything's weighted in the NFL in this particular upcoming season for the AFC to be so much better and richer through the, than the NFC is, both from the capable number of teams to the capable number of quarterbacks. And um, that's representatory of that. So Geno wins out, but it almost wins out because there being a lack of real true competition in the NFC like we've seen in prior years. I mean, if, if both Rodgers and Brady come back this upcoming season, it's like you might, you might be leaning to both those two guys still if they're in the NFC. Saying, well, they'll probably be, maybe not. But Nick Doc, Schneider needs to sign Waldron to some sort of extended coaching position, assistant future head coach IMO. Hard to do those kind of things addicted to Hawks. It really is um, because it's it, it can make the situation uncomfortable as it did with Holmgren and Mora, where you, you had Mora was going to be your future head coach and Holmgren was going to move on after that year and Holmgren was feeling kind of moved out the door at that time, I know. Um, it didn't It didn't really help things out in that final year here with Holmgren, having that situation set up like that. And while I do like what Waldron's brought to the table here, I, I don't think you can marry yourself to the, him as the future of your head coaching position. Uh, I don't know if he's, he's proven himself to be that bright that you have to take that kind of step. There's not a lot of teams in the NFL that is doing this, those kind of things. It's, it's more in the team's benefit to wait it out, let it play out, and then make the determination down the road when you have more information and know what's what. CJ Kersman, I'm hearing Colby Parkinson is looking like a beast physically at minicamp, reading many predictions here and there that he will have a breakout year. 
Well, let's uh, not forget is one of the things that opened my eyes most. And I know I have my share of strong opinions when it comes to the, the prospects. Look no further than the recent Cameron Young video I posted. But there's also times that I take little tidbits away from the team when they, they announce stuff about players that they pick that I give a lot of weight to. And it makes my eyebrows raise and I go, okay, there's a reason that they consider that this. You know, when, when John Schneider talked about in the recent interview leading up to the draft that both Brees Hall and Kenneth Walker were considered top 16 players in last year's draft. And open my eyes. That's how they had them rated. You see, Colby Parkinson was the guy that they had a first-round grade on that they got in the fourth round. But they did have a first-round grade on him initially. So there seems to be that there was probably some reason behind that. And so him starting to realize that potential now, he had one year, not last year, but the year before, where he was lighting up training camp, one of the stars of training camp. People thought he was going to break out. Remember that was the year where he broke his hand? And it kind of disrupted that whole flow and momentum that he had going. Last year at the end, he was overtaking CJ Noah Fant for snaps. Because he can do pure, pure, pure inline tight end things that is not necessarily what Noah Fant does well, he was getting more snaps ahead of Fant. And that does tell you, just to go along with this and further what you're saying with it, that this is a guy that's coming along, developing, getting better. And uh, you, you see it from the development standpoint. He came in here as a string bean at six foot seven. And, you know, he's done nothing but just add on to that frame where he looks more now like a traditional tight end in his build when you look at him. You know, he's added that really good weight. Yeah, Insomnia was a fantastic movie. Just perfectly acted, perfectly directed. Some great scenes. Ideal thriller. Robin Williams is a kind of, you know, creepy killer kind of guy. It's good. Riverside, one false move. Another good move. Another great flick. Yeah. Another fine, fine film. It's right at that time when they're making those movies, just those, those smaller movies. God, we'd look back to those days now where everything's got to be a blockbuster. Back in those times when they'd make original movies that were just sometimes smaller films that were, you know, and, and the world was not always at stake, you know. And uh, that's just a great time for filmmaking in the 90s, especially those independent filmmakers. Roxanne Roll, thank you for the $10 donation. I do appreciate it. Says throwback uniforms week eight versus the Browns. Bob Condota put out that the throwbacks are going to be worn when the went on the road to Dallas. Can you confirm? Um, did Condota put that in the uh, in his Twitter? Because Roxanne, I hadn't heard anything on the second one. That part, that part I've not heard on. Let me take a look here. Popcorn Dota. <laughs> uh, the, the fake is you fake account, guys, too much. There we go. That's right. I'm checking his Twitter to see what he posted on there. If he's, if he put it out there. <laughs> do, do. Let's see. 
Yeah, I don't see anything put in there, uh, Roxanne, about he might have responded to somebody on Twitter with it. But uh, I don't see anything on his, on his Twitter about past him mentioning the Browns deal. So I have not heard on that second game quite yet. See if this one says it. Yeah, sorry, Roxanne. I haven't don't see anything on that. Nothing, nothing posted up. Thanks for the ten dollar donation, but uh, nothing posted up. Just Browns are the one that we know for sure. Like that's locked in hundred percent at home. But I'm not not sure on the Dallas one. It's a good opponent to choose, I guess. Kind of close in colors a little bit, you know, almost Roxanne. You'd want to choose a different opponent that had like, like the Browns is going to go nicely up against it with their Browns and that color. Would have been cool to choose a, choose one with a little bit more of a different color as far as the opponent. But just as long as they wear them. That's what, that's the bottom line, right, Roxanne? As long as they wear those throwback unis because those are going to look tight. Herbicide says maybe week 13 versus the Cowboys too, I saw. Okay, Roxanne, so Herbicide seeing the same thing. That it does look like maybe week 13. Space agreed on me with Gino. It's hard not to say him, right, isn't it? Just feels right. And Roxanne, thank you for all your support as well as being a member on the channel for so long. One of my original OGSs on the channel. I appreciate you. Uh, Garth Knight, thank you for the $5 donation. Very much so. This is Brando. Ask the Orange Kitty if Billy Crystal is truly funny. Only Orange Cat can solve this mystery. Let's see what she has to say. Hold on here. Is Billy Crystal funny? Is he funny? Can you tell me if he's funny or not? Did you like Robin Williams at least? You like Robin Williams? Does he make you laugh? I still haven't got an answer on you with Billy Crystal, though. Did you like Billy Crystal? She's not answering me now. <laughs> she says she gave me my answer, and she doesn't feel like she has to answer me twice on that. So you'll have to, you'll have to, Garth, you'll have to tell me what you, what you deciphered on it. I couldn't quite make it out. She was saying a lot of stuff at that time. It sounded like she was cussing me out a little bit. In between telling me no, Billy, Billy Crystal's not very funny, but hard hard to say. Is Billy Crystal funny? She said, "Yeah, funny." So I guess I misinterpreted her. Good girl. Thanks for the donation, Garth. She's pro Crystal, I guess. I thought at first no, but that was a yes answer. I think that was a full on yes. Dick Dock says, yeah, I think right now Jalen Hurts is Russell Wilson 2.0, so maybe a little more of a threat than Geno, but Geno's arm was pretty impressive in 2022. Yeah, I mean, he's definitely got the legs thing, and he's going to run that offense a little bit, a la like what you see the Giants doing with Daniel Jones. Not as extreme a degree as what the Ravens have done with Lamar, but we're in the same kind of territory. You know, a lot of read option, one read looks, you know, read what the defense is doing. Are they trying to stop the run? If they're not trying to stop the run, look to hit it over the top. You know, it's a little bit more of a simplified approach. It's less about the quarterback being locked in on pre-snap reads and going through progressions and 
That's why I say it's a little bit less of the traditional quarterback, but I could go for that, that he's more of a threat, I guess, just pure threat-wise, you could say. But as far as a quarterback and being asked to do those things you traditionally ask a quarterback to do, Geno definitely, I think, checks more of those boxes off than uh, Jalen. Herbicide Detroit might be good this year. I think they're definitely a playoff team right now, and maybe more beyond that. Certainly a contender for that division, which is pretty open right now. <laughs> pumpkin getting some love in the chat uh, Megan says just watched one of my favorite horror movies Hellraiser Pinhead still terrifies me B that one messed me up a little bit as a kid too like that was one watching as a kid where I was like this makes me uncomfortable the chains and the pulling flesh thing and uh, that was and then just the sheer I think it was Clive Barker he just his his horror was had a sheer lunacy to it on one side of it, you know, where it wasn't like Looney Tunes, Looney, just, just, there was something completely just deranged about his vision of a hellscape or whatever. And it was unique for him, but it would also be very visual. And uh, that one was a, that was a freaky movie, man. That was a freaky, freaky flight. CJ says, I believe it is because the Cowboys are guaranteed to wear white jerseys at home. Oh, okay. Well, that makes the color met thing match up a little bit better, I guess. You tell me. You tell me. Randy McDaniel, thank you for the $5 donation. All your donos tonight, man. You're amazing, bro. He says, uh, Randall says, feels like Noah Fant is soft. The Daryl Taylor of the offense. All hat, no cattle. <laughs> All, all boot, Randall, no spurs. <laughs> but uh, all gun holster, no gun. Um, I was tracking last year kind of specifically, Randall, to take a look at how does he block? And Noah Fan is a little bit of a different cat. And that then this has been kind of a slow evolution for me to look at the tight end position of modern era in a bit of a different realm. Because I used to always look at every tight end like, you're going to be measured like I'd measure an inline tight end. And Jimmy kind of got me a little to the point where I started to move a bit off of this understanding that tight ends kind of come in different packages. And the H-back adaptation into the NFL, the, the moving the tight end off ball, sort of changed the position and changed the requirements of the position. I think last year, Randall, Noah actually held up pretty well as a run blocker overall. He's not Colby. And he's not Will Disley at all in either respect of things and what they can do and what they can bring to the position in that neighborhood. But for an H-back, um, a move tight end, it, it was passable. But that's kind of his whole game as we stand a little bit with, with Fant in that it's passable. There's no part that's really having a real big measured impact. It's just a passable thing. He, he gives you really no yak. He's not really uh, you know your Jimmy Graham-like guy that's going to go up and make contested catches. He'll generate a lot of good early quick separation on routes. He's got solid hands as long as the ball is thrown in the right area. But um, he's a guy to me that's not super hugely impressive to me. He's steady, 
passable, gets the job done. He is part of the unit there with three tight ends. I think, Randall, that does give you a, a unique strength on your team. Other NFL teams don't have where they're lucky to have one. Say nothing after having three that are functional in the way that we do. And he does fit in well with Colby and, and Disley and being that move-based guy, whereas those guys are really the two inline guys. You know, Colby was more of a move tight end when he first came out as well, but he's developed more into that inline guy. But I think long-term, and, and just the kind of the bottom line in your in your comment a bit with that is, I don't think long-term he is your answer here. I don't think there's a long-term a way that they're going to sign a guy like this to a contract extension. I think they're going to look at it like we can find a move tight end that can catch us 40 passes for 500 yards elsewhere. We don't have to pay upper-level market prices. And it's also why I keep coming back to Randall. When you look at this team being able to create some cap space to then go and add to this team in other areas, that $5.85 million salary that fans rock in this year is one straightforward place that you could you could peel off the books to then create that space to go get another player to actually have a little bit more overall impact on the team to helping you get more wins. Um, I like what he brings. He's been terribly consistent. <laughs> That's the best way to put it with him, too. He's been terribly consistent throughout his career going back to even Denver, Randall. It's like he gives you kind of the very same year. It's like, I'll give you about average to a little bit below average blocking. I'll be a pretty decent pass catcher. And I'll be pretty available throughout my time. But you're not getting much past that at that point. It is limited, passable, kind of whatever term you want to use with that. But uh, yeah, I, you're, you're pretty close to the mark with that one, I think. Roxanne Dallas wears white jerseys at home. Oh, okay. That makes way more sense. Because you can see Roxanne, if they're wearing theirs and we're wearing our old school, it starts to look kind of, how can the quarterbacks pick out who's their guy they're trying to throw to it? They all have the same jersey, basically, is how they'd look. Um, but that makes more sense. Definitely makes more sense. Herb said, I wonder where D-Hop goes. I think he either goes to the New England Patriots, who give him the money he wants, or he goes to the Browns, who gives him the best possible spot to go to to have some success and takes a little bit less money to do that. I think it's one of those two situations. Dick Doc says, that's a no from Pumpkin. Herbicide says, ha ha, doesn't like Billy Crystal. <laughs> she's a harsh, she's a harsh comedic critic, guys. That's just, that's, she's, she's a, she honors the art form and she thinks highly of it. And she just has an expectation level of greatness. And if you don't deliver that, then she's going to be tough on you. CJ says, Brandon, with the perceived relative amount of talent depth we possess at cornerback slot safety, do you see us really mixing up our defensive looks to maximize how often we can get them all on the field? Historically, this has been something that's been a very big struggle for Coach Carroll. He has been a very much um, a linear kind of guy in the way that he will build up his defenses and the roles on defense. You are here, you're in that role. You are, or you're here and you're starting and you're there. You're here, you're starting and you're there. You know, you don't see guys come off the field and intermix out or change positions from where they are with the exception of a couple of different cases. Um, one would be goal line where we would have at times just certain goal line packages. We might bring up a backup outside, might bring up a backup middle linebacker to come in there and help out in goal line situations. So we have, we've shown that willingness to mix in different personnel with that. But we don't do it otherwise, CJ. So this is the where I'm one of those places I'm driven to. It's like, it's like the should we blitz more this year and play more man coverage? My answer on that is just like the answer on your question is yes. It's what we should do. 
It's what should, would help this defense to find more success, in my opinion. It's what could you could do is take a defense that maybe doesn't have as quite as much talent as it will, let's say, or be a talent that's ready to roll, you know, as matured as it will be two years down the line, that you manufacture production from within that. And you get that done, in my opinion, by blitzing more, by being a little bit more um, creative in your approach, which be, would be to move in different personnel to, to fit. But this has been a place they've not utilized as much in the past. So they should do it, CJ. But it remains to be seen whether or not they really will or whether or not it'll be uh, Julian Love in the slot. Jamal is your strong safety. And that's how they rock it. That's what you get. Or that there is no Jamal coming down and playing linebacker like some people have thought would be a possibility of happening. You don't see any of that occur. Right? That That is a little bit more traditionally of how they've gone at it. You know? Megan says, Dad, I do not perform for you. And I heard some F-bombs. I heard those too. She's got a little sailor's mouth on her, doesn't she? So it gets a little sleepy and she gets a sailor's mouth. You have to, you have to watch her. But I think, CJ, where you maximize things best, the most straightforward way to get this done, to, in my opinion is beyond allotting Julian Love into the slot. And I do think he would be better for you in the slot than necessarily Kobe Bryant. But I like the thought of Julian Love as your strong safety and moving Jamal up as a linebacker at times, especially when you're in passing situations for teams, third and eight, uh, second and nine. Those kind of situations that are likely to be passes bring up Jamal around the box now. you know, And then you're freed up with him out there as a strong safety. I think they're going to use Julian more in the slot kind of role, but I would certainly would love to see them do something like that to get Jamal out of cover two, get him out of any potential single high situations, open yourself up to now be able to roll single high with Julian Love out there. Because if you have Jamal back there, you're not going to be likely as a coach to want to call play where Quandre is coming up now as your strong safety on a play and you're going to drop Jamal back as the single high. But if you have Julian back there, now you're going to be more likely to have a little bit more um uh, confidence to be saying, okay, Quandre, you're going to run a robber route. You're going to run a robber roll underneath. And then we're going to run Julian as a single high on this play. And no Julian can pull that off and handle that stuff with ease. So that would be the, the main place to switch and move around CJ. That's the love is the puzzle piece, the chess piece to move anywhere you want to kind of move off to then free Jamal to be able to move wherever he needs to move. But those two things are kind of related to each other. And those are really going to tell the tale of whether this team's going to be inventive or not in the way we're talking about here is if they utilize the, utilize those guys in different places on the field. If we don't see them doing that, it's more of the rigid old approach of our Seahawks defensively. If we do see them moving everybody all around, whether it's successful or not, it's an indication there that the team's showing a more of a willingness to be creative and more of a willingness to try to confuse offenses pre-snap, which has been something completely missing from our defense. Last year's a little bit better, but prior to last year, it was really not a part of our defense at all. We're going to show you what we're going to do. What you see is what you get. What we show you pre-snap is what you get post-snap. bop da bop da bop Well, now you're trying to do a little bit more of we're going to show you this, but then we're going to go do this. And that's the part I like because now you're building in some you're building in some benefits for your players. You're giving them a little bit of the element of surprise. And that's only going to make them better, I think. Gar says, the orange cat has spoken. Billy Crystal is funny. <laughs> CJ, Julian Love, Trey Brown, Mike Jackson would be starting on many teams. And Jamal as a pseudo safety linebacker sounds irresistible. But doesn't it ever? You're in the same line, you're in the same line of thinking I am, CJ. 
Find a way to get him around in that linebacker range. If it's got to be as the box defender, as the eighth defender in the box, as a strong safety so that he's unblocked in the play, fine. If it's as him as a, you know, like a like a, a will or your second inside middle linebacker in a 3-4 because you think you're in a situation where they're passing by the personnel grouping they've sent at you or the front they've sent at you, do it that way. Try some different things out with it, you know. Um, when they he had his sack record as a defensive back with nine sacks, it wasn't them trying to use Jamal out in a lot of places. They would just bring Jamal up to the end of one line of scrimmage on one side or the other, and then he would blitz. That was the that was their whole approach to blitzing Jamal in that first year. It was not creative. It was not complex. It did not confuse offenses. In fact, offenses were able to adjust to it over the course of the year by how simplified it was. And so, uh, yeah, I agree, man. That irresistible is a good way of putting it. Garth Knight, thank you for another $5 donation, man. Appreciate you. You're awesome, bro. He says, Orange Cat, is Hellraiser scary? Let's see what she's got to say. Is Hellraiser scary? Is it scary? Really? That bad? You couldn't sleep? You had nightmares too? Well, that's not good. Garth, she said it was the scariest movie she's ever seen in her effing life. She just had to put her hands over her eyes like this just to block out the mental image she was seeing of Pinhead. It's a no-go for her pumpkin on that. I need to Exorcist is my number one scary thriller. Hard to watch that movie in the dark. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it is one of those movies of the 70s that holds up. And not a, there are a lot of movies in the 70s that got dated. But Exorcist is one of those ones that to this day you can turn that on and you got all the lights off in your house. It's going to still give you the creeps. It is still going to be a freaky. It's definitely in my top 10 all time for sure. And I would put that one above Hellraiser just because it was, it had an extra disturbing element at Exorcist. It was like, I don't like this. This is, this is getting not good. You liked Hellraiser? You said it was scary though. You're so brave. So brave to watch that horror movie. Thanks for those donations, Garth. I appreciate you, man, for all you do on the channel for support. Nick Craig, I might be wrong on this, but I think Bobby Wagner is going to get this defense going again and having a captain like B-Wags is a deciding factor and has proven that in the past. I certainly think he's going to get you improved upon where you were last year, almost just with his presence alone and being able to get things set up right, getting these young guys good to go. Um, is he enough? Is it going to be enough, Nick, to take you from back into the league in the top 10, top five state of things? For me, that might be a, a bit too much of a leap to ask Bobby to pull through with just the young guys developing along with them, especially considering, Nick, where we are as far as the defensive line is concerned. But can he take you from, can he help to take you out from a, 29th, 30th ranked defense based upon the metric you want to use uh, and then take you into more middle-of-the-road state? I think he can, Nick. I think that with a dominant offense can come together to provide an elite team, especially with a special teams unit that should be top three. So it kind of all comes together for me on that kind of formulaic point. Top five offense, top 15 defense, top three special teams equals 12 wins, 13 wins Seahawks club. 
Um, but yeah, I think he definitely is going to help to elevate things and, and get them on their P's and Q's. And when you have a young roster and so many guys that are trying to develop and you're trying to get that development quick and as fast as humanly possible, having a guy like Bobby's that's played in this league well over a decade as the man in the middle, as that middle linebacker, as the green dot guy, you know, calling the plays, that certainly you would think would help them out tremendously. That there could be no better help for young players in that respect of things. Uh, D-Boy says, at Brandon, uh, hey, bro, can you give a shout out and a rest in peace to my dad, Paul the Cowboy fan? You was the you were the only Seahawks fan that he respected. He hated the Seahawks, but respected you out of the look, out of the uh, knowledge you have on the game. Well, absolutely, T-Boy, and so sorry that your dad did pass. Shout out to Paul, T-Boy's dad, the Cowboy fan. Um, much respect to him. Cowboy fans uh, at times can drive you crazy, but a lot of them do know their stuff, know their ball, uh, and do have that intense love for the game and the depths of the game uh, as you could ask for. And, you know, I, I remember I think at times talking with your dad a little bit about feeling for him where committed Cowboy fans and you're just being held up. You know, D-Boy, I do all these Jerry Jones jokes. It's because I do feel like that guy at this point in time is in a lot of respects holding up that franchise from where it could be if they had an owner in there that was a little bit less, let's just say, hands-on but um it's sad it's sad he had to go man and it's sad that uh, you've kind of had to carry on with that i'm I've, I've still kind of got my dad dad around it's great to have and um i feel for you on that man i do feel for you that so hopefully he's out there somewhere tonight d-boy listening up on the stream out there be it out in heaven or wherever it may be and uh you know nodding his head and and sending his love out to you from afar so appreciate you man and uh paul thank you for uh giving us a great Great guy in the chat here, and you're always a member of the Hawks Nest, even as a Cowboy fan. Even in death, it's, it, it goes beyond death here, D-Boy. We're a community that, that we, we, we supersede that. You know what I mean? We supersede it. Happy birthday, Paul. Happy birthday. It takes the Hawks. Brandon, is Pumpkin your Ed McMahon or Andy Ricker or the other? Well, there's some that might tell you on the stream that I am the Andy Ricker or the McMahon. <laughs> <laughs> I think there'd be a lot that might tell you that this is actually a cat channel with a guy that talks a lot. <laughs> um, but I, 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 she's, she's, she probably built, she's probably built a little bit like Andy Richter. You thick, you thick, you thick. Yeah, you are. You big girl. I don't mind. It's all right. Too many treats, huh? Too much salmon. Too much salmon. Herbazide, we need Jamal to stay healthy for one year, man. Just give me one year, Herbazide, right? Just give me one. Give me one year of Jamal for all we gave up. Rest in peace. Rest in peace, Paul. Herbicide, Jamal bulking up might be the right move. Uh, put on 20 pounds might work. It could. I will say the one thing that jumped out to me with Jamal, I never, sometimes some guys are hard to tell on their builds, you know, like if they're not kind of bicker or whatever, but so I don't know if you guys felt the same way and sometimes looking at Jamal, but prior it wasn't kind of a shock to me when you looked at him having the shoulder issues where you got these slight little pads and he's not the most jacked up guy arm wise to sustain contact on their you know there was part of me that wondered with that a little bit it couldn't maybe make some sense putting on a little bit of weight in that respect of things so 
And you just with getting older and 26, 27 years old, you grow into your grown man, strength, body, and all that. You know, he is technically heading into his prime physically, but I think that could help, especially if this team's looking to use him a little bit more down near the line of scrimmage herbicide. One of my worries with putting him down there as a linebacker is that can he take the contact with the shoulders? Is he big enough to take the contact down there at 205? You got him down there maybe around 215-ish. It's a little bit of a different tale at that point. Ed Armitage says, did you ever hear the story about Erlacher almost getting into a bar fight with Boss Rutten? I did. Yeah, I think I've heard uh, Boss tell the story. And, uh, uh, you know, luck, lucky for in the story from what I heard, if I remember this correctly, it's just it's lucky for Brian that Boss, like a lot of fighters out of the ring, well, there's some fighters that are live wires, but most of those guys are really actually real gentle out of the ring and they're very calm and they can very be very patient and put up with a lot. But Baz Rutten was one of those guys in his prime that was definitely in contention for being one of the baddest mofos on the planet. And uh, I mean, that guy slapped people. He knocked people out by slapping them. You know, he's just in a ring like professional fighters. Um, and he was complete, but... Erlacher, even though he had more size on Rudin, would have gotten destroyed. Like Rudin, Rudin would have, Rudin would have just probably taken him down and put him in some arm bar or something, and probably just choked him out or something. But I don't care how much bigger Erlacher was, he would have been, he would have been strung up by Rudin. Boss, boss is a bad man, especially at that time, because he was still close enough to his fighting. To you know, you ain't you ain't messing with him at that point. It's a good story though. The Phantasm movies were great. Those were pretty good too. I remember those ones. Those were good. I like Phantasm. I didn't have it quite. It felt more like a Hellraiser knockoff to me at the time. It felt like it was trying to do the things that Hellraiser got a little bit more right. But it wasn't a bad movie. Megan says, yes, stuff of nightmares. I heard Pinhead scared her. I know Pumpkin did me too. It was freaky. The first one was real freaky. Gar says, I appreciate the orange cat's bravery. <laughs> oh, goodness. Herbicide Jaws saw that when I was seven. I was afraid of the shower after that. Oh, that movie messed me up. I had a problem going into pools. I had such, I, it got so deep for me with Jaws and getting into just public pools after I saw that movie because I used to go to like my dad's apartment pool and there wouldn't be as many people in the pool. But I couldn't go into a pool like alone. I kept thinking there'd be like a little secret hatch that opened and a shark would come in. Like that's how bad that movie messed me up. I, I couldn't, couldn't do it. I was like, uh, uh, no, Mm-mm. no, thank you. That's another movie that's uh, you can still go back and watch, and it still holds up in my opinion. Fantastic movie still. Saijin, thank you for the $5 donation. It says, walk in, give me one, just as promised. I got you on this. I don't know, middle linebackers, more of a center guy, block left, block right, pole, second level. That's who I am. Christopher Walken, that's what I like to watch. Center's best position on the field. That said, I watch sometimes linebackers when I can here and there, you know, around. And I'll tell you, there may not be a better linebacker I've ever seen life ever. You, me, I don't know. Bobby Wagner, he's the guy. I'll tell you, look out. Bobby Time all the time. Hall of Famer, 
better than everybody, maybe except for Ray, but I'm a center guy, like I said. I don't know, maybe not. Still like him a lot, and he's still on the rise, still going. Going to take this team defense next year over the line. Super Bowl, Lombardi, then he'll be the best ever you watch. I'm telling you now, it's going to happen next year. Thank you, Zajin, for the $5 donation. Walking super stoked about having Bobby back. B-Wags, you're giving me back B-Wags. Yes, please, sir, I'll have another. <laughs> uh, Roxanne Roll with another $5 donation. Thank you, Roxanne, for that dono. All your donos tonight on the stream. It says, B, I stumbled into the stream tonight, and I will be here Thursday evening. Thank you for the content. Go Hawks. Well, thank you, Roxanne. I really do appreciate it. All of your support. One of my original OGSs. You've been here since like day one of this channel back four long years ago it is now. Um, and we are indeed are going to be doing I had a great time last week doing the uh, initial kind of inaugural members only videos that we're going to be doing on Thursday where I'm going to be going live for about an hour, hour and a half, maybe sometimes two hours, right around five o'clock on Thursdays for members of the channel. Just going to kind of keep expanding those membership benefits for those folks that have been members to try to keep, you know, you guys are putting a little bit extra towards the channel. I can give you guys a little extra, I figure. So I haven't exactly, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of turning over a couple of different items that we might have for content wise on what we're looking to deal with, uh, talk about tomorrow. But uh, I will be there. You better believe it, Roxanne. It's good to hear that you'll be there as well. I'll have that up and running right around five o'clock tomorrow, um, right on the dot, hopefully. That's the, the goal is to be between five and seven, but hopefully start right out at five if I can pull it off, Roxanne. But uh, thank you so much. Go Hawks. And uh, glad you uh, stumbled, on this, stumbled onto the stream tonight. Uh, D-Boy, Brennan, thank you, bro. And yeah, he's watching down on the live right now saying sea pigeons suck, but he had love for you and the stream. I know how that goes, D-Boy, and he's a, I'm sure he's still a Cowboy fan even in the afterlife. That shouldn't change. That shouldn't change at all. In fact, it should only become more reinforced, I believe. So, uh, yeah, he's definitely looking down, man. I'm I'm certainly a believer in that. I, I believe in the great beyond myself. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I appreciate that he appreciates it. As I say, as always, you get other teams' fans that, that, that like the content or appreciate or, or dig what they're seeing, then that certainly is an indication of we've got a good little thing going here, D-Boy, because those are the hardest people to sell right? As the people that are less likely than ever to go watch content, like, you know, how, how often are you going to go watch content on a Cardinals channel, right? Well, never, you know, but uh, you got to be doing something right to hopefully get that, get, get those people into the, into the flux. So uh, I, I feel it. I just feel bad for him this year, D-Boy, because we got to, you know, we're going to have to bring him some extra little bit of sadness this year with the loss that his Cowboys are going to sustain to our Seahawks this upcoming season. So that's, that's just the disappointing part about it, really. You know, we can't give him that, that Benny. But, you know, we've got Super Bowl aspirations. He understands it. He knows his Cowboys aren't going to get to the Super Bowl anytime soon. Not with Jera. Not with Jera there. <laughs> Appreciate you, D-Boy. Uh, Nick, Brandon, have you been watching the 30 and 30 with the Packers fan? We need to totally blow away the other cities when he comes to Seattle, mostly because he makes a lot of jokes because of the rivalry. Uh, it does Tom Grossi definitely has a uh, a pretty a pretty deep hatred. Being a Bronx Packer fan, right? Kind of unusual, uh, but definitely has a pretty deep hatred for Seattle um, that he's very vocal about. I would um, actually have been down to to go and meet up at uh, Grossi's meet and greet thing. Um, I would have loved to have gone and done that. Um, but I'm unfortunately going to be flying out on that very day for my vacation. 
So I'm going to do my recharge session before the start of training camp. So uh, I'll actually be in flight, I think, when he's coming through. But I would have loved to have caught him, and I would have probably tried to get out there uh, if I was uh, otherwise not going. But, um, yep. Fortunately, I think I'll be out, out in flight. Hopefully we can show up in force out there, though. We get a few folks out showing up and uh, showing what's up. It's a great thing that he's doing with the uh, charity thing here on this 30-day trip thing that he's doing. It's awesome. Mega says, Phantasm with pathetic compared to Hellraiser. My favorite pinhead line, no tears, please. It's a waste of good suffering. <laughs> it's a good line. It's a hell of a good line. I agree with you. I, Phantasm was okay. I didn't get the pathetic part, but I was, it definitely, Hellraiser was inspired. That's one of Barker's best, best work in the 80s. He did a lot of things. Seattle, so Cabin Fever. Not a good, that's not a good one. Nitro Rock, I don't understand the Jaws thing. I watched it when I was nine and I thought it was cool. Could have been just at the time when it hit. When it hit. I mean, it, this was at the 80s at the time. Um, you know, if you're trying to watch Jaws now with, with everything you've seen CGI-wise and all the overtop scenes, it's, it's not going to maybe resonate in the same way. But back then it was, you know, the effects were mind-blowing and um, it was practical effects. So it was really there in the water and you felt that. Um, but... It was also the Hitchcockian way that Spielberg, you know, built the sense of dread in that movie at times and not showing you always the monster, but the camera angles and the swimming up from below and um, the creative fashion he found to employ at it. I think it's really one of Spielberg's best films. And uh, to me, I've got, I go back every few years and watch it. it. Still holds up. The acting holds up. Story holds up. It's pretty good. But I get it. If you're probably... One of the, you know, if you're 20 years younger than me, then I could see definitely how it wouldn't because, you know, before you got to that, you probably saw an untold amount of CGI of things doing things where that looked just kind of safe, you know. Wu-Tang says, no desire to be anywhere near the water with great whites, though. Thanks, Orcas. <laughs> yes. Me neither on that one. Me neither on that one. I would never go diving, for instance. I'd just have a heart attack if I saw a shark under the water. He'd be pulling a corpse up. He gives in. I remember uh, going and seeing the Jaws 3D movie. That one was bad. That was the Michael Caine one, right? That was a bad movie. I think somebody asked Michael Caine about that film. They said, do you, do you, remember, uh, do you remember making Jaws 3? And he says, no, but I remember the house that it paid for. <laughs> Why do I says our boy Marshawn is freaking uh, is a freaking movie star now? Yeah, I would not have uh, the first guess I would have not have had for Marshawn was that the one of the first movies we'll see him in when he gets into a film is going to be called Bottoms. That one, that one, did not see that one coming. But good on Marshawn, way to go, buddy. Make it happen. Herbertside says I've had ongoing nightmares with sharks since I was a kid. I it, it's. To me, still to this day, I have a problem with it. I'm going to go out to Hawaii and I'm going to go out to about two feet of the water and that's about as deep as I'm going. I'm not going out like that. I'm not going to have something just suddenly come up and, you know, here, your food now in the water. No, no, no. And there was this recent video that came out. I don't know if you guys saw this. There's this uh, senior cruise ship in South Florida. It's the middle of the night and they got these seniors out there on the boat and blah, blah, blah. And one of the kids gets bet by one of these kids to jump into the water. 
and it's one of the freakiest videos I've ever seen recently. He jumps in and it's the middle of the night. And as soon as he jumps in, you can see what looks like a shark right next to him spin in the water. And it spins in the water right next to where they've got the, like a, whatever those like uh, flotation devices they've thrown out for them. And the boat just keeps going because you can't, those boats take like 20 minutes to stop and turn around and then it's the middle of the night. And you're just picturing this kid out there floating in the middle of the Bahamas, middle of the night, dark, can't see anything. Stuff, sw- these are swimming around you in the water, black, black as night water. <laughs> that's just, <laughs> that's nightmare fuel right there. Garth Knight, thank you for another $5 donation. I appreciate you, Garth, for that dono. Very, very, very kind of you, brother. Appreciate you so much, man. It says, good on number 17 for not fearing number 58. Take the stats, number 58. Number 17 got the W with a dime to Scancy. He did. I think and that's, it's the reason I wanted to show that game really featuring Craig in that because, you know, Craig had good stats and Craig had some up and down play. Somebody was mentioning this last week, Garth, about Craig and week to week, what you'd get from him as far as sometimes the fluctuation in performance. And I think that that stuff is very fair. But when you had a game like that, that it could really represent the, the gutsiness and the moxie the guy possessed, where there wasn't a sense of, I'm going to give up. I'm going to stop trying. I'm going to stop fighting. He was a quarterback that was never going to get in that mode. And he might lose badly, might lose ugly. He might win pretty but he's going to fight every inch, every bit of the way. And I think a lot of quarterbacks in that moment, especially that last point there, Garth, where, where, where Thomas is bearing down in on him. And he's like, really? here Again, Andy, you couldn't block him for two seconds? Really? You couldn't just give me... I, I'm trying to throw a freaking Hail Mary here. I need a few seconds to let the routes get down the field. And he finds a way to break that tackle and then throw the Hail Mary, Garth. You know, two different things that he's got to perform on one play there, both high level of difficulty just to do one or the other, but to get them both done on one play uh, certainly cements it as one of the all-time great Seahawk moments and uh, a great moment for Dave. You know, he was bruised and bloody after that game. Sajin's got uh, Death Moon, Legend of Boggy Boggy Creek, Boy Who Cried Wolf, Werewolf, Wolfen, The Howling, Put, Put the Shites Out at Me. The Howling was a good one too. I remember that one from my, that was another well, well done one. Some of those I haven't seen. I got to check some of those out, man. Royal Kaid Werewolf. I've got to look at that one. I haven't seen that one. JNC Outdoors, as much as I love Lockett, uh, as much as to how much love Lockett has been giving Eskridge and his explosiveness, do you think the screen game will be elevated if he can live up to his performance at the Senior Bowl? Um, a little bit JNC. I'm the, the tape wasn't, he could do it functionally for Ohio state. I wouldn't put him in a realm of, he does it at a level of like what you get from a Debo or something like that. Like I think Eskridge, Oh wait, you said Eskridge, not uh, my bad. Holy crap. I totally was thinking Jackson Smith and Jigbo when I read Eskridge. Sorry, JNC. Um, yes. Yeah. I mean, if he can, it, it's really the thing that I've thought a bit about with Eskridge in regards to him in the slot is that if he could just find the way to carve out the role as the bubble screen and the fly sweep guy, right, JNC? Like, let's find four or five touches for Eskridge in those two elements of the offense. You know, not necessarily him running routes, not necessarily him down, going down the field on a nine route or having to run some intricate route to get open and create separation, but let's manufacture touches for him. 
Just get the ball in his hands, like you say, to utilize that explosiveness because it's a real thing. The guy, them mentioning it isn't them just trying to like soup up his ego and get him feeling good about himself. They're mentioning it because it is truly a, a real keynote part of Eskridge's game. He is more explosive than most of the guys on the football field, including receivers, including cornerbacks, including safeties. But how do you tap into it? And in my opinion, you tap into a JNC through the manufactured production. Rather than asking him to do traditional receiver things, force it to him. Figure out a way to get it into his hands. Good offensive coordinators can find creative ways to get the ball in their playmaker's hands. And that's what I think he can be for you. But it's on Waldron to find the creative fashion to make it happen. But bubble screen, fly sweeps, two very simple methods right there out the gate, JNC. And two things that have been missing in our offense going back years now. And also two things that are real foundational parts of this offense, at least is how McVay's run it on his end of things. I'd love to see it, man. I really would love to see them utilize him in that way. If just that way, JNC, I'd love to see more beyond that, but just at least here's one thing you can fit him into from a role fashion and find, find usefulness from him right from the jump. Maybe says Doug Bradley would cringe at that impression be. <laughs> it's fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> Megan, I'm going cage diving with great whites when I go to Johannesburg in a few years, B. Yeah, never would do that. Never would do that. You couldn't pay me money to do that. I'd say no. Nope. No. Mm -mm. Nope. I've seen the thing where the shark gets stuck in the cage and he starts ripping her and then the cage falls apart and then you're just sitting there in the water. The cage is going down to the bottom of the bottom of the ocean and you're just standing there looking at the shark in the eye then hoping you can get out of the water in time before the thing bites you in half. Wu-Tang says, Jaws still holds up pretty well, especially how you don't see the shark until late in the end. Exactly, Brandon. Yeah, it's just that that method, that choice, and he had to do it by necessity because the whole joke on that was that the shark just kept falling apart, the mechanical one did. So Spielberg had to find the creative ways and he went back to the Hitchcockian kind of manner in order to get it done, but tremendously effective and still effective to this day because it's not reliant on claymation, animation, CGA, CGI. It's, it's on the creativeness of the shot and it, and it holds. It, it definitely holds. Especially when you get John Williams' music kicking in. Da-da, da-da. Yeah, the Spielberg breaking down, the water, the shark kept breaking down. Nitro Hawk, I grew up with new Marvel movies. So it's a little bit, I think it's harder on it on that one. It's like I grew up at the time when the movie had been out for less than 10 years when I first watched it. So it's get to a point where you're watching that first movie 30 years out and all that you've seen with these Marvel movies to get to that, it's like, it's going to have not the impact, I don't think. He gives it was called or, or, The Orca? I didn't see Orca. Jaws, space says Jaws freaked the F out of me. I'm glad I wasn't the only one, Space. That thing messed me up. It messed me up. Megan says, uh, I'm with the sharks. If you come into my backyard looking like a seal, I'll probably eat you too. <laughs> You're Australian. You guys have been headed bred through your system to be okay with the sharks. You're like, Some of the population is going to go over. Yeah, that's the way it is. 
when you live down under. Why do I, the reason those 70s sci-fi horror movies like Jaws, Aliens, The Thing Worked is not seeing the monster until later. It was all about the buildup of tension. Agreed. I think that was a big part of it. I think too, why do I, the practical effects were also a part of it. You know, the practical effects with the music that you could layer in as well when you did show them. And so it was really in the room with them. It wasn't later painted into the frame. And there's something, even if it's, there's just something about being tangibly in the frame. I think that also still allows for those movies to have a little bit longer lasting power. Sajin said I was sad because the mother was pregnant and they killed her and the baby. Orca, but his revenge was sweet. <laughs> I'll have to check that movie out at some point. Uh, Nitro, I've always been fine with animals, but heights scare the crap out of me. Going up to downtown Spokane, mall stresses me out a bit. Oh, wow. That's not even that high, man. That's not even that bad. I'm not great with heights either. And most animals I'm not bad with, but when it, come, when it came to being out in Montana, when I'd be in the woods, very uncomfortable about the bear factor out there. And... uh on the waters of Miami, on the waters of Maui, I definitely it's the sharks. Alien is definitely a great, great movie. Megan, another one that holds up pretty well too. Why do I says that poor dumb kid on the boat died from a dare? Kids, man, so sad. Oh, I just broke my heart reading about it. And I tell you, like watching him in that water was, that was a. Uh, that was exactly my worst, would be my worst fears of something like that happening. Just stuck out in the middle of the Bahamas, night, dark, dropped in the water, boat gone. <laughs> and you see the shark in the frame. They, like they're, they got this, they're framing it on an iPhone. He's in the water just as he's, he's starting to stretch away from the boat. And he goes to the flotation device and the shark's right on the flotation device and he backs away from it. You're like, oh, oh. Erickson says, totally Brando, Eskridge can be unlocked. He can. This, this is where we come back to, again, creativity maybe being a centerpiece necessity for this team to get the most out of itself in the upcoming year. We talked on the, the defensive side of the ball about being able to move Jamal Adams around. And, and the, the way to make that happen is to be moving Julian Love around a little bit. And then that makes you a little bit less predictable defensively about what you're doing pre-snap to post-snap. And that you, know, you, can, you can bring in that level of complexity into it. Same thing kind of applies here with Eskridge a little bit. And that you have a piece, if it's healthy and functional and able to run and move, then you have a piece you can be able to utilize. And, and, and he, he fits so true. I mean, this is what really caused him to be drafted. I feel like almost beyond him as a receiver, it was what he was able to do in fitting to that bubble screen fly sweep role. Hawks just have not been able to run it and, and be and a lot of reasons for it beyond just Eskridge's appearance, of course, is also the offensive line just you know, at times just not being fast enough to get out on those, you know, blocks where they got to reach to the edge and hit those blocks in space. But Eskridge is going to be better at that than Jackson Smith and Jigba. That's the place Jackson, Jackson can do all the other slot stuff, but the bubble screen and fly sweep stuff, he can do it. But Eskridge is going to be better than him at it. I do believe that. Why do I says we have a few X factors again this year? One who could be a big impact. If Adams, Brooks, Eskridge have good years, it would be big time. It would be very big time. Some of those guys that you're not sure of what you're going to get and you can't count on as much or you're hopeful, they are able to come to play. Uh, that would be that would be big because there's parts of this team we can count on. Why do I? That we know are going to be good. That we know are going to be improved as long as they can stay healthy. Um, but those parts 
adding on into addition of it that would only raise the top end of this team or the, the potential of this team. Wu-Tang Financial says, I used to build planes at the Everett Boeing plant. All the dumb stuff people do building them makes me afraid of flying. Well, I am also, I, I get freaked out about flying. I have to not think about it too much, especially when I'm flying over like the Pacific out to Hawaii for five and a half hours. I just have to think about it like I'm in a tube traveling on the ground. If I think about how high up I am and all that, yeah. Especially just that it takes a couple little parts to go ting, 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 you know. CJ says, does anyone think Cloverfield was really good? Eh. I, I can't. Abrams just bugs the hell out of me, CJ. J. Dre, Magic Box, Abrams. I can't do him. Most of his stuff just kind of, eh. Makes us now you mock the Aussies be really? No, I was, I was giving you guys props for the bravery. The bravery. You got like Wu-Tang says, you got the snakes, the crocs, the sharks. The bugs. Everything's dangerous there. Ryan Ball, I don't like watching scary movies, telling the truth. I gotta be in the right mood for it. I can't watch it all the time, but it gotta be in the right mood, you know. Orca starring Richard Harris. You should check it out. Richard Harris got in that, huh? <laughs> Talk about needing a second home. I'll check it out. I do remember it. I remember the uh, I remember the trailer. JNC outdoors. It looks like Jamal has gained some upper body mass. Do you think it's to guard his shoulder, or is he preparing to take more inside linebacker role and play off the edge? Julian Love signing makes me think inside linebacker. I, I'm thinking that's probably what he's looking to do. I don't know if it's that he's doing it because he's looking to be moved into inside linebacker as much as JNC. I think it's what you said at the front of this which is that the shoulder issue has happened multiple times over. I believe he's had it happen on three different occasions going back to high school. And so the only way to get around your shoulders having that kind of deal is to strengthen them up and get them stronger in there. And so he's probably looking at this upcoming year of how can I not only fix this ligament thing in my leg, but make sure that I'm reinforcing those other injury issues that I've had um, and strengthen those down so I can get through this full season. And smart Jamal to probably consider it in that way. And it would make sense. It also makes sense if it is, like you say, in addition to that, he's doing it because he's looking at it as a move into the inside linebacker on some snaps a little bit more. And he needs to be able to take on a little bit more contact from that. Uh, Megan says, how is Eskridge better than JSNB? I don't agree. I, didn't, I wasn't saying Eskridge is better than JSN, Megan. That's not what I was saying. I was saying he's better, at, he's better at, than JSN in bubble screens and the fly sweep game. Bubble screens and the fly sweep game. As uh, Jackson Smith and Jigba is better in every other realm. He's better route runner, better hands, uh, better natural feel for how to play the position. Go down the line. But as a bubble screen fly sweep guy, Eskridge is indeed better than him. He's He runs stronger with the ball in his hands than uh, Jackson Smith and Jigba does. Nitro Hawk says, you're completely fine with the Northtown Mall, but scared of flying. That's the opposite of me. <laughs> well, you get to a certain height and it's like, it doesn't matter. <laughs> uh, Megan says I had to be sedated to fly to Seattle due to flying interstate three days after 9-11 and my godson works at Everett yeah I, I probably would be too if I had to fly as long as you had to fly in it I, I already start with the Hawaii trip it's five, five and a half six hours and I already start getting a little bit dodgy by the end of it like jumpy you know so yeah 
I feel you on that. Erickson, yeah, Jamal is a floater on the D-line. So let him move all around that area. And that to me, that gets freed up by having your, you, you keep your two safety high looks. Where if we're going to stay in this defense, then we need the two safety high looks. So you keep Julian Love back there. And then Jamal comes up as that de facto floater, like you say. Garth Knight, thank you for the $5 donation. Appreciate all your donos tonight, Garth. He says, Orange Cat, can we count on Jamal Adams the fourth time around? Let's see, Garth. She's got a hand over her head. She's deep in sleep. But let's get the answer with her on the scene. Is Jamal Adams going to be healthy this year? Is Jamal going to be healthy? Oh, she's silent, Garth. Is he going to be healthy? Were you sleeping? She was deeply sleeping there, Garth. Look, she got her, her face like confused. Is he going to be healthy? Yes? How's his fingers? <laughs> she's, she's trying to cry, but she didn't give me a whole lot, Garth. Were you, sleep, you were sleeping, huh? I'm sorry. Oh, gosh. I know. Is Jamal going to be healthy? She's thinking about it. I'll check with her in a sec. I'll check with her set, Garth. Um, Jonah the Whale, you guys don't like the sharks because of Jaws? That's strange here in Hawaii. When I see that movie, I wanted one. I went out and got a pet shark. He's lovely. I named him Spot. <laughs> I think it's different. Like, well, it's like Megan. Like, I think, you know, she's comfortable going out in that cage down there in Australia. You're in Hawaii near the sharks. I guess if you're just near him, it's a little bit different. Um, but from afar, you know, it just, it, just seems like a brutal way to go. Erickson getting hall sign was sweet, man. It's good, good sign. The good, good sign. I think that guaranteed money for the rookies. The end, in, the uh, players association is trying to get guaranteed deals on those second round picks. It's causing some of the negotiations to take a little bit of an extra time. Um. <clears throat> John Hobbs, the rally cat. She is the rally cat. She's lucky. You, what do you can't, you can't yell now? You're just crying without any cryings. Megan says, that look is like, dad, there's no way Jamal's staying healthy this year. And you and I and the 12s know it. It was kind of that look, wasn't it? Let's ask her one more time. She's, she's woken up now. Is Jamal going to be healthy? Is Jamal going to be healthy this season? We need your opinion on this. What? What? I'm not getting anything from her. I don't know what the hell is going on here. Ryan Ball says, Orange Cat says, what do you think? Sarcastically. Probably. That, that's about the right tone, I think. Erickson says, should we, be, should we sandbag Jamal for the playoffs? No, nah, because, I mean, you want as much as anything shooting for the playoffs to try to aspire to get to, like, the number one seed. You know, one of the problems with us having playoff success or lack of playoff success over the last probably five, six years really comes down to us having to play too often on the road. So I think getting home field games is kind of an important part of this. And uh, you eventually just got to throw them out there and see if he can roll. And this is the last year where you're married to him, where this offseason you couldn't move him because of the dead money. Well, you can move him next year with the dead money. 
So it's it's kind of like some point or another, he's got to start to throw production out there for him warding what he's costing. And you've got to make that call here soon, uh, Erickson, where, you know, next year, whether or not he stays on the roster or not, or you just choose to cut base, sunk cost, move on. Yeah. Nitro says, if Jamal Adams stays healthy for a season, that's pretty much like winning the Super Bowl. <laughs> it certainly would be pretty unusual to what we've seen in here in recent times, that's for sure. Megan says, the look of death beat. That's how I look when people talk to me before coffee in the morning. Yeah, she was deep in some sleep. She gave me that. I was super tired having a good dream. Oh, now she's getting loud. What? What? Okay, can you answer now? Is Jamal Adams going to be healthy this year? I think that was a yeah, Garth. I think that was a yeah. I can't guarantee for sure, but it felt yash. Why do I says highly recommend reading Albert Breer on Gino? Apparently, he hasn't had an off season. He came back to Seattle, started working out right after the 49ers loss. No PR about it, too. Teammates more in love. The guy's been working his butt off. Why do I? I did see the article out. It was one of those things I'm considering on talking about a little bit tomorrow on uh, my members show. But uh, yes, I think the indications of, of, of what Gino's done into this offseason and what he understands about this situation, it's very reminiscent, I think, of where Russ was at the end of that Falcons game when he talked about that tough loss of saying, hey, we're just wait till us next year. We're, we, we got something here. Wait till we get around to next year. And then you had the impression that Russ went into that next offseason and just worked and worked and worked and worked and uh, Gino I, I did see in the early part of the article you know where you know he didn't take any off season he was back into that facility the next day after the, the end of the season busting his butt working on it and um, that's what it takes in the NFL you want to be great is yeah you need the talent and you need the work ethic but you also need to be willing to do what the others aren't willing to do other quarterbacks take off that month after the season go out there and relax take their vacations but there's been a sense of urgency and a sense of understanding of what at stake with here at Gino, knowing that the clock's ticking on his career, knowing that this opportunity that he finally has gotten after 10 years is one he's wrapped both of his hands around and do everything he can to maximize it because there is not going to be any other opportunities. And I, I, it's amazing that he's had that recognition of this because that realization is one that usually is older men kind of realize about it after it's happened. And he's realizing it in the moment. And whether Gino fails or succeeds next year, I don't think anybody's going to be able to question whether or not he did everything he could. He put every bit of work into this upcoming season that he could to maximize this upcoming season. And that is all you can ask of your quarterback. And something that I'm not always sure that we have gotten from the position reason, in recent years prior to Geno. Not to this kind of extent. And it's, uh, it's wonderful to see. It, it, I, I love it too. I really do love it too at Y2Y. And you're right to be impressed by it because I don't think it's just a normal thing everybody has. Yeah. Max is not performing for you, Dad. I heard a hell no. Yeah, she basically was that. She jumped out of that too. She's like, eh, stop with your questions. You guys can see how hard it was to get her to do the video on picking the picks. <laughs> the herding cats thing is completely true. Sajin says that Brandon liked that Boz shirt, brother. Thank you, man. I, I, I've been looking to pick up a Boz shirt, so I gotta get, gotta get you guys some different, different shirt views. My shirt game's been uh, lagging a little bit. Garth Knight, Gorge Cat, woke when somebody was dumb enough to say his health equals Super Bowl. <laughs> Big facts, man. Big facts. Uh, Erickson, our O-line is going to be good. It is. 
It is definitely improved over next year how or last year. I don't know how significant, but it will be improved. And uh, boy, if your center and right guard can, can just get to a point of playing league average, this offensive line has a chance of being a top five offensive line next year, just with those two things developing. Because I know Lucas and Cross are going to take steps forward. Lewis has cemented himself. We just got to take the weak links out. We got to just take out those things that have been failing uh, parts of that offensive line at recent times in recent years. And uh, the sky's the limit for this offense if it can get that way. Megan says, if you're speaking of Mr. Smith, I shall remove the Kraken and wear the, the number seven the stream uh, for the stream only and put the Kraken jersey back on when it's done. I think we might be doing that. And maybe I will cover a bit of that Albert Breer article tomorrow, Megan. I think that's a good one to go into. And this is really a, probably a, a good discussion to have a little bit about this because work ethic is so important. And again, understanding, I think a little bit of why you fell short a little bit at the position prior times was that you didn't necessarily have a guy all the way. And I think Russ definitely had a great work ethic and he would work hard, but I don't know what was always in the way and the manner in which Gino's done it here, which is complete. I don't got distractions the off season. I don't have this commercial I have to film. I don't have to go out into Italy for four weeks. I don't have to go over here. I'm just in the facility every day grinding. So that's what I've referred to at times, Megan, too, is that, remember you asked about it once, of what's the lonely work? This is the lonely work. This is the work where you're not on Instagram putting this and that. This is you just in the, in the gym in the facility grinding centimeter by centimeter, inch by inch, getting better. And then you get to the end of the, and an off season that started with that final game after the end of the Niners and you're to the start of training camp and wow, look at how even more I've improved myself. Look how even more better I've made myself. Erickson says, Lucas looking nice after surgery. Definitely for sure he is. Sajin says, I just acquired the same We Are 12 banner flag also. I love it, man. My mom got me this one and uh, it's one of my prouder Seahawk things I've got. It's a great flag. And hope uh, Rick will be back 100% soon, Erickson. It was arthroscopic, so I think the timeline that they provided is going to be the timeline that uh, um, is going to be applied. He'll be ready by training camp, I believe. M. Iverson, anyone with the last name Schmidt should have the nickname Bull or the Bull. That's true. Bull Schmidt. <laughs> I'm with it. The Bull Schmidt. <laughs> I might steal that one. Will we ever get another Schmidt in the house here in Iverson? Uh, Sajin says the Reek the Freak. I think he's got to have all the nicknames. When he's this good, you got to give him like five nicknames. You know, Tariq the Freak, Tarikistan, the Avatar. You know what I mean? You got you to go through them all. He needs to have like the prince that was promised. <laughs> you just go through all of them. Why do I Lucas looks like the real deal? Like maybe future all pro type deal. He looks so good before the rookie wall hit. One of the most athletic offensive tackles in the NFL. Boy, is he ever. And I think he is the real deal as well. You know with me, why do I, I had a first round grade on that kid back when we took him in the third round. And um, there was, that was the reason I lined on it is there's so many good parts to his game that he brings onto the field. And uh, last year you saw it was something that people hadn't questioned was his ability to run block. And is he going to be strong enough? Is he going to grind guys in the dirt? That's just what he was doing. He's pancaking people all over the football field. Very impressive. Very, very impressive. But um, yeah, I think he's going to be legit too. Why do I think all pro is definitely within his, maybe not gets there this year, but he's on, on route. He's on route to getting there. Megan says, if we were to catch him all this year, not that we will, what's the hit this year? 
Uh, yeah, so it's 18.1, as Ryan says, then it's 23.8 if you're releasing this year. You could have done a post-June 1st designation to split it up into two parts if they had done it prior to June 1st, but waiting after it now, it's the full meal deal would come into cost this year's cap. But Megan, after you clear this year's books, then it starts to change to where now you're saving money if you move on from them rather than it actually costing you more money to move on from them. That's why you're in the pickle this year of having to just wait it out with them. And there wasn't really an option to move off from them. Sports Track's probably right on that, by the way, Ryan Ball. They're, that's, that's probably accurate. Wu-Tang says, Tariq the Sheik, speed like a Bugatti. Sykes <laughs> says, Brandon, how do you feel about a running back depth? I love a running back depth. This is the, the strongest and the deepest that you've had it in team history. Not just the last decade, not the last three decades, but in team history. Um, there's never a time that I can remember us ever having four backs this deep, this strong. <clears throat> And uh, I think it's going to be one where you're going to be able to lean on this strength in order that you never have to bail on the running game at any time next year. It's always going to be able to be, I think, a part or strength of your team week in and week out, which is just going to make, to me, Saijin, the passing offense that much more deadlier because teams aren't going to be able to lean defensively into the passing attack like they could a little bit last year as the year went along. Now you got to play it more legitimate. Now you got to bring an eighth man in the box to help out in the run game from time to time. That pulls the double teams off. And uh, our offense, I think, will be at its best side, Jane, as long as it's being balanced. And I think stacking up the running back room as they have over this last two-year period, including two second-round picks, is an indication of the team feeling the same way about this. Unlike how some of the analytic people talk about it, Sajin, right? Where they say it's not important. Just get one guy, you'll be fine. Put a bunch of also-rans behind him, you'll be fine. It's all based on the line. Uh, Megan says, why the difference? There was something about the designation in the post-June thing where you had to designate and post June before June because then you could put on last year's books or you could put some on next year's books and some on the year after book. I don't know what it is about the rule that puts that in place, but if you pass by June 1st and you haven't put that designation, then you must put the full totality of the dead money on the books in one year at that point. There is no splitting it up at that, as I understand it. It certainly is very complicated though with it, Megan. Garth Knight, thank you for the $2 donation. I appreciate all the donos tonight, Garth. He says, Brando, I dare you start writing Winds of Winter. Well, Garth, you know, I published my book four weeks ago, right, man? And it's basically a, the size of a George R. It's basically my Winds of Winter. So uh, I, I, did, uh, I, did, I did already start writing my thing on that. Yeah. Um, thank you for the donation, though. I'll get you the link, Garth, if you want to read it. I, I published it, man. That thing is my Winds of Winter. <laughs> Tyson says, Brando, let's keep them all healthy this season since we have a run first team. I'd love to see it, man. Part of that's just balancing the load. You know, Walker is your bell cow back. Um, Zach Charbonnet is your number two back and also your short yardage back. Kenny McIntosh is your third down back. DJ Dallas is your fill-in guy. You know, let everybody kind of slide into the role. Don't overuse anybody. D-Boy, Brandon, sorry I'm sorry if I missed it, but I asked you who would have the better career, Mike Jackson or Kobe Bryant, and who's better right now? <sighs> Oof, tough question. Uh, my theory on this would be... <sighs> my theory on this would be Kobe Bryant would be the better player because he got a little bit more of a nose for the ball. I think Jackson can do a little bit more of the assignment correct stuff. Um, at this moment, he's a little more on his P's and Q's, I think. It's a little hard to make this evaluation, D-Boy, because we haven't seen Kobe Bryant on the outside. So I can't compare him. I've got Kobe on the inside and what he's done from there. And I've got Jackson on the outside pure. 
So it's a little bit of an apples for oranges comparison as it currently stands, even though I think Kobe can play on the outside. And I'm, it just makes my guess harder on this where I'll give you an answer, but I'm not locked in with my confidence and feeling that it's strong <laughs> as a guess. So uh, I'll go with Kobe Bryant with that nose for the ball and, and the ability to provide flexibility on defenses. Mike's an outside guy, only guy that's now a guy that can play inside and outside. So I'll lean to going with him, but I don't feel strong about it. Big Country, how you doing, man? It's good to see you in the chat. Wu-Tang says, he could start riding wins of winter now and probably finish before GRRM. I, I'd at least finish. I'd be nowhere near as good as his books, but uh, I would at least finish. And I think, sadly, at this point, Wu-Tang, we're not getting a finish to that series. Seems like uh, seems like he's, we're going to end up having to see that thing ghostwritten or something. Why do I says, we have to watch the secondary play well first, but when they do, we need a name. Bullhawks fits but it's plain. I like Seattle air defense. What you guys got? I don't got anything off the top of my head. I agree. We got to get them. They, if they get good, then they can definitely get a nickname. We got to get them good first though. Why do I? That's part of what will generate the nickname is the manner in which they're great, right? Steel Curtain, Saxonville, Legion of Boom, the no-fly zone. Part of how they play defensively is how you know what to call them from a nickname standpoint. Jimmy Cruz, I see why you got the headline. I see, I, see, uh, I see why you got the headline. You got a new Bosworth shirt. I remember uh, his T-shirt hustle he had back in the day. Ha ha, looking fresh. Thank you, brother. Uh, Bobby going to be the best hands-on mentor and star athlete. Goat. Definitely a goat, man. And uh, yeah, he's going to be just, just the right solution for what we need for a young football team, especially such a young football team on the defensive side of the ball. Bobby gets to point things out, tell them where to go. He unleashes these young, these young bucks with their young legs. You know, all fresh, never injured, just running wild out there. And he gets to just kind of just guide the action around. And uh, I think it's going to be a perfect fit for this team. Just what the doctor ordered. You know, we're going to the pharmacy and we're getting ourselves a bottle of Bobby Wagner. Take one and call me in the morning. Tyson says, I'll wait on Jackson and Brian for now. It's a tough call. It's a tough call to go between the two on them on that. Not sure. CJ Kurzman, uh, what's my book named? So I've got a book. Yeah, I published it on Amazon. It's called When the Sleeper Awoke. And it's currently only on available on Kindle. I'm getting the soft cover and hard copies created, but it's a process. So those will be coming up next. But uh, you can find it currently right now on Amazon. Sizing says, can we not have a weird game with the Steelers this time when we should have won? That would be nice. That would be nice. Playing it, I think we play that at home. I don't like going out to the East in that game. I don't like going to that stadium. It's been a tough stadium for us to win. So I dig that. I dig that we don't have to on that. Big Country says, have you seen the wreck the Mariners have been the last eight games? The ship is sinking. Yeah, it, it's sinking. It's sinking and falling into the depths of the depths of the waters of the depths. Um, you know, it, it's on the ownership group at this point in time to start giving some indications that they're going to spend some money and and not just kind of quasi spend money, but really start spending some money. Um, I've been one of those people that hesitant on that big country in the past, but I, it's gotten to such a point here. And, you know, if, if they're not going to be competitive this year, then we go into sell mode. You, you know, you move off the guys like Teoscar and A. Eugenio and you get what you can get for them. And then we go into this next offseason at that point, and we should load to bear, in my opinion. Uh, pull, pull a page out of the uh, Rangers book at that point. 
um, and try to manufacture this because this offense is it's part why I don't stream. I'm I'm tired of watching just crap offense that strikes out every time. It's it's gotten completely old, and uh, I'm more out with it, and I don't want to. I don't want to watch it anymore on that. Like I'll watch games still, but like streaming and having to just another strikeout, another piss poor swing, another piss poor bat. And it's the same guys having the same piss poor bats. They're not improving. They're not getting better in their approach. And uh, you know, the team's got to figure this out, move the fences in, do what you got to do. But this epidemic of being an inability to hit for years on end now has just gone too far. So time for them to move. John Stillwell coming in and gifting 10 Hawks Nest memberships. John, thank you so much for doing that. You are awesome. I appreciate you so, so very much. Uh, so Chronic Fort, you've been gifted a membership. Chad Hart, John Brown, Ivan Kadic, Just Tags, Robbie Red, Max, Trent Cybots, Raul Aguilar, all of you have been gifted memberships by John Stillwell. Thank you, John, for doing that. Steve, looking for silver, was also gifted a membership out there. And we will be tomorrow, for those new members of the channel, I will be going live tomorrow at 5 o'clock for members only. So do keep an eye out for that members only video. And John, thank you for all of your awesome support on the channel, man. One of my biggest supporters on this channel. Um, a longtime supporter at that. So thank you so much, John. You're awesome for doing that, brother. Awesome for doing that. Welcome all the new members to the uh, the Hawks Nest. Uh, D-Boy, Brandon, with all of these good players we have in our secondary right now, is this a good problem to have for the Seahawks or will it blow up in our face? It's a good problem to have. It's embarrassment of riches. It's uh, what they would call, D-Boy, first world problems. The opposite end of the scale is that you just can't find talent. You draft guys high, but you just can't find talent. And when you stack it up deep, You've got flexibility and to, to do things and move parts and pieces around in a way to get value back for them. It doesn't necessarily always mean you've got to let a guy walk pure and simple. Sometimes you can get out ahead of some of this stuff and say, hey, we got to choose one of these guys, so we'll have to move one of these other guys to make sure that we can fit these guys all in. So uh, I'd rather, much rather D-Boy be at this end of the scale than what will be the other end of the scale. And there's a lot of teams that are in that scale where they've, they've drafted guys, they've, they've put high picks on players, and, and they've tried to make certain positions real strengths. And they have just flat missed, flat whiffed. So uh, it's only in our favor. And I think the other last part that it does, D-Boy, and I, I'm a believer of this, in that we put our best team on the field when we have competition. Our best team's out there when those guys are fighting it out in training camp and off seasons in the workout room, day after day after day, saying, my job isn't set. I got to fight for this with everything I got. And that's when we get our best, our best possible team, in my opinion, of things. Um, and so, you know, I... I, I, I lean back on saying that's also what this is going to bring out is that nobody's guaranteed their spot. You're going to be on that football field. You better darn well earn it. Darn well earn it. So nothing but a good thing, D-Boy. Nothing but a good thing. Nitro Hawk, top three video games of all time. Um, we'll go with uh, the original, I think, original Halo was probably a pretty good one for what it did to, to I think, sort of change first-person shooters. Um Oof. Time favorite video games. Good question. I mean, if you go by probably what I've played, it's like, I don't know if I've got certain set ones that stick out in my mind ahead of anything else. Let me think about it. Nitro. Probably Halo is one of the ones on there though. 
original Halo back in the day. I don't know on the other two. I'm just getting set to play a little bit of the Diablo. See how that one is. CJ says Steelers also ended Max Strong's career. Damn him. Is there no CJ? Is there no end? Is there no? Is there no depths to their evil? Will go. You end a man like Max Strong's career. That just tells you what kind of dirty franchise you have. Uh, Whitey Wise is just my opinion. I think Seattle is going to pass more on neutral downs. I think Waldron wants to run his own more like McVeigh, which much more 11 personnel. Can't, say, can't wait to see what the offense looks like. I agree. I do think that that's also a bit of a way that they're looking to slide towards. I think if, if just anything, why do why the Jackson Smith and Jigba pick tells you this? Can't rely on Eskridge to be the guy. Even though you have Derek Young developing last year, not sure if he can be the right guy in the slot. They want to get the right guy in the slot with this pick in Jackson. Um, and that that has to be a little bit of, I think, of an indicator of that. I agree with you. Yeah. I like to, we can slide wide to wide between that 11 personnel or 12 personnel or even 13 personnel. I mean, we can attack with all three and, and the defense doesn't ever really know what's coming, especially when it comes down to attacking weaknesses. Robin says, Legion of Hurt. <laughs> there we go. Uh, D-Boy says, I don't know what it is, but YouTube doesn't want me to become a member. It may be, D-Boy, that if it's uh, if you're a mod, that it doesn't it doesn't allow you to be a member at that point. Because, like, you know, it's not putting it to Megan either. And I know with her on that on the mod. So, But don't worry about it, D-Boy. I'll get you the link. Uh, you're not going to miss out on any of the benefits. So we'll get you that link um, sent out to you tomorrow when I post to the show. I'll remember. I'll remember. That or or YouTube does has got a bone to pick with you. You said something about bad about YouTube back in the day, and it just. <laughs> uh, Zaijin says, "Don't know, Brandon. I would have called it when Jack Rabbit slapped the bear. Just saying. I joke, of course, brother. Happy for you. Thank you, man. <laughs> so that's a good. That, that's not a bad title. It's not a bad title." Nitro Rock, disappointing. I was very optimistic about this Mariner season. I know there's a lot of games left, but still, it's disappointing. I'm with you, man. I did not think they were going to struggle like they have this year, but they are struggling, and they're struggling for the same reasons they've struggled in recent history. And, you know, now it's on DePoto here as he's crafted this team so well and set the stage. you got to put the finishing move on now. You, you don't, you, it's like, it's like from DePoto's standpoint, it's the equivalent of a basketball move where they say there's a, there's a million dollar move with a 10 cent finish, right? You all seen that? guy crosses a guy over dumps him on his butt spins around another guy comes up back up double clutches up underneath throws it up looking smooth as hell air ball million dollar move 10 cent finish and what you got with this mariner team is a million dollar build up to this season with a 10 cent finish what's our next what's our next move now to counter this just to sit and wait and hope you be patient because i don't want to watch a season of aj pollock and colton wong ripping up ABs like tissue paper for guys on the toilet with diarrhea. No, no, thank you. I can do other things with my time. Nitro Ox says, how does gifting work? Does it give it to random people? It does. So um, I believe that uh, John, I believe that when John, John still did it, it just goes to random, randomized people by YouTube. Eventually they'll give you control to be able to give out the memberships, I think. 
but they're just they're behind Twitch within in uh, putting this into play. So it's just been put out there, and so you know people are kind of just getting used to it a little bit with that. But John Stillwell, thank you for uh, gifting those memberships out. We're gonna be doing more of these live stream shows for the members of the channel. So I appreciate we'll be able to bring a lot of folks in here initially to check out some of these shows. D Boy says John Stillwell's a true legend. He's always gifting the live stream. Oh, he's awesome. He's awesome. I it's amazing the amount of support I get and it helps this thing go. John, Megan, Garth, uh, Rand McDaniel, um, D-Boy, you've donated out. Plenty of folks donate on this channel and it's it, it allows me to be able to do this thing full time. And it's just a wonderful, I, a lot of other channels I think would have to wait till they're up to 26, 30, 40, 50,000 subscribers to get to that state of things. And I find myself here at still 12.5 basically already cracked to that point because of the support. And uh, it's, it is truly amazing, D-Boy. I mentioned a lot, but I mentioned because it is not something you see every day over every YouTube channel in that kind of way that the, the community supports and the, the way that they do here. I really do appreciate it. CJ says, take a look at the Cardinals secondary outside of Buddha or the Rams secondary. Oof. It's brutal. It's brutal. That's why when D-Boy asked that, I go, nope. I'm <laughs> Stack away. Have way too much talent. Have so much talent that it's, it's pouring over the sides of our cup. You know? Have so much talent that the guy that you, the guys you release at the end of training camp go on to be starters at other teams. Like, I want it built up to that strength versus the other side of it. And yeah, the Rams and the Cardinals are having some brutal secondaries. Tough luck for those, those teams on their secondary. Part of why they're kind of quasi-tanking though, too. Cameron Robinson says, what's up, B? Uh, just got on and jump into the beginning of the L stream. I don't want to miss the B-Wags content. Go Hawks, Hawks for life. Well, thank you, Cameron. Appreciate it. We've had a great show here today, and I think I made a pretty good case that we've got Bobby at least in the top six of things here all time, though there was a little bit of a difference of opinion on that. Joe another Wales says, we'll call the safety the safe and sounders. <laughs> Maybe he's got Fallout 4, Resident Evil, uh, and one another. Those are pretty good ones. Resident Evil's a good one. Why do I have Seattle has Trey and MJ and Burns and Kobe all looking good in training camp? They would now have the capital to trade for a player or even better 2024 picks. Potentially. Yeah. Potentially. It kind of does depend a little bit on what's the league's view of the value of those guys in addition to that. Um, but you would have that open up as a possibility. Cornerback hungry team, need somebody functional, we'll throw you a third, fourth round pick. Uh, wouldn't be the worst, worst way to go. I will say, once we do get past Tariq, MJ, Trey, and Kobe, it's not as deep. That's why you get the Artie Burns signing and some of these other cornerback churns is that it's that five, six, seven spot that you need for coming into training camp is not as well aligned. So if we do move off from those guys, especially considering a guy like Trey Brown who's coming back from that injury recently, it, it does get a little bit thinner at that point. And you might need to call upon that depth over the course of the season, especially if you have to eventually slide back Kobe into the slot. 1023 is Madden 15, best sports game. Madden's probably the one that I've played as much as any game out there over the course of the two decades. That's for sure. Battlefield 2 is a good, a good one. Herbicide's got Diablo. It's hard to pick, hard to pick uh, so many good ones. Narrowing it down to just the top couple. It's, it's tough, especially from different years and different standpoints. Galaga.
D-Boy says, Brando, Brandon, if it was the uh, Seahawks GM and you had to get rid of two players in our secondary, who would you pick? Get rid of two players? Um... Get rid of. Well, I mean, I I guess you're moving. If you've got to move two guys, it's one of Michael Jackson or Trey Brown because there's value there to potentially move them and you have guys starting ahead of those guys. So those would be the two that I would go to. I'm not really looking to move any of the safeties. Jamal's going to cost you money to move him. And Julian Love gives you insurance for Jamal. So I'll go with those two. Joker, yo, Brando, how come the Seahawks have a poor track record of doing screen passes? Tyler Lockett brought up a good point. They were last in screen passes. It's been bad for years. Um, first, initially, you were bad for many of these years in the screen game because Russell Wilson kind of sucked in the screen game. He didn't throw particularly really quick passes in the bubble screen and got the ball in the hands fast for those guys to move in space. He was also a guy that you couldn't run the traditional screen game with because he was too short. Same thing's true with Kyler Murray. The same thing's going to be true with Bryce Young. You know, you have six foot six, six foot five defensive linemen sticking their hands all the way up here. And on a traditional screen game, you have to drop back as a quarterback and retreat. So you have to throw it over their arms. And if you have a guy that's six five as a quarterback, he's not having to lollipop it over the top as much as if you have a shorter quarterback. So it used to fail for a lot of reasons because of that. It also failed because you go for immobile linemen. And that's what you've drafted over a 10-year stretch, guys that can't move in space. If you're going to make a screen game work, you've got to have the offensive linemen be able to get from point A to point B. And that means getting out very far off of the line of scrimmage to be able to go out and lay those blocks. If you've got a lot of guys that are slower than molasses choker, they're not going to be able to get out and make those kind of blocks in space and so the, they're going to miss their blocks and then the guys are going to come up and blow the play up before it's even gotten a chance to start so those are really the main problems that have held you back and being able to run the screen game you know in a, in a better fashion um so it's definitely a lot of room to improve there and it they would stand to, especially like teams that blitz them a lot to be able to counter that with some screen some traditional screen game stuff would be great but um I'll also say this, Joker, the screen game, traditional screen game's kind of been slowly been weeded out a little bit of out, of out of football over the last couple of years. Nitro, after doing a million-dollar move, it would be kind of hard to finish, though. It is. You're a little out of breath, man. You've had to kind of expend it all out to get to the cup, you know, to get to the dish. <coughs> John, <coughs> John Stillwell, thank you for the $20 donation. Thank you for all the donations and the gifting and the subs, man. You'll be the most popular guy in here pretty soon, John. <laughs> you'll, be the, you'll be the most popular dude running in here. Uh, thank you, though, for the $20 donation as well. He says, I think it's time to start making a clear distinction between the cap and money. There are two methods of accounting, cash and cap, but they are getting interchanged and it's confusing a lot of fans. Uh, that's true. Yeah. Um, so... I'm just trying to think on what I'm spawned here. Um, cap and money. 
yeah, I, the cap the cap space that you have to spend is not necessarily the money that you have to spend remaining. I mean, for instance, John, this and this gets confusing because the whole nature of it can be confusing with just all the factors that encompass into this. But you don't have all of your draft picks signed. So technically you have salary cap space that equals this, but you don't really have that because you're going to have to sign those guys at some point. So that's money that should count, you know, up against your books. Um, but for instance, like John, the 5.85 million I talk about with Fant and him being a potential trade target. It's a guaranteed contract, but if you can move the 5.85, it's not bonus. So you would clear that 5.85 off the books and that would create all of that room instantaneously without any real downside, absent, of course, you know, losing the player. Um, but it is a different method if we're talking about getting into, you know, converting base to bonus, which is where a lot of people go to on that, of course, John, and, and what that frees up cap-wise, space-wise, and everything else. But yeah, it's uh, it's eminently uh, complicated, John. And it, it certainly is, uh, even when I try to get through to explaining it clearly, I don't think I still end up getting um, to the final point of clarity on it when I try to kind of dish it all, you know, dish it all out with it. So I try to keep as I can in kind of vague lands with the cap rather than getting to the, is the certain amount of money that we have. We're in the general place of this and then we can generally do this, um, you know. There's a lot of rules with it though. Thank you for the $20 donation. But yeah, cap, cap's what you have left. Money's what you can spend. I, I guess elaborate, John, on a little bit more where you'd want me on the explanation for that, if you could. You don't have to put it in a donation. Just put it in the comments. Um, I think I was kind of expanding on what you were looking for on that. But let me know. Why do I play in first software game? Shaco died twice. My God, is that game hard? Some of these games are freaking crazy tough. I can't do them. D-Boy, Brandon, can you name me two players that you regret the Seahawks trading or cutting? One offense, one defense? Um, yeah, I think that the team offensively regretted moving on from Kevin Mawai. I'm going long, far back on that one, D-Boy. But I don't think that the Kevin Mawai release ended up proving to be the smart move on the Seahawks part. Um, because he still went on to have a very good career. Um, defensively. Gosh, I'm trying to think defensively, D-Boy. We've kind of, we've not really had anybody leave and go somewhere and do something. Sean Springs was okay after you let him go in free agency. There's really not a defensive guy unless I go pretty far back, uh, D-Boy. So like Michael McCrary going to the Ravens, started out his career here, had a pretty good career but really, and did fine with us. But then he really took off pretty well for the Ravens as part of that epic defense that they had. So probably it would be something like that. Offensively speaking, you've had probably more guys you've moved off of that you could find as examples like Kevin Mawai or Pete Kendall or... Um, Steve Hutchinson, they all happen to be offensive linemen, or Joey Galloway. You know, you could find maybe some of those guys you could go down the line with, but even Galloway I wouldn't regret because you got the first round picks back. But 
I can't think of a lot of defensive guys we've lost through our time that we feel really bit bad about losing that, man, I wish we still had that guy here. Like that one hurts. Megan says, you know, I wouldn't support you. I do if I didn't uh, truly love and believe in you, B. I do because I can, not have to, and I only wish I could do more. Uh, well, you do you do plenty, Megan, that's for sure. So I can't, wouldn't ask for more because you do as much as I could ever ask and more beyond that. But uh, I appreciate that. And I think it does indicate too, we're, we're on the right path here. We're going in the right direction that there is that support in it. And um, it's also just at the bottom line for me that it stokes, stokes me up for me with John, you and all the folks that support as you do is it just lets me do this all the time where I don't have to constantly think about the other job I got to make to make the cash and then cut the time away from the channel. I can just push poke on the channel. I'm working on the UDFA video right now in the background. I'm working on another little video uh, for an upload and just can kind of keep piecemealing on that throughout the day a little bit, you know? It's wonderful. Wonderful. Why do I say Star Wars Old Republic was such a great game? They are doing a remake. I hope they don't mess it up. Better not. Better not. Jonah says Tetris, Super Mario, and Street Fighter are the top three greatest video games of all time. Those are all good ones. I can't, those are all good ones. I can't argue with those. John says, I have heard from the inside the wall that Jackson has looked very good. He's getting some great reports, John. Michael Jackson is looking like he's taken a step forward this offseason in his play so far in minicamp and whatnot. Uh, and Devin Witherspoon, no guarantee that he's going to get that starting spot. He's going to have to earn it. And uh, there could be even a pull to kind of move into Devin Witherspoon into the slot if they really like him in there. They're already giving him some slot looks as well here in minicamp. So nothing but a great development, John, that Jackson's playing as well as he is. And, and that he's able to push Devon. And you're not just going to give Devon that starting spot. I love that. And good on Michael to take that competition to heart and drive it. It's part of that. I think that's where it breeds out the best players on the edge at that point when you guys got, you got guys battling like this so fervently. <laughs> 2042 Warzone 2.0. <laughs> nice Nitro. <laughs> Ute says, I hope they blitz Bobby more than last year, even though Pete is allergic to the blitz. Let the man hunt. Let him hunt. Let him do what he does best at this point in time in his career, Wu-Tang. Um, I, I agree with you. And, uh, and folks, by the way, we got four hours in, so we're going to get the last kind of the questions in here on this. I got to do a show tomorrow, and my voice is kind of starting to go here four hours in. John, uh, Garth, thank you for the $5 donation. I do appreciate you. Uh, all the donations as well. Like I said, another one of my sports, this channel just helps me be able to do what I'm able to do here on this channel, man. So thank you so much. It says, here's to Johnny Stillwell. John, I'm waiting on that membership. <laughs> all jokes aside, are you, a, uh, all jokes aside, you are a great dude for supporting Brando. He is a great dude indeed. John's dropped some money for me also offline at times at PayPal and whatnot. Um, it's, it is absolutely tremendous and amazing. And, uh, if not for these kind of donations, like they come due, and I don't expect anybody to donate if you can't, we're all in tough times. It's recession. Some can, some can't, you're not required to do so here. Those that can, it's great that you're, that you're able to do so. And, uh, just the understanding of, like I've said from day one, anything that comes to this channel goes into me being able to put back into this channel, keep it like a circle, right? Recycling right back into trying to, to put it in as far as time to generate more content and get more stuff out to you folks. So it's helping to do that. It's helped to do that. And uh, this next year, we're, I got some big plans for where we're going here. So thank you, Garth. Thank you, John. 
you are uh, you guys are amazing. I, I that word gets overused, but it certainly is applicable here. I I have amazing support from everybody on my chat all the way around, from encouragement to, to donations to everything in between, and uh, I I could never have asked for more. I would never ask for more. Um. Yeah, Wu Tang. I don't. I don't know if Bobby. If Pete's going to let Bobby blitz, I really don't. I I would love to believe that he will. Um, but Pete blitz last year at a five point four percent rate on a defense that wasn't particularly good last season. You know that would have been time to even start to manufacture stuff at that point, and they didn't do it. Uh, maybe with Bobby, Bobby here. Maybe with Jamal returning back. Maybe that's the great adjustment that they make to try to turn the wheels on on this defense. But I don't know if he will. They should, especially considering Wu-Tang that Bobby did what he did in the very same defense he's now playing in here in Seattle. So it would seem like a natural flip for the Hawks to make here to make that go. M. Iverson, just imagine if Pete blitzed Bobby more and he was able to consistently put up the numbers he did last year. Do you think that moves him up your list? Yeah, I think M. Iverson, if, if Seattle had committed a little bit more throughout Bobby's career to utilizing him in this fashion, he would be even higher at the list at this point. I, it's part of uh, it's it's kind of says something that he's at like 30 sacks for a career being that Pete doesn't like to blitz him at all hardly at all he's been very efficient in getting those sack and pressure numbers on the small amount of times that he actually does get to blitz um, but yes I think that if they were to blitz him if you talk about him Iverson going for another two or three years on Bobby's career finding a couple extra years and middle linebackers like London Fletcher like Sam Mills like Ray Lewis uh, like Derek Johnson we can go through a lot of list of these guys who played really long careers not just 10-year careers but got out plus 15 20 years junior sale it's a position that can allow you to play a little bit longer and so if he can over the next couple of years Pete use him as a blitzer more if he can pull 15 sacks over the next three years and end up with now 45 sacks in his career for the middle linebacker position I would think that M. Iverson, that would raise him up the list. That that would elevate him a couple of spots at least. Why do I says I was horribly disappointed with the Hogwarts game. I'm not a Harry Potter fan yet. Uh, fan yet. People kept telling me, if you're like open world RPGs, you'll love it. Nope. <laughs> yeah, it's, you know, a lot of these games now, it's it's a lot of sell yet. It's a lot of PR. It's a lot of flash and dash and seeing stuff, you know, and then you get to to the live game and it's, the video game industry is in the worst place it's been in in my whole lifetime, quite frankly. It's been about four or five years of just completely, almost just completely bad all the way around. There's been some first-person games that have come out. Warzone flashed initially for some, like, but it's been bad. Ski Nation says, well, 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 hello. Another, well, 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 another live stream. Hello. What's up, man? Jaw power all day. Uh, CJ Kersman, serious question. Would you rather be honored with raising the 12th man flag, own season tickets for life, or possess the unbreakable gum destroying jaw power of Pete Carroll? Jaw power of Pete Carroll would be pretty, pretty nice. Uh, season tickets for life, I think, would probably be the one that I would go to. I'd love to raise the 12th man flag, though. And I've already got a plan. If I ever got to raise the 12th man flag, like, I'd go nuts. I got a whole thing I was going to do, like, you raise the 12 man flag, I'd like get up onto the bar on the top rung of the bar, right? And then I'd be trying to hype the fans up. And then I'd like act like I slipped and fell, but then caught myself on the bar. And then everybody like, <gasps> and then pull yourself back over the bar and then, <sighs> right? Then I'd get, I'd get everybody jacked up then, like, he lived. Ah! 
But the whole time I was completely safe. You know, I was just doing it for theatrics. You know, that'd be my 12th man flag. That'd be how I do it. That'd be how I jack it up. I do a lot of the Hulk Hogan, you know. Who? Can't hear you over here. Can't hear you over there. Joker says, you think we'll see more runs to the outside or inside with our current running back room? Seemed like water, seemed like Walker, seemed like Walker like pitch or counter plays. He struggled getting those little yard draw plays. Uh, yeah, you want to get them in space. You want to get them outside. I would love to think that they're going to utilize more of those runs, Joker. This is a little bit like asking me, do you think Coach Carroll's going to blitz? Um, I can give you an answer as to what I'd love to see. But if you're asking me to give you an answer as to predicting Coach Carroll, he's been pretty ingrained in what he's shown you he's willing to do throughout his time here as a coach on the offense and defensive side of the ball. And he does not tend to want to run outside. He wants the Marshawn run, power A gap runs inside all day long, 24-7, 24 hours a day. That is Coach Carroll's game. Will he incorporate it this year? Is it going to become part of the offense now? You tell me, man. I mean, I can flip a coin and tell you, but I don't know. It should be. It's a part of the offense with the Rams. It's part of what Waldron was bringing with him from McVay, but it's not been something that they've instituted. It's like asking me about the screen game. I can guess and say they should do it, but they're, they don't. Carroll's got certain things on his team that he just doesn't do. There's just things Coach Carroll doesn't do, and, it, and I know it drives fans crazy and they look for the change of it, but I don't know that it's changing in Coach Carroll's philosophy anytime soon. He doesn't want to blitz. He doesn't want to run man coverage. He doesn't want to run the screen game. He doesn't want to run fly sweep plays. He's not going to want to run to the edges very often. You know, these are just things that have been fashions of his offense and his defense for going back 12 years in his era here in Seattle. How do we, how do we make a prediction that he changes that this upcoming year? I mean, what, what is it to say that that changes on a dime now to become something else completely different? I can't get to that spot of things. So the answers on this, on these kind of always are joker like along all these. Do I want to see it? Yeah. Do I wish they would do it? Yeah. But to make the guess that they're going to do it, I'm not going to say Coach Carroll at this point in time suddenly is going to just flip it over overnight and do something different than he's ever done before, you know? I think it just is something he doesn't like in his offenses. And there's a reason that he's kind of, I think, beyond not having the personnel to make the screen game work, I just think you also don't have a commitment to it. Beyond not having Eskridge running the fly sweep game last year, you also just didn't have a commitment to it. And it takes both of those things, you know? Ski Nation, I would just crush my enemies with my teeth like Pitbull. <laughs> well, there you go. <laughs> the strong jaw would be definitely a, a, big, uh, a big nice pull to have. Drunk uh, Brando, real question. Who would you rather have in fantasy football, Jamar Chase or Justin Jefferson? Uh, JJ right now seeing some good cases for Jamar because of Joe Burrow being a better quarterback. It's um, a good question. Finished one and two. Um, I think I would go towards Jamar Chase Beyond the reasons that you gave drunk, I would lean to Jamar Chase because I don't think he's still been paid yet, if I'm not mistaken. So he's not gone to that contract yet. Justin Jefferson, I think, has now been paid. You also got Adam Thielen moving on, and they brought Jordan Addison in there in Minnesota. So Justin doesn't have a guy opposite of him that's going to be able to take the pressure off of him necessarily. Teams are going to be able to lock in and double in on Justin quite a bit, I think, even if he operates from the slot. And so I, I think that that's going to remove a little bit of his production versus Jamar, who I think will beat him out. 
Megan says, you know what uh, you need and whatever I can uh, for you down here. All you have to do is ask. And I, and if I can be, I will. Even if you're a Dave Craig fan laughing out loud. I know that Megan. I know you got my back no matter what. I appreciate that. And I'll tell you, we need doing this. I need people that have my back. So uh, anytime I will, I, I do. Like I say, though, you do everything I could ask for that I do need for help here. You know, from modding to the support on donations to the, just watching. I mean, it's that that's what I need. You know, I got everything else kind of covered up. This is the part now we got to, that I need to drive on. So I appreciate that. It's good to have, have uh, the reserves if you need to call them up. You know what I mean? And you never know. You never know. I appreciate you. Thank you so much. Uh, why do I? Taylor did not make the active roster 2020. So be an, he will be an unrestricted free agent. He has a great year. Seattle can sign and trade. I think you meant he'll be a restricted free agent. Um, he has a... He has a great year. Seattle can sign and trade or even work out a team-friendly long-term deal if they want. Yep, that's correct. He's not an unrestricted free agent after this year because of the unaccumulated year because of the injury. So he will be a restricted free agent after this year, which gives Seattle a little bit of that club control to do that, those two different things. Where it's either, hey, we want to get him on a contract or let's move him and get, let's say he goes out and puts up another 10-11 sack year. Can you get a second or third round pick back for him at that point? Maybe, maybe. And they put himself in a position of having a lot of flexibility here. Why do I? Because you have Derek Hall and Boye Mafe and even Uchenna, Uchenna in the mix. So you're not driven to have to give him a contract just because he's really going to have to earn it um, if they're going to give it to him here. Strong Squitter says Diablo 4 seems like fun game. Might be worth buying. I kind of did. I decided to do it just because of the fact that it's, it is so lame right now from a video game standpoint of things. There's just nothing out there. And so I was like, you know what? I, uh, a lot of people love this game. Let's give it a try. I've never done any of the Diablos. So let's roll through it. You know, there, there's nothing else coming down the pike anytime soon. 1023, he left Seattle in a bad way. He put middle finger to the fans. I still like Earl Thomas Legend. Uh, why do I say if MJ now, if MJ is now the guy that we can have spoon kicked down on nickel pass downs? Yep. Spoon would kick inside if MJ's up. If MJ's a, a dog and running, if he's out there busting butt and he's taking names and Devin Witherspoon can't hang with Jackson on the side because he's a rookie and Mike's advanced, well, then you're going to kick Devon into the inside and he's going to be your nickel guy probably, or at least he'll compete in there with Julian Love. You know. Uh, Y2K H with a $2 donation. Thank you, Y2K. This is Joe Kick for life. Joe kick for life. Yeah, I guess they got the win tonight to Denver Y2K, which is good to hear. Maybe Denver's going to get themselves a championship. Certainly not coming from football anytime soon. <laughs> but uh, Joe Kick, what's good about him is he's getting finally his flowers here. There's a lot of people have been hesitant to give that guy props um, because he's not won anything and got out there. And now maybe he's going to go out there and win it now that he'll get those people finally giving him his respect as, uh, for as great as he is, for as skillful as he is as a big man. Y2K, thank you for the $2 donation, though. I do appreciate you, brother. I think the Ox bring back Doom. <laughs> I'd play Doom if they brought it back. That's a good game. Megan Reagan's in the 12s flag sat under it would be last year. Yeah, we did. We got Sean Alexander did it for us. Kind of cool. Why do I, with Pete being able to chew that gum for three state hours a game, how happy is Miss Carol? <laughs> well, there's a reason you always see her with a smile on her face when she is in public. I'll, I'll, I'll leave it with that. 
I'll leave it at that. We got a lot of folks still in here at this time. Um, CJ says, great stream tonight, Brandon, as always. Keep up the great work and congrats on the book. Thank you, CJ. Appreciate it, man. Appreciate it if you want to check it out. Thanks for uh, asking about it. I'm really proud of it, man. I had worked a good 14, 15 years on it. So it was a definitely a labor of love. But the good news, it seems like listening to the folks that have uh, read it, that, that the uh, feedback's been just tremendous. So I'm, ha I'm very happy about it. Drunk says, I wonder why Pete doesn't like doing screens or running to the outside. Does he not trust it or has it been a bad habit since college USC days? Well, you think about it. I mean, it wasn't as much a problem with USC because he had Reggie Bush and he put Reggie Bush to the edges at times. Um, I think Marshawn Lynch kind of brought this effect in a bit where, where Pete got to see this running back that week after week would wear down defenses with these A-gap runs and just hammering the middle of the defense and being hard to drag down and just you're just putting a hat on a hat and you're just, it's, it's gut punches all game long is what you're trying to deliver. Whereas when you start getting lateral in the run game, it's less about physicality and beasting up on people and it's more about getting your linemen moving into space. It's more finesse than it is mauling. And Carroll's more of a guy that leans into that old school football. I want to maul. I want to be physical. I want to beat people down. You know what I mean? So when you talk about things that are in the offense that lean away from mauling and beating people down and being a physical powerhouse and just overwhelming people like a bully, you get Carroll less interested in that type of stuff. He wants the toughness. He wants to wear people down. He wants the blood and guts football of old that he wants to kind of apply. And so I just think it's part of a little bit of the stagnant approach of having a guy in the game for this many years that's set in their ways a little bit. You get the benefits of it. You get some of the negatives of it. And some of the negatives of it is that what they don't like, they really don't like, and they will not utilize even if there's a whole bunch of people squawking from the rafters that they should be using it, you know. Megan says, well, you're one of my a few I call best friend and can count the number on one hand. So proud of you and I'm always happy to help, but I will convert you to the Kraken. I'm open to the Kraken. I'm open to it. You'll, you'll get there maybe eventually on that, Megan. And the same is true right back at you. I really do appreciate you. And you know, you do a lot of the, the tough work in this channel with the, uh, the mods out there. So it's very much appreciated in that respect of things. Uh, Dick Docs, Brandon, my, sadly, my life is full of many unaccumulated years. Bad joke. <laughs> I do like the phrase unaccumulated years, though. I like that, too. I like that, too. That's a good little phrase. I might steal that one myself, man. Joe the Whale says, I'm sitting here waiting for Assassin's Creed to come out just because the video games have been so lame lately. They've been tough. They have been, they have been tough. And I feel for you young kids coming through it. I mean, you guys may be in your teens or your early 20s that love games. You know, you guys are going through a dark age period right now. We should be on augmented reality stuff. We should be seeing hyper reality. I mean, you guys should be on next level. Instead, you're getting the same old recycled stuff coming through with no innovations and nothing pushing the ball forward. And everything's just kind of an offset of everything else. And it's tough. It's tough. I don't know why it's kind of stuff. I don't know if it's the microtransactions or the mobile gaming or what's, or the fact that all the big studios bought up all the small studios but it's in a bad state right now and it's, there's no way around it. 
other than just waiting it out until something comes. And eventually something will come. Eventually the market will become so stagnant. Something will knock, knock this free, you know, and get it, get it going. I did like Assassin's Creed. Black Flag was the last Assassin's Creed one that I liked a lot. Dead Toy 3, Witherspoon and Woolen was better than Richard Sherman and Byron Maxwell. Do you guys agree? I think they have the potential to get there and be better. Yeah. Oh, yeah. James Watson's his name. Seven people that you want raising the 12th flag this season. Oof. Um, 12 people, huh? That's a lot of people to come up with. Um, let's see here. Let's go with, uh, uh, let's get Ken Griffey Jr. to raise it. Let's get Steve Largent to raise it. Let's get, uh, Mike Holmgren to raise it. Walter Jones. Max Strong. And Cam Chancellor. There's my seven. It's kind of random, James, but I, you know, I like those seven. Am Iverson, keep in mind that the Seahawks defense absolutely destroyed the greatest offense in NFL history in the Super Bowl. That should count for a lot. It should. You got to factor it into where their greatness lies in history against other defenses. And that's a mighty big, a mighty big part they've got in their favor versus let some of those other great defenses. Iverson, like Chicago Bears played a crappy Patriots offense. Uh, the Ravens played a crappy Giants offense absent Tiki Barber, right? Tampa Bay played an undermanned Raiders offense that was a bit better offense than those other offenses, but you played the best of all those great defenses. You had the hardest road to get there. X-Men uh, basketball says, this is our year. Let's go defense. So let's go. Let's go. Ten twenty-three. they should make 2K Madden. Well, the... 2K is a separate kind of franchise on a 1023, but Madden's got the, the exclusive rights. That's the main problem. And Madden has been trashed for a very long time. TJ's uh, Zelda Tears of the Kingdom is the exception to the rule. That game is unbelievable. It seems like the ones that are more first-person player games have still been able to hold the quality, CJ. I mainly reference this as the multiplayer games for the most part. And Madden is just copy and paste, Saijin. Copy and paste crappiness too. Not even good stuff. Megan says, Dave Haskell, Kraken head coach who got the team the second round of the playoffs in the second year uh, and whose name and number I am now wearing at the Hawks Nest B. Hell yeah. They're going to be good next year, it sounds like, too. Grug, yeah, Assassin's Creed 3 is my favorite of Connor and the War for independent setting. I, like, I do like those original Assassin's Creed's game. There was one that came along where it started to twist sideways. Got a little bit much. Chad Hart, I had an Atari, forget the game. I think it was hemorrhoids. <laughs> uh, Gary Payton Raisin would be cool, man. Sad the legends. Gary, Griffey, sports legends come through. Yeah. Why 
Why do I says Madden has not updated the tackle animations in almost 10 years? I hate them. I blame the NFL as well as EA. Yeah, NFL sucks too for selling the exclusive rights. You're right. Madden's not updated their engine in years. Same problem with you. You go to Call of Duty engine, right? They're all working off the same engine, but they're working off years. They can build a new game, but it all comes off the same base engine. So the mechanics are all the same. And I don't know why they're so unwilling to build a new engine when, you know, they've waited so long to do so, but they're printing money. So they don't feel probably too impelled to do so either. Right. Probably like, eh, why? For what? We're, all, we're already making ton, enough money without having to try. Do you know the way I like those guys you got raising the flag, especially the Marshawn Lynch? Especially the Lynch. Kemp and Martinez. Kemp's got to get out of that legal trouble he was in for a second there. Hopefully he's all right with that. Megan says, Assassin's Creed holds a special place in my heart. My father and brother and father were Masonic Tights Templar. Ooh, nice. It's a good one. Assassin's Creed is a good one. It's a great concept too for a video game, isn't it? Great concept for the video game. Sajin says, Brando, do you know how much you are well-respected? If I had a gift to give you, hashtag respect. Don't stop. Oh, well, thank you, man. I appreciate that. And I, there's the thing I say about this is the part that's so true is that I did this four years ago thinking, be ready for the slings and arrows, be ready for the knives to come out, be ready for the trolls, be ready for the toxic people that everywhere you look online and, and people doing these kind of shows, it shows up, shows up all over the place. And uh, it's been the part that I found absolutely uh, is awe, caused made, made me in awe. I'm awestruck by it. And that we, yeah, we get some of our shared trolls, some of our negativity, but that it's so overwhelmingly positive and supportive and encouraging. And and that part, I just never expected. And it, it's just the the beauty of you guys out there in in that it's it's so easy for everything to be toxic and mean and people to get snippy and people are going through their life and everybody's dealing with their baggage and their stuff that's going wrong and they're mad about it and then they want to enact it out on other people, right? And act out and, and, st- and it doesn't happen here. My regulars, my people come in here, everybody's just, you know, we want to have a great talk, great discussion, wherever it may take us. And um, it's, it is a, a beautiful thing and I really do treasure it, especially for where we're going to be able to take this in the future because we've set this as a standard now. You know, people come in here and they act that way and it's like, who farted? You know, anybody that comes in here starts acting like that can feel like the odd man in the room and it's beautiful. We don't have to deride them. We don't have to go at them. They can just feel it by the energy when they walk in here. And that's a testament to you guys. And it's an unusual thing. It's an unusual thing in this online world, that's for sure. Uh, thank you, D-Boy, for mentioning that. Do hit that like button if you could for me. Much love to you too, Sajin, man. I know another one of my folks who's been here for a very long time, another folk, another man, myself, who's longtime supporter of the channel. Um, and it's just, you guys, it's the, this, the encouragement you guys give me over the years when it was hard. It's easy now. You know, we've got the money coming in to support this. It's not a side job and this full-time and... I, I can just do this full time now, but it, when it was, it was hard, when it was like, should I keep going? There was always the folks saying, you're on the right path here. We're on the right path here is how I should really put it. Cause that's what this is. We're on the right path. And this is going to, we're heading to something just wonderful. And hopefully we're on our way to a fantastic upcoming season, which was just only hope in so many other respects of things. Uh, we'll get the last couple just comments in here. We'll just kind of wrap this up at this point. Like D boy mentioned, thanks for reminding me that D boy, if you like what you're listening to here, hit that like button for me if you could. It does help me out tremendously. It's helped us show up on these searches and algorithms and all that other type of stuff. So please do hit that if you could. Uh, Jonas's best stand-up comedy, in my opinion, Eddie Murphy with Ross, Sinbad, Richard Pryor, uh, Joe Coy. Definitely I'm with there with Murphy. Um, I like my Chappelle's in there too. Uh, he's certainly one of those guys that I, I liked. Um, 
Can't go wrong with Richard Pryor back in the day. Absolutely still some of his stuff holds up for sure. Um, I like my Carlin's too in there. You know, Carlin isn't always comedy. Carlin's almost sometimes a societal kind of thing he's referencing. Yeah, Richard Pryor's classic. Ted 23 says the Cardinals took off the comments from live stream. I wonder if the fan was talking trash to Kyler Murray. Uh, probably. I'm, I'm, they don't do that on purpose. It doesn't help them out on the algorithm to turn off comments. Let's put it that way. Uh, but I would imagine that that's, you know, it's just a little more testament I'm talking about. Like it's very easy for things in these communities to turn so toxic. It's why you guys see me so hard at times on just, let's keep things good. Let's keep things. I know we're going to get disagreement. I know we'll get angry at each other, but let's remember we're all still brothers and sisters at the end of the day. Cause it does just get lost in people's mind and it starts to become about how can I dunk on this other person and how can I show them up? How can I make them look silly? You know, it's not what we're trying to do here. You know, we're just trying to get it right. Maybe be a little entertaining. Megan, now my Python's another good one for me. I love them too. Definitely love them too. Can't go wrong with Eddie or Richard, man. Both of those were good. Both of those were great. Eddie does a mean Richard Pryor too. He does a hell of a Richard Pryor. All right, well, we'll wrap this up. I will be back tomorrow for members of my channel at five o'clock Pacific Standard Time. We'll be going live. I don't know what exactly I'm gonna do. I've got a couple ideas for the show, but we'll be getting it live no matter what. So I'll be back tomorrow, five o'clock as we do our members only channel on Thursday. Then I'll be back here on Sunday. So we'll be keeping the shows going here, keeping the things consistently running. I think we're gonna try to start taking a look at what the rest of our NFC West foes have been doing on the Sunday show. Let's get a little into the depths. Who did they add? Who did they lose? Who did they trade for? Who did they draft? Let's get into that. Let's look at their schemes a little bit into what our Seahawks are going to do to have to attack any of these three teams in our division. Two of them might be pretty easy. You never know what the looks of Rams and Cardinals as it stands right now. But I think that's what we'll be diving into on Sunday and getting into the depths of. So uh, be on the lookout to come back on Sunday. Thank you to all the folks that donated here under the chat. So many donations came down the line again today, you guys. This offseason is supposed to be quiet time. Nobody's supposed to be around. Nobody's supposed to be interested in football. You guys are interested. You know what's coming up this season. You know what's at stake. You know the potential this team is maybe sitting on this upcoming year. And I know you guys are excited and tuned in. And I absolutely love, love to see it. So thank you guys for staying checked in this offseason, not tuning out, staying locked in here. And uh, let's just get to see here over the next month how this thing continues to turn as we start to approach training camp. I appreciate all of you guys. I love all of you guys. I'll be back again tomorrow and then back Sunday. But until that time, please don't you ever forget. I see you in the back. I see you in the back for again. Don't you forget. Go Hawks!